This Pride, everyone's coming through for the Trevor Project on YouTube Shorts. Join us! Create a short showing how you're stepping up for Pride using the hashtag YouTube Pride Challenge. Come through for Pride on YouTube Shorts. Visit youtube.com backslash pride. What's that place you've always wanted to try? Well, you're there. Sharing plates with just one bite. Or on second thought, maybe not sharing. It's that good. When you're with Amex, it's not if it's going to happen, but when. American Express. Don't live life without it. I give you the Never speaking to me like that again. Better be wearing a cup. Baby step out. Welcome to Dave and Dave Unchained, a Van Halen podcast. I'm Dave. And I'm Dave. And we are at episode 58. So we are still in the month of October. Obviously, this is sort of an unusual month because we had an early, unfortunate emergency podcast because of Eddie Van Halen's passing. And we are still mourning Ed's loss and will be for a long time. But a lot of this podcast is a kind of a continuation of the last one. Obviously, Eddie's passing will dominate the news and the letters, and we even have guests that we interviewed on the day Eddie passed. So, you know, this is going to go on, and Dave and I are also doing a special dedication to Ed, the top 10 Eddie Van Halen moments for each of us. So we have so much to talk about and so much to get into, so we're going to get right into Van Halen news. Well, obviously, folks, the news is dominated by Ed, of course, um, and the reactions after the passing of Edward Van Halen. Obviously, the last time you heard from us, we were speaking on the day Eddie passed, right? It was that day. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it was. It was. It was. It was. So this is kind of a, a, a bit of the fallout. Obviously, we're still in the same month, and Eddie's been gone for a while now. I want to start off with Wolf and Val have been tweeting in a memorial sense, not so much writing as much as tweeting out photos. So it's been very heartwarming to see the different tweets and Instagrams, family photos of Ed through the years. I think they're kind of showing the other side, I guess, to Eddie Van Halen, the kind of warm and friendly family guy, as opposed to, you know, the legendary musician that he is. And both are obviously grieving very heavily. We are not to exclude Janie, of course, his wife. However, she's been a little on the more quiet side in terms of those things. But we found out a little more about Ed's illness, as we expected. Dave had mentioned that on the last podcast. We'll probably find out some more information, and we have 
Apparently, Ed had suffered a stroke a few months back, and he was in the hospital for the past few weeks in the cancer wing. The cancer apparently spread from his throat to his spine and his brain, and they managed his pain until he passed in his sleep. And there's no word currently, as we are recording this, about his funeral. I had heard through Valerie's brother, it was noted, I think, on the links that he's going to be cremated and there's going to be some sort of funeral in a few weeks. Didn't you hear that, Dave? Yeah, something to that effect. Yeah, yeah. Well, one thing that came out since we last spoke was Mike and Sam made a video. So Mike and Sam, Michael Anthony and Sammy Hagar, they were obviously deep into rehearsals for Sammy's birthday bash, his 73rd birthday bash in Catalina Island. So this was going on during rehearsals, and Sam and Mike paused from their work and obviously did a video. And Sammy had said, for Mike and I, it was like getting hit by a Mack truck. It kind of took the wind out of our sails. Mike said it made the occasion bittersweet. It was very surreal, but the whole death of Eddie hasn't sunk in yet. Sam said playing right now, he, he thought, thank God for this, meaning the music, I will never play with Eddie again, but the music will live on forever. And I'll sing this music for as long as I live. And Michael Anthony said, we love you, Eddie. They posted a clip of the rehearsal where they did a moment of silence in the concert where they paused and then went into right now with sort of a dedication to Eddie. Michael seemed a little... I don't know, a little unemotional or detached. I, I, maybe he's just stunned. I don't know. Sam Actually, I thought he was emotional. Oh, really? I thought he, okay. was, I thought he was trying to keep it together. Well, right maybe you're right. Maybe, you're, maybe I'm reading it wrong. I, Sam seemed a little more squirmy. You know what I mean? Like, I guess, well, I mean, let's be honest. I, it's got to be a little awkward that, you know, he's doing this concert. I mean, it's sort of a difficult time, you know, to be doing. But also, yeah, it's it can't, surreal is the word. Surreal, I mean, it just it, yeah, it just can't be easy. Yeah. I'm sure, you know, yeah. you're having this big birthday bash. Yeah, yeah. You know, two days ago, uh, right. You know, Ed passes away. Right, right. You know, you're, you're trying to put on a good show, but right. there's this. You know, there's this shadow hanging overhead. That exactly, it's hard to hard yeah. to figure. Dave and I are going to yeah. get into that whole birthday basket. We both viewed it just hours ago. It's sort of a touchy situation, but I also think it served as a nice memorial because the music does live on, and I think Eddie would want the music to live on. One of the most interesting things that came out since we last spoke to you guys was the Howard Stern tribute. So Howard Stern on his program did a tribute to Eddie Van Halen. He opened up the hour with Eruption, which Howard's always marveled at. Howard's always been a huge Van Halen fan. So he loves Eddie. He knew Eddie personally, and he's had Dave on and Sam. He's been in the middle of the whole Van Halen thing for years. So he tried to get Sammy on the program, but apparently Sammy didn't want to come on the air, but he sent a letter. The letter that Sammy had wrote to Howard said, I would love to share with you that Eddie and I have been texting and it's been a love fest since we started communicating earlier this year. And we both agreed not to tell anyone because of all the rumors it would stir up about a reunion, etc. And we both knew that wasn't going to happen. He also didn't want anyone to know about his health. He stopped responding to me about a month ago and I figured it wasn't good. I reached out to him one more time last week and he didn't respond. I figured it was a matter of time, but it came way too soon. So that came from Sam which he delivered to Howard. I'm glad that Sam got some closure there with Ed, and it was nice to hear. I don't know if Michael 
Anthony got that closure, which is kind of sad. And, you know, what can I say? Perhaps, the you know, the friendship overcame the business end there with Sam. And, you know, they had a lot of, like, tough business stuff that they were dealing with. But interesting enough, Sammy, in promoting his birthday bash, did an interview with Angie Taylor on Chicago's 95.5 FM. And this kind of choked me up a little bit, actually. He said when he called Ed, and apparently he ended up calling Ed because of the comedian George Lopez, who was a golfing buddy of Ed's, and he's also a friend of Sam, and he told Sam, call Ed. And he gave him his direct number. Apparently, Sam had been trying to get in touch with Ed using different avenues. I guess he called Alex... And all kinds of, of different ways to get in touch with Ed, but he didn't have his direct cell, I guess. You know, you gotta consider the situation. The last time they spoke was like 2004, and things have changed. People have different numbers, and I guess he couldn't get in touch with him, but George Lopez gave him at his direct cell, and he said when he called him after years of not speaking back in February, maybe it was January, he said before COVID hit, he had spoke to Eddie. He said, and Eddie said, what took you so long? which is kind of sad. It really kind of choked me up to read that because, and it said Sammy put a big smile on his face. It said, oh, my God, don't even ask me. And he's, he, But he was very touched by that. Ed said it was kind of like, hey, I've been waiting, you know, almost to speak to him. So what did you think of that day when you heard that? Yeah, that was bittersweet. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's yeah. kind of like, but at the end of the day, at least they got to talk and iron out things. Yeah, yeah. So that's the good news. Yeah. Sam said, looking back, he said this to Angie Taylor on Chicago's 95.5 FM. He said, looking back, if we hadn't come to terms with that feud we were having for the 2004 reunion tour, I wouldn't have been able to come to grips with his death. You know, I would have been way too much for me because I'm still grieving my ass off. But the grieving is starting to make, he said, it feels like they had a great thing. The music will live on forever and beyond him. He said, he'll sing it for the rest of his life. When I'm gone, hopefully some young bands will come up and play the music and you could always play it in your home. So... I think it was some sort of sense of closure for the guy and, and realized that, you know, they did have that special time together and that they both sort of mended fences. But it's nice to know that that happened. But I'm, I was wondering about that when I was looking at the video with Mike. If, like, Mike didn't get that, I don't know. That's you know. I haven't heard anything about Mike. Yeah, Mike's so quiet. I really, I really don't know. I'd yeah. like to hope so, but I, I just don't know. Yeah, he doesn't really talk much, Mike. The interesting thing I thought was very touching was uh, Gene Simmons was on Entertainment Tonight. And Gene, obviously, we all know, has a long history of Van Halen, um, being that uh, he was kind of there before Ted Templeman trying to help the band out, putting forth a demo for them. Gene Simmons said that he remembers going to see them at the Starwood and sitting in the VIP area. And hearing Eddie, he said, sounded like three or four guitar players playing in harmony. He says, I never heard anything like it. He said today was heartbreaking for millions of fans and guitar players all over the world. And he was honored, just honored to witness the greatness before it exploded all over the world. He says no one has ever been like him. He says not since Hendrix has anyone had this effect on the guitar community. He also shared a time when Eddie had called him up and said he wasn't very happy in the band and wanted to see if he could join KISS. So he kind of legitimized that whole rumor, and he says, nope. He took him out to lunch. He says, you can't leave your band. It's your band. He says, you got to stick it out. And then Eddie played him Jump. Him and Paul heard it and said well, they knew. It was a huge hit, and he was on to something big. He said Eddie was his own guy to the very end, very humble, very simple, 
unaffected by the whole fame thing, and he was never out to impress anybody, but he could outplay everyone. He said, above everything, he was a beautiful soul, and that was really his biggest achievement. So, very heartwarming words from Gene, who's not exactly the fuzziest guy in the world. Yeah, it was really, you really got to see a human side of oh, it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This, this, he was shaken. I mean, you could actually see visibly that he was shaken by this whole thing and was really taken by the whole situation. And now, I've been following all these people. So, Steve Lukather, as we all know, long-time friend of Ed's, right? Steve Lukather, Luke, as we all know him, from Toto, okay? He was on the Eddie Trunk Show, and they have been friends for 40 years, uh, since their 20s, he says. And he says, we went through a lot of life together. And he says, I really miss my friend. He said, you know, when he first heard Van Halen, before he knew Ed, he says, what planet is this guy from? He couldn't believe it. He says his playing was raw but brilliant. He said he, he didn't look at the instrument like a normal person would, <laughs> which is interesting. He also said that they played the California World Music Festival on the same bill. Apparently, that was the one where they parachuted in, and he thought that was great. He described that as a warm, happy guy. He said he was very often invited to his house, that he lives down the street from him, and they started up a really strong friendship. They played golf together. He sang background vocals on Can't Stop Loving You and Top of the World because he was hanging around at the studio. But they never really recorded anything together, except Eddie played on his Christmas record, which was a shred version of Joy to the World. And he also played on his solo album, Twist the Knife, on his first solo album. And uh, he also played, I think Ed played on the Jeff Picaro tribute show, which is a drummer from Toto passed away. And he said you would Ed would always show up when you least expect it. He said he didn't like to talk about his illness, but he did very often go to Europe to get treatments with Al, his brother. He said he hasn't seen Ed in a year which is telling because, you know, Steve was a close friend. And he didn't want to, you know, share any private stories. And he says, there won't be any uh, book about me and Eddie, he says. He goes, but there was no secrets, he he said with Ed. He said he, the magic was him. And he really says he doesn't think Al will play behind another guitar player, which is interesting. And he also said that Ed deserves to be right next to Les Paul and Jimi Hendrix in terms of innovators with the guitar. So, big words from an incredible, incredibly musician himself, that's for sure. His comment about Al is very interesting. You know, you, I mean, if you think about it, like we always talked about in this podcast, Al, you never saw Al jamming with anybody. You know, you saw no, Ed. No, I, yeah. I really think he's right. Yeah. I really think, like, this is it. Yeah. You know, maybe there'll be a tribute show. Maybe. And maybe Al might come out you know, if there's a tribute yeah. show you know in this covid world who the heck knows right yeah who knows man. i i could see him coming out for that but after that you're not going to see al i mean he's retired right yeah, i mean for all yeah. intents and purposes he's what's he going to do start another band now right exactly it also does he want to be touring you know he's probably right. you know if anything you know maybe he'll manage van halen inc i mean you just don't know right exactly so i mean there's plenty to do there if he wanted Another interesting character, of course, always colorful, Sebastian Bach. All right, so, so Sebastian's wild and crazy. Sebastian is a hardcore Van Halen fan. He's like a total geek for Van Halen. So interesting stuff here, though, and this is why I bring it up. Sebastian, much like Roth, and he's very influenced by David Lee Roth. Like, he's like a human hurricane, you know what I mean? Like, he's just funny. He's just so full of energy, and he said, Van Halen! He was like a um, rally cry. 
that he, when he was a kid, that people they would just say Van Halen to each other, and he says that the band name became like an adjective of or, or a verb about where everything was cool. You know, to say Van Halen meant everything was cool, and he said that the band was otherworldly, and he said he used to take his jean jacket and take liquid paper and make the VH logo on the back of his jean jacket as a kid, which is kind of cool. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, that's great. And he, he called the band a cultural force that was not just a rock band, but a cultural force, that Van Halen was not just a band, but a way of life. He also said, which I thought was interesting, and this made a lot of sense, and I never thought that like Sebastian Bach would make so much sense, but he, he did say this thing. He said, you know, when you see the end of masters like Eddie Van Halen or or Neil Peart, right? These two fucking legends. He says, you wonder if this is going to be sort of the end of that kind of musicianship in the sense that we live in a technology-driven age, but, you know, back then they pushed the instruments so far because that's all they had to work with. Whereas today we have a lot of easy outs the technology has so many, you can do almost anything with technology, sort of like the movies. You can kind of just basically create anything. Whereas, you know, like, for example, like, I'll give an example like Star Wars, where George Lucas, you know, was dealing with, you know, like kind of practical realization props, and he was trying to make magic out of that. What he's saying is you wonder if, you know, that breed of musicianship, of, of like a Neil Peart or Eddie Van Halen, if that's sort of the a dying art in a way, which is sort of interesting. That's an interesting really is. You never thought I'd be so thoughtful coming from Sebastian, but it, Sebastian, as great of a rock frontman as he is, and I, I love Sebastian. I think he's great. But he's, he's a real hardcore, dyed-in-the-wool, like, reading all the liner notes. Like, he's a real rock and roll geek. He loves all this stuff. But I thought he brought that up, and that is a really interesting point for sure, you know? I, I think it might be the end of the era in terms of the way those two guys approach their instruments, uh -huh. but I don't think it's the end of the line in terms of innovation. It's just... People taking what they have at the time and yeah. the technology they have at the time and, and pushing it even further. Yeah. But, yeah, but in, in terms of their approach and what they did, it, we, we may not see that again. Yeah, right. But, That's what he's saying. Right. But as far as the innovative musicians coming down the line, I mean, I don't, I don't think we've seen the last of that. Yeah, I know, but what he, I think he's saying, I think it will be musicians, but he's saying, like, will you ever have, like, someone like Eddie who just spent hours and hours on the guitar, you know, like living and sleeping with that thing. I mean, it was just like he was, that guitar was like part of his body. Like you wonder if because of technology and all the different, you know, ins and outs that you could do today, if someone would literally dedicate so much time and craft to an instrument like that. You know, I guess that's what he's talking about or how you could almost perfect anything in a studio today. You don't have that just sort of spirit and, you know, also, I guess, also the sense of recording. I mean, you listen to those Van Halen recordings. Eddie's playing live off the floor. And Ted and Don, as brilliant as they were, knew how to capture it. You know what I mean? Like, they knew how to, like, record that sound. No one has recorded Eddie's sound the way Ted and Don had. They just had 
a perfect combination to really capture the sound of that band. That's why those first six albums sound so goddamn good. So the other thing is, I thought this was interesting. He mentioned also, like, it's like Eddie is, like, sort of part of our life. Like, it's, like, hard to believe that he's gone. And to me, it's like, it's like you know, saying, like, you know, like the Eiffel Tower doesn't exist anymore or something. It's like something so monumental that it's like you, you figure it's just part of the world, part of culture. He also mentioned that Skid Row, and I didn't even know this, believe it or not, opened the first leg of the Balance Tour. Now, by the time we saw the Balance Tour, is that Dave, right? Wow! We, now okay. we didn't see Skid Row. We saw Collective Soul, if you remember. Right. That was at NASA Coliseum. He also said that he went on a first-class plane ride to Australia for 12 hours in first class, drinking coffee and sitting next to David Lee Roth, where everybody was telling the two of them to be quiet. And he said he was the quiet one in comparison to the two of them. <laughs> wow. That must have been some plane ride, let me tell you. Yes. Yeah, so wow. Then, Those so then, two together? Absolutely. Oh and he said to Dave, what you need to do is do the history of the Eagles like that documentary for Van Halen. He actually told him that because Sebastian, like I said, is a hardcore fan. You know what I mean? He's a hardcore fan. So he said, that's what you need for Van Halen. And he also said that there was a little talk of him joining Van Halen during the Gary Sharon time. He said that Ray Daniels, Van Halen's former manager, and Doc McGee, Skid Row's former manager, were talking at one point but they didn't want Eddie to smoke weed. And and it was funny because Sebastian's like a real pothead. So he said, it was funny to me because I was smoking weed with Ray Daniels. <laughs> he says, but wait a second. The, the manager of Van Halen can smoke weed, but I can't smoke weed? He goes, the lead singer of the band can't smoke weed? He goes, I learned how to smoke weed because of Van Halen, <laughs> which was kind that, of funny. That seems like a bizarre reason not to... Uh... You wonder if that was a cop out. You no, wonder yeah. if that's what they told. Probably, Baz. probably. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, come on. I don't. You know, I just think that I don't know if he would have fit in that. I mean, obviously he could easily do all those songs for sure, but I don't know if his personality would have fit in there. But he said that he was summoned into Doc's office, but he never got to audition. But he didn't think Doc was too crazy about him leaving Skid Row anyway. And then he said, "Could 2020 suck any harder after losing Neil Peart and Eddie Van Halen?" So. That was another interesting interview. I don't know how far that would have gone with Sebastian. I think his name, you know, you toss out a name, you know what I mean? But that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, he's happening as in terms of a lead singer replacement. But Yeah, I think he's got too much history of uh, LSD, uh, lead singer. Oh, yeah, as, yeah. As Ed used to call it. And maybe his name was thrown around and it was like, you know what? I just don't need another guy like that. <laughs> That's right. You're probably right. I mean, right. honestly, I'm not saying Baz is talented and all that, but he's, you know, he's very, he's a very headstrong guy. And that's, that's not where Ed was in 96. He didn't need somebody like that. No, no. Eddie Trunk's been going ham on the whole Eddie Van Halen thing. So another guy that spoke out and on Ed was Neil Sean of Journey. So now, interesting enough, Neil Sean recorded a cover of Ain't Talking About Love with Linda Perry on vocals, and the background band was the band Vane, and he recorded it in 2008 for some compilation record that never came out. 
He ended up also on that record doing like a Sly and the Family Stone song with Sammy Hagar. But somehow it never was released. And then they played that on Eddie Trunk's show. And he was talking a little bit about Ed. So now remember, Journey took Van Halen on their first tour back in the day. So it's funny that Van Halen would open for Journey because Journey is, is a much lighter band. But back in the day, that happened. And he said that it be, they became... Didn't they both open for Sabbath? I don't know if they both opened for Sabbath. No, you I, know what it was? It was no, it was Journey. Then Sabbath. Well, yeah, but it was Journey and Ronnie Montrose. Right. And Van Halen. Right, but it was, it was Sammy all, was not in Montrose when that happened. No, 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 it wasn't. It was just it was Ronnie right. Montrose solo at the time. Right. So here's an interesting little tidbit. So you know Neil became friends with Eddie and they went driving one night and I guess uh, it was Neil's car, or Eddie's car, or something like that. And he says, what are, you, what are you working on now? And he goes, oh, I'm working on this Hassas record, which is the uh, Hagar, Sharon, Arison, Sharif record. No, from... no, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, not Sharon. Oh, what did I say, Sharon? No, <laughs> no, 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 no. Sharon. No, it's Hagar, Sean. Hagar, Sean, Aronson, Sharif record. So the song that Eddie liked and that he kept playing over and over again was the song Giza from that album. And oh, that's was, a great song. Yeah, it's a great song. Eddie was really interested in that song and kept playing it over and over again. And he said, who's the singer, man? I really like this guy. <laughs> and obviously oh, it was funny. Sammy, which is we're only a, a couple of years away from him joining Van Halen at that point. So the funny thing was, go, oh, you know this guy, Sammy Hagar from Montrose. So he said that back in the day, when Van Halen opened up for Journey, he said the original band had like a circus vibe to it. He said a real punk attitude with kind of a reckless abandonment. And they took them on their first tour for three months. And he says they would wreck hotel rooms pretending they were the who. And he says Eddie was heavily at that time inspired by the Live at Leeds album, which is the Who's Live at Leeds album. and he Oh, said, yeah, that's a great album. Yeah, and he also said that he knew that Eddie was going to be massive. And he did say that they jammed in San Francisco one night at Uncle Charlie's place with Eric Martin. And they also jammed with John Entwistle at the, one of the NAM shows. And it says the last time they were in touch was sort of at, in the 90s at the Steve Lukather's house. Ed would call him at 3 or 4 in the morning and mumble a few words and then jam on the phone for 20 minutes and then go, what do you think? And he'd just be like, oh, it sounds great, Ed. It sounds great, Ed. I'm going back to bed. <laughs> So lots of fun stuff from Neil, who who talked about his friend Ed. What'd you what'd you make of that, Dave? That was cool. I know, you know those guys have had somewhat of a history together. So nice tribute by Neil. Now another interview came out from Irving Azoff. Who is Irving Azoff? He's Van Halen's manager. Oh boy. Oh boy. All right. So now I want to clarify a couple of things here that you know people kind of ran with a little bit. So. Irving Azoff was interviewed by Polestar, and he called Eddie an unqualified genius. He said Eddie and Al were an inseparable duo. He said Ed had a big heart. He said he did a lot of things for people that nobody even knows about. He was very kind and generous. He said that EVH gear has become a major force in the industry and will remain in operation. And he said Wolfgang and Matt Bruck, who is... Eddie's right-hand man at 5150 Studio will run it, and that's going to continue. So there's sort of interesting news there. He also noted that Ed was a great father, and he said that he's never seen anybody fight the fight that Eddie fought over the last 10 years. 
So obviously Eddie was going through a lot more than we knew, kept it very quiet. But he was talking about the 2019 stadium tour that almost happened. He said it very nearly happened in 2019, featuring founding members David Lee Roth, Michael Anthony. But unfortunately, due to Eddie's health complications, the tour was not to be. He said we had a lot of stops and starts. There was every intention of doing a summer stadium tour in 2019 as the cancer moved around. Eddie uh, was physically unable to do it. So they were talking about, I guess, pairing up with Foo Fighters and Metallica. And he says, there's no doubt in my mind it would have been massive. And he also noted that Wolf and Alex, this is a quote from Irving, and I want to talk about this a little bit. Wolf and Alex will go up to 5150, the studio in Ed's house. There's been a lot of recording over the years. I can't predict that for sure there will be anything new, but for sure they're going to look at it. Now, you have to realize something when he says that, that's sort of a general statement. Everybody's like, oh, they're already digging for, you know, stuff to release. What he said is a general statement. Like, yeah, they're going to take a look. Like, But you have to realize, like, there's so much stuff there that it's almost hard to really categorize, unless it's properly categorized. But you got to remember, they're also, it's all tape. I mean, <laughs> none of that stuff is digitized. So I don't know what's going to happen there. Everybody keeps thinking, you know, Eddie Trunk keeps going on and on. Oh, we're going to have Van Halen albums for years. I don't necessarily think that's the truth. What do you think? You know, I don't know. I mean, they got to go through all that stuff. That's tough to do. I mean, for if Wolf and Al are doing that, I mean, there's a lot of emotional attachment to that. Yeah, but I mean, it's I mean not what I think they should do is what you've been suggesting right. for years is hiring an archivist right. to do it. So yeah. is there stuff there and will there be something coming out eventually? I, I think there will. I think there will. But it won't be for a while. Yeah. I think there's some catch up to do there because it's not like it's all cataloged yeah. already and ready to go and they go okay we just you know got to go to tape 15 yeah track no. 20 yeah. section b and right. we're good good to go but i think we will see stuff i think, I think we now what we will see I, I i i don't know will it be a live show yeah i know will it be studio songs like who the heck knows i know but i think we will see something not right away but i think we will ed was never a big fan of releasing older stuff no i think wolf and al and and whomever will go that route well here's the other thing though don't you think wolf is going to be way more preoccupied with releasing his album once he's ready like i would guess my guess okay in terms of wolf okay i'm guessing sometime this coming spring he'll end up releasing that album and coming on tour with it I don't even know. I think that'll be the first thing. I agree with you. I don't think any of that other stuff is going to happen for a long time. Everybody keeps thinking, like, what about a box set for Christmas? It's like, yeah, okay. (laughs) I mean, you know. (laughs) No, no. Come on. I know. But the funny thing is, is that you have to realize, like, Prince, when he left, he left behind, like, finished stuff. Like, he has full albums. Completely recorded. I mean, right, and I mean that's right. a totally different situation than that. Michael Jackson, another one, recorded stuff like done, finished, complete. I think the other thing, I mean, honestly, is is the financial driver. 
you have to ask yourself, who needs the money and how fast are they going to put that stuff out? And the fact of the matter is, I don't think anybody in the Van Halen camp really needs the money. Right. Because if they did, Mm -hmm. they would have been touring sometime after 2015. Right, right. But they didn't. Mm -hmm. So unless, you know, they've squandered all the money and they're really in financial straits and they need to do something, right? Right, right. I mean, I don't know their financial situation, but I I don't think that's the case. No. Then, I I mean, I think they'll – will they do it because they think it's the right thing and they want to do it? Yes. Are they doing it because – like with Prince, it was different. You know, Prince was still making music. He was still touring. Like, he was the gravy train, right? Yeah. He goes, oh, he goes, he passes away when I say he goes. He passes away. Oh, right. there's no more gravy train, right? Right. So so everybody who's in his family or whatever is like, well, what are we going to do now? Right. right we're going to release the old stuff. Right. But I don't think you have that same scenario. No, you don't. You don't. With Van Halen. No. And the other thing is, sadly... The age of the box set. I know. Is right. You know where I'm going, right? Yeah. It's gone. It's over. It's gone. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying you can't release this stuff no. digitally. No, I you know. You certainly can, but right. it doesn't have the same oomph or the same no. selling power that it that it did before. No, I know. But like I said, will we see something? Sure, we will. I mean, like that Van Halen one set that Eddie Trunk was yeah, talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was done. My guess is that'll be the gel. first thing that comes out. Right, after Wolf's solo album. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Because that's ready to go. Right. So that, that's easy, right? That's right. slam dunk. Right, exactly. But I think, you know, the Wolf's going to take his time, obviously getting through this whole time. And I would say somewhere about the spring of 21, you're going to see Wolf coming out with his solo album and, you know. That kind of thing. But, you know, you also have to realize people are going to start asking him about this, too. Yeah. uh, yeah. Also, Irving said that they were, uh, Eddie and him were close over the past couple of years, but he became, he unable to record or play. So, which is what I had said for a while now, that I had thought that Eddie was unable to play. I had that feeling. He said became less of a client-manager relationship and more of a friend. So that was Irving, and he shed some light on some things there. Now, this was crazy, Dave. So Rolling Stone magazine came out with an Eddie Van Halen interview that they had sitting in the vault that they never released. Did you hear about this? This was yeah. unbelievable. Yeah, it was, it was interesting. It was, that was the one from like 2011, yeah, right? Yeah, 2011. November 2011, which is right before they released A Different Kind of Truth. There's nothing in this interview about A Different Kind of Truth. Right, yeah. It's the strangest interview. It's sort of a strange one, but I think that they had called him for other reasons. They were It's talking all about guitarists, basically. Not anything about Van Halen. They're talking about guitarists. So this is directly from Ed. He said... He really liked Cream's live stuff, like Wheels of Fire and Goodbye Cream, stuff like that, is Ed's words. Because you could really hear the three of those guys playing in their live element. He said that Pete Townsend was an influence as a rhythm guitarist, but he never got into Hendrix. He was more abstract in his approach, he felt. He said Clapton was mainly it for me, but he said after Cream, he felt like Clapton changed. He also said that he has mad respect 
for Angus Young of ACDC. I always knew that Edwin Van Halen was a huge ACDC fan. He says there's something about Angus Young. He says it's almost like ACDC have one song, but it's a great song. It's brilliantly done, and again, it's that simplicity that makes you bang your head. Direct words from Ed. He also said that Leslie West has an incredible tone in Mountain. And that Richie Blackmore, he loved the vibrato bar he used on his uh, Deep Purple in Rock album. And he also said that, that him and Wolf don't really listen to the same type of music. He also said that one of the things that made him think of doing the hammer-ons was Jimmy Page's pull-offs on Heartbreaker, if you can believe that. And he also said that he was always searching for the perfect tone. He says, I'm always messing around with pickups trying to get a warmer, smoother, sustainier sound. So this was sort of a guitar-related interview. And what did you make yeah. of this one, Dave? It was interesting, but I, I agree with you. I, it's almost like they were calling him about something else. Right, right. And he talked about a few things, and they were like, okay, that's that's great, thank you. And they're like, all right, well, we can't use this for anything that we're using right now. Right. And then, you know, but nine years later, they're like, well, anything's fair game. So here's the quote-unquote right. lost interview. The lost interview. Yeah, yeah. Right. It just it just gave you some interesting perspective yeah, on, for on sure. things and and I always I always find it really interesting that Ed never really said he was influenced by Hendrix at all. I mean, you oh, think yeah. that he always like denounced a, that always right? Denounced like you it. always like you think that'd be like a slam dunk, right? But no, he was always 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 a Clapton guy. Yeah, it totally. was Clapton. And almost nobody else. Right. It's so right? weird, right? And he was no. always em- em- emphatic in that. Just Which just... is interesting because, you know, the guy doesn't really sound all that much like Clapton. But, no. you know, the way Clapton had pushed himself so he wasn't really sounding like anybody else. But again, you know, Hendrix was doing the same thing, but Ed never really attached himself to Jimmy all that much. So you just you just never know who... A person's influences are going to be and and how they shape them going forward. That's true. So now, have you seen Rolling Stone's top 500 greatest albums of all time? Yes. Did you yes, see? Where, I have. Did you see where Van Halen landed? They were not that high on the list, if I remember correctly. No. Right. So Van Halen landed out of the 500. They landed at one album on the top 500 of all time. Obviously, it was the first album, Van Halen One, 1978. Number 292, that's it. But here's the thing that bothers me, okay? And we all know that we all fight over lists and blah, blah, blah. This is, but, and you know, listen, we'll talk about the greatest albums of all time. So we're not just talking about rock here. So we're talking about everything. Okay, that's fine. And, and you know, I don't expect, you know, Van Halen to be in the top ten or anything like that. But this is what chafes my ass. Okay, <laughs> Let's just quantify some of these albums to being within sort of the Van Halen one category or, you know, sort of on their plane or whatever you want to call it, right? Guns N' Roses, Appetite for Destruction. Where do you think it landed, Dave? Take a guess. Oh, it's probably in the top 100. Yes, it is. And it's high in the top 100. It's at number 62. If you're talking about the top 500 albums of all time, it's at number 62. Van Halen one is at... 292. That's crazy to me. Ready for this? ACDC Back in Black. Another classic album, classic rock album, right up there. You know, where do you think that lands? Uh, that was probably also in the top 100, right? Again, 
Number 84, Metallica's Master of Puppets. Where do you think that lands? 87. Oh, close. 97. Okay. Oh, all right. I just okay. I made that up. So now, so now, okay, so now we're talking about greatest albums of all time, this and that, right? I mean, Taylor Swift's album Red is at number 99. Now, let's just look at the bare bones facts. The innovation, the amount of influence that something like Van Halen 1 had, I mean, 292? Are we serious here? I mean, this is like crazy. First of all, I can't believe Van Halen doesn't have more than two albums in the top 500. All right, we'll let that go. But the first album, that doesn't land you anywhere in the top 50? I mean... The Beastie Boys License to Ill album is at 192. That's a hundred. Well, I think that's a bigger influence in today's musical scene. Well, I'm not talking about today's musical scene. We're talking about the 500 greatest albums of all time. Dave, let me put it this way. Madonna's Ray of Light album, which is not even Madonna's best album. It's not even Madonna's third best album. Is at 222. Devo is ahead of Van Halen 1. And are we not men? We are Devo at 2.52. I mean, I don't understand. Hole, the band Hole, live through this. Great album. But it's in like 116. I mean, I don't understand this. I mean, like, when there's stuff above it, there's other stuff. Pet Sounds, of course. You know, like Blue by Joni Mitchell. All these like legendary albums like Abbey Road. Okay, where do you think Nirvana's Nevermind landed, Dave? Take a guess. Oh, it's got to be in the top ten. Yep. Number six. Okay, that doesn't surprise me. But, I mean, Nevermind's a great album. It's a legendary album. It's a legacy album. It is a huge influencer. But, I mean, come on. Van Halen won? I mean, but it's not just people like you and me voting on this list, right? I mean, there's a whole slew of people voting on this Yes, but we're talking about musical influence. And it's not just... It's not about taste. Rolling Stone staff, right? I mean, I think they reached out to artists and things like that. Mm -hmm, So, mm -hmm. I hear what you're saying, but the musical landscape has changed significantly since the last time they did the list, which was like, I don't know, like what, like 15, 20 years ago? I guess so. Or something like that. So different people like different things. I and guess so. maybe, maybe what was great 15, 20 years ago isn't so great now because the musical landscape has changed. Maybe. All I know is Harry Styles' fine line made it from 2019 to 491. I mean, I don't know. Come on. Okay, well, give it another 15 or 20 years. give it another 15 or 20 years. And see if it's on the list then. Yep. Yep. You know, these lists aren't created in a vacuum. Let me me put it to you this way. Forget forget about Van Halen, okay? Taylor Swift's Red and Holes, Live Through This, are ahead of Led Zeppelin II, Pink Floyd the Wall, and Queen's Night at the Opera. Now, you're going to tell me that's not a sin? Fucking Liz Fair album, Exit to Guyville, made it to 56. I'm, All right, come but Dave, on. you know what? Dave, I don't say this too often, but we're, ju- we're just a couple of older farts 
who like our rock, who like our metal, and that's what we like. Okay? But there's a fuck ton of other people voting on this list, and a lot of them like albums that you and I won't touch, that honestly we probably haven't heard, or maybe we've heard of, but haven't listened to them from Mm -hmm. beginning to end. And, you know, times change. Things come and go. And that's, like Bruce Hornsby saying, Dave, that's just the way it is. That's just the way it is. Some, Some things, things will, will never, never change. change. <laughs> but that top 500 list will change. It's, it's just indicative yeah. indicative of what's out there now. Right, right. I mean, are we biased? Do we happen to agree with everything on there? No. But you and I are just two people. I'm sure there's two other people doing a, another podcast now who also disagree with the list. But for very different reasons. Absolutely. So, I mean, but this is one of those things, like, forget about it. People can argue about it till the, till the cows come home. It's just a list. It's just a list a magazine put out. And like we've said before, they accomplished what they wanted to accomplish, which is lots of people are talking about it. Right, right. So now a tweet came out from Joe Satriani. He said, I'm so heartbroken to hear that Eddie Van Halen passed away. He is the greatest guitarist of my generation. The magic of his musicianship never ceases to amaze me. My deepest condolences to the Van Halen family. Thank you for everything you gave us, Eddie. R.I.P. E.V.H. Jason Becker tweeted. He says, I am so extremely sad about losing my friend and great inspiration, Eddie Van Halen. I love him and his contribution to the world. He was the greatest guitar player ever and at the same time so kind and compassionate. He supported me and my family in every way. It was the arpeggios near the end. I told him that this his tune, Feel Your Love Tonight, inspired my playing on that song. He was responsible for getting Perspective, his album, on Warner Brothers' label. And when the Ice Bucket Challenge happened, he called me and sent money. He was my greatest inspiration and such a beautiful person. I love you, man. My family and I send love to his family. So that was really sad. Nancy Wilson from Heart, R.I.P. Dear Eddie, you are in a long struggle. I will always cherish our friendship and that twinkle in your childlike eye. R.I.P. Eddie Van Halen. I think those two dated early, early, early in the day. Of course. What? Yeah. You didn't know that? Nancy Wilson and, and Eddie, I think, dated like a, like a, wait, a million years ago, like back in the 70s. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Look it up. Look it up. I think so. I think All that's right. true. Alex spoke and said, hey, Ed. Love you. See you on the other side. Your brother, Al. Man, a few words. We all know that Alex is a sort of a, a, a quiet, stoic type, but we all know that nothing was closer to Eddie than Alex in terms of other people. Now, Dweezil Zappa, who absolutely worships Eddie Van Halen, said Edward Van Halen himself was lightning in a bottle, and he could transfer that energy to arenas and stadiums like nobody before or since. Van Halen as a band left audiences feeling like they were floating above the ground for weeks after seeing them perform. The band described it as playing for 10,000 of their closest friends at their apex, and there was nothing that could compete with the almighty Van Halen. He also said that Eddie didn't play the electric guitar like us. The guitar was filtered through him and his deft guidance. He made it look easy. We know it wasn't. For many, he will always be the king. Long live the king. And that came from Dweezil that was on his website. Now, Mitch Malloy spoke out, Dave, and he gave an interview exclusively to the California Rock News. Now, we all know 
as Dave likes to call him, Van Halen's Lost Boy. Right, Dave? I mean, that's what we all know him as. <laughs> what well, was it that uh, the title of like some? Uh, yes, that was his uh, title of video his, that was done years ago. Yeah, his his YouTube mini documentary about his very right, brief right, time right, in Van right, Halen. Right, that's right. right. So Van Halen's Lost by Mitch Malloy. Now, just for those of you who are not in the know, shame on you. He was the singer that apparently was hired before Gary Sharon to replace Sammy Hagar and somehow got lost in the sauce. So <laughs> he, he says here that he was surprised but wasn't surprised. I was shocked, but I wasn't shocked when he heard about the news of Eddie's passing. There was a time he was calling me every day, he said, after Gary left the band. He says, this is right after Gary and he parted ways. In fact, it started that day. He was actually crying and it wasn't the first time he actually cried with me over the phone. He was just super emotional and awesome. Anyway, about a, a week at least had passed and he was calling daily. Then one day he asked me what I thought he should do next. And I said, honestly, and he said, of course, honestly. Then I said, get Dave back. And for the first time he yelled at me and I think he felt betrayed by me for suggesting it. So I thought that was an interesting little nugget to come out of an interview. What do you think about that? Yeah, that, uh, I didn't know that those guys were still talking. But, uh, I mean, was that really surprised that somebody was going to say that? I mean, I, mean, I know, it's kind of like, I mean, uh, and I don't think, and it's not like Mitch's suggestion was out there. Because I'm sure Mitch wasn't the only guy making that suggestion. No, right, 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 of course, of course. So now, another interview that was done by Rolling Stone, Gary Sharon. We all know him as the third lead singer of Van Halen, Dave's favorite lead singer of Van Halen, that he, <laughs> <laughs> he will always hold his time with Eddie close to his heart and that they hit it off on day one. He said he made me feel comfortable and he went out of his way to make me feel comfortable. He was just a regular guy and we ended up being kindred spirits. When he was asked when he was told he was in the band he said it was the second day he told me I, I was in the band and he says for Nuno from his band Extreme and Pat Pat Badger as players he says Van Halen was the top he says that with Extreme Nuno would be the first to say there was no bigger influence and when he called Nuno when Eddie passed the last thing he said was he was my guy and I said I know Nuno so he also went on to say that he sang Without You, the first song on Van Halen 3, into an SM57 microphone, and Eddie was smoking in his face when he did it. He said, little did I know that some of those tracks would be on the record, which goes to show you that, remember, we always talk about how Van Halen 3 sort of has a, almost a demo quality to it a little bit that a lot of that was kind of recorded on the fly. He says, we just clicked as writers. We were both kind of a socially awkward people. We come from different camps. He had one way of writing with the other guys, whether it was Sammy or Dave. And one of the things that he, I did with Extreme that he never did with Van Halen is I would have lyrics written and I would hand them to Eddie. And he said it was the first time he ever got to write to the lyrics because usually Eddie would write the music and then hand it over to the guys to do the lyrics. He says with the other guys, they, he generally write the music first, then he give him the, the music to go write the lyrics. Maybe to a fault, he says there was a freedom that we had on Van Halen 3 that maybe made it too eclectic for the Van Halen fans. 
when he sat down at the piano and played, I would sit there in awe. I encouraged that. I think he enjoyed that freedom. Some people critiqued it as an Eddie Van Halen solo album. I don't think that's fair. I think Eddie found a new freedom in his writing. When they asked him about whether Van Halen 3 was kind of like, how would you explain the eclecticism? He says, there was some rock stuff, but there was some stuff that was maybe a little outside the spectrum of Van Halen. If anything, it was pure. There was no record company pressure. We just wrote. In a way, I was a tool for him and whatever he wanted, which kind of goes to prove that, you know, he kind of liked, I guess, Gary's easy flowing personality and he just sort of would do whatever he wanted. Right, Dave? Yeah. I mean, there was no, there, there wasn't nearly as much ego with Gary. Yeah. As there was with Sam or Dave. Yeah. And I mean, Gary, I mean, we, we've gone over this before but yeah. gary comes from extreme where nuno is the band leader right so gary is more of a of a team player than a team leader right which honestly i think ed was looking for because he had had enough of lead singers who were looking to lead the band and ed was at a point where he wanted to lead his own band so in terms of band dynamics i think gary worked out really well and you know the one thing that gary did provide Ed that Sam did not do consistently were better lyrics. Right. I mean, say what you want about Van Halen 3, and I say a lot. Right. But lyrically, it, it's certainly better, more deep, challenging, right. things like that. Right. Gary tends to be good at that, and, and in that sense, he succeeded. Right. But, yeah, so interesting insight from Gary. Yeah, who's yeah. Who's, you know, he's always like a deep-thinking kind of guy, so I, I honestly I expect no less from him. Yeah, that's for sure. He also said that he was talking about how many Say I came about. He said that, that kind of like Eddie was in bed with Valerie going to sleep, and then he ran downstairs to start recording the song on piano, and he said he went downstairs and made a really shitty recording of it, and he said, hey, man, I wrote something to How Many Say I, because I guess Gary had given him the lyrics first. And he plays it for him, and he says, that's beautiful, Ed. Your voice reminds me of Roger Waters and Leonard Cohen. He didn't necessarily want to sing it. He just wrote it, and I encouraged him. I said, no, that's beautiful. But he says, maybe we were being too artsy-fartsy, but I thought it was great. And, of course, I got ripped apart by the fans. But I was proud of the fact that it was the only record where Eddie sang on it. And I'm sure people appreciate that now. I'm proud of that. And I've always loved that song. I think Gary should have sang it. <laughs> That's true. Well, okay. You know, I think if Gary had sang it, it would have... I mean, I don't know if anybody would have liked the album any better, but... Yeah, it went it went down a it went down a bizarre row with that. I mean, it was I mean I, I tell you it's kind of sort of interesting to hear now. Gary's got a point with Ed gone and you know to hear his voice. I see where he's going yeah. with that, and I, I don't disagree. But but still, like well, maybe honestly, because I'm not a fan of Leonard Cohen or Roger Waters or any of these right, guys right, right. who. You know, even like, you know, like Dave, you and I are big Keith Richards fans, but I'll be the first to admit that vocally, oof, Keith, like, uh, <laughs> like yeah. Keith's tolerance is really not that high on yeah. his solo You know, right. I'm not a fan of that style of singing right. And, right. and that style of music. Right. So, so that's why, like, how many say I vocally never, never really appealed to me. Right. Yeah. I mean, you see where Gary's going, but in retrospect, I, I think he's, I, I think he's right. I think, 
I think they had a little too much freedom. There was a little too much eclecticism. I think we've said this before. Like, there was nobody really reining them in on Van Halen 3 to say, this is a good idea. This is not such a good idea. He also said that on Van Halen 3, I I thought Eddie was playing with a lot of passion and he was dangerous. There was always one wheel off the track. Year to the Day solo was just beautiful. I think it is one of the best things he ever did. So that's sort of interesting. And he said that throughout the process that he was happy. He and Alex had a dressing room and that him and Michael had the other another one. And the shows that they played were great. And that when they went to choosing the set list, Alex told Gary, pick whatever you want. I'll do anything. And Gary went and picked things like Romeo Delight and I'm the One and Mean Street and Unchained. And he says that when they parted, they left as friends and they kept in touch for a couple of years And then they sort of drifted apart. He said, not anything intentional. And then he said, about five years ago, I reached out and he immediately responded. We reconnected and kept in touch ever since. And he said, they kind of picked up from where they left off as being friends. And the last time we were in contact was a couple of months ago before he passed. He says, everyone knew something was going on, but it was a tight camp, small circle. And everybody uh, knew and respected that whole thing with Ed because he wanted to he says he was a tough man he was always upbeat but he never let him get him down so that was kind of an interesting perspective from Gary who obviously had kept in touch with Ed any thoughts on that Dave any more thoughts no that's cool well that's cool they reconnected it's nice that Ed did reconnect with people he kind of had a reputation as a guy who held a grudge for a long time and couldn't let go of things but with Gary and with Sam, mm. that obviously wasn't the case. Right, right, obviously. Now, interesting enough is Ted Templeman came out and did an interview with Rolling Stone. And Rolling Stone, who only put one album on the uh, the top 500 list of greatest albums of all time, and Van Halen at number 292, you know, they did a lot of, a lot of reporting on Eddie Van Halen's death, that's for sure. So... Apparently, Ted, when he first met Ed, he says they had nothing. In fact, when he showed up for the first sessions, his car door was wired shut with a guitar wire, if you can believe that. He said that that he was in touch right up until the guitarist's death and that they were friends. He says he told me that day that he had just had his first steroid shot. He talked about his his cancer diagnosis, and he was okay. And within two weeks, he was in the hospital. And from then on, we would talk, but then pretty soon he couldn't talk. And he sent me texts every day like, oh, my God, the chemo's terrible. And then it got to the point where he would just send little hearts at the bottom of a text. says, I love you, Ted, and that kind of uh, stuff. He says, one time he texted, Ted, you were the first one who ever believed in me. So that was really sweet. He says that Ed was really, really shy and that he, once he got his own studio going, he got really creative. And it was great to see all that happen, he said. And he said that really recording Ed was sticking a mic in front of his amp because he already had a great sound. He goes, he didn't have to do anything to it. He says they would lay down 30 songs in one day when they first got together to see everything that they had when he first got together with Van Halen. And he goes, he would never make a mistake. He always played perfectly. And he he did admit that Ed was a huge fan of the Dave Clark Five. He always noted that as his inspiration to getting into music. He said he was a very self-conscious guy because when he was in school, he only had spoke Dutch and and, and he was having trouble with English. So people kind of gave him a rough time in school. So he was a little insecure. And when he talked about eruption, 
He says that I walked out to use the restroom or get a coffee outside of Sunset Sound, and I heard him playing. It sounded something like you could only play on an organ, like a Bach fugue, or I couldn't even believe it was coming from a guitar. I was like, what the hell is that? And he says, oh, it's nothing, just something I warm up with before the show. I yelled at Don, roll tape, and he says, I'm already rolling. He said that Dave was super innovative and the lyrics that he came up with at the beginning were like nothing that was out there and Ed would pick up on a lyric and go somewhere with it. He said it was a true songwriting team and he says that you know they did have a bit of a problem with the relationship. Started really a kind of a crack in their relationship, believe it or not, was the dancing in the street situation because Ted had made Ed add his own composition to the Dancing in the Street cover. Ed had this riff. Ted suggested, why don't we make it into Dancing in the Street? And I thought it would be wild and kind of do this Motown thing and then it would be sort of like Summertown type of single. And that caused the real problem, he said. that He says, Ed didn't want me to do that and it was our only choice and we had to get the record out and that caused a riff which was uh, difficult. Then he said, I was just listening to outtakes of recordings where they're laughing on one take of Happy Trails and Ed's going, Ted, please don't make us laugh. So I'd get down on the floor so they couldn't see me and then Ed would go, where's Ted? Don't make us laugh. It's funny. You can hear all this stuff on the tape. So obviously... That's proof right there that there are outtakes. Outtakes exist. And he says they're really rare. I have the very first demo we did, and we took two days to do it. Last one, we did 40 songs, and Dave says that's all we got. And He also said that Ed used to call Mike Cannonmouth because of his huge ability to sing. And then he also said that that really, that the band really never fought in front of him. They just didn't click, he said. He said, I think it had to do with the early days because Dave used to boss them around like he was P.T. Barnum. He says, Dave's attitude was, you got to make a show out of this, Ed. You've got to dress this way. Al, you got to do this. He said there was problems because the guys didn't want him to get married. He says, Ted, I don't know what to do. I said, fuck those guys. You know, they can't tell you what to do in your life. You want to walk out right now? I'll walk out with you. And he says that later, Valerie thanked him for that kind of support that he gave Ed. He says Eddie never forgot that. And they called each other on each other's birthday. And they were always good friends and keeping contact. And he says they also had the falling out over Jump. And to this day, he claims that he does not like Jump. And he said it's weird because I produced it and it's a huge hit and obviously I was wrong. But he said that he wasn't wild about the keyboard trend and he realized he was wrong because it was a number one song. But he says, but I don't even listen to it. It's to me, they were a heavy metal fucking band that could do pop tunes. That's what I liked about them. But that took it into a whole other arena. It reminded me of those bands that played in arenas. Then the fucking thing ends up being played at every sports arena before a game. And he says, look, I was wrong. But he said he preferred more uh, like stuff like Panama. And ain't talking about love for sure. But at the end, he said Don Landy and Ted would call up Ed when he was in the hospital at Cedars and try to make him laugh the best they could. And that it got to where they took him and stuff and he, he didn't want to talk about some of the private stuff. But he says the misery he was going through was really hard to relate to or think about. So he said, I had to block it out. He says, I'll tell you, he was the last guy to think he was some kind of guitar god. He always hated that. 
So he says that Ed was, you know, different than most people because he was a triple threat. He said he wasn't just a shredder. He put stuff in there that no one else could do. He says all of his solos are melodic. He could play a Steinway in the studio and make it sound like a concert pianist. And he says, I think Ed's impact is because he brought pop stuff into his music. Everybody likes that. No matter how much you like other kinds of music, if you hear a really good pop tune, it just gets you. So that was interesting from Ted Day. What did you make of all that personal stuff? That was really touching. You know, he always had great respect for Ed. And again, you know, somebody else he had reconnected with and they were close. And I think Ted just hit the right balance of sharing enough that you could really understand and appreciate what Ed was going through without revealing too much. Yeah. Well, I mean, he certainly, I thought, really laid a lot out there. You know what I mean? It was obvious and very clear that he was in very close touch with him. Yeah. And that Ed was really doing worse than anybody suspected. Oh, yeah. I think that was apparent. I guess, look, sickness, illness, that stuff is private and it's just hard. And, you know, let's be honest, put yourself in Eddie's position. I mean, who wants to be in that position? I mean, you're someone like Eddie Van Halen and you're as public figure as that. Like, you know, he doesn't want people knowing all that ugly stuff. So I had Right, that. right. Yeah, yeah I, it's hard enough just being a celebrity. And now, Yo, this is like, you know, yeah. they're watching your every move till you die. Right. I mean, that's just horrible so, so who could blame the guy for keeping it private right yeah that's the truth also not that this is good but i mean like you know one comforting thing i should say because ed's you know obviously lived for his music so van halen's music is back on the charts dave if you can believe this so billboard's oh, yeah. top 200 yeah, album yeah. charts van halen one enters at number 30 1984 enters at 45 the best of volume one enters at 60 and at 166 is the best of both worlds compilation and on top of that okay the streams the top five most streamed songs were jump with 2.33 million followed by panama at 1.97 million running with the devil 1.78 million hot for teacher 1.51 million and eruption 1.37 million by the way all dave ever songs kind of interesting so yes. the, that's obviously surging. What do you make of that? Is that just, you think that's common for a post-death of a rock star? Oh, yeah. I mean, it happens all the time. And I, I think it's a, impressive for someone of Ed's stature. I mean, because didn't like their, their sales, including their streaming sales, I mean, they jumped up by like, it was over like 7,000 percent. It was or insane. Like that. Yeah, it was insane. Yeah. I mean, sadly, this is what happens when, when people pass away. But, I mean, this is how people grieve. You know, they listen to music and they realize they haven't listened to it in a while. Right. Or even if they have, they just, you know, they go on a binge and they and they listen to it. And streaming is, is an easy way to do that. So, yeah, lots of people were listening to it. I'm sad to see Ed go, but I'm glad that it was being played all over. As some people pointed out, well, you know, maybe... Uh, you know, the one good thing will be that since all his music is being played now, new people will discover his music. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Now we're switching gears a little bit over to Sammy Hagar's birthday bash 2020 on the beach at Catalina Island in California. So October 17th. Okay, this was a pay-per-view event. Dave, what was your overall impression? 
I thought it was very well done, mm-hmm. especially in light of the fact that, I mean, they basically pumped it out in like a week. Yeah, yeah, real right? quick, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was it was about two hours long. Yeah. I, I thought the performances were good, performances were solid. Yeah. Uh, obviously, the band had, you know, rehearsed, because there's always that risk that, you know, like, they hadn't played live in a while. Yeah. Although, Although the circle had been doing right uh, the video, so they weren't you know, but still they hadn't played together together. Right. I thought it was really interesting that they were playing on the beach to the water. Yeah. And you know, yeah. basically, like you couldn't really see an audience. I mean, everybody was on their boats. That's that's who their audience was. Right. It was it was it was yeah. very interesting, very surreal. It was impeccably filmed. I gorgeous, mean, gorgeous. It was, it was. <laughs> I mean, they really took advantage of the scenery of oh, Catalina. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it's Catalina Island, right? Catalina Island, yeah, off of California. And, and, and they they definitely had some drones going oh, on, totally, yeah, stuff yeah, overhead. But really well done, well filmed. I, I thought. The song selection was decent. Yeah. You know, they had a fair amount of Van Halen. Yeah, we're going to get they, into it. Yeah. Uh, they did good enough, which was a nice surprise. Yeah, I was going to say, that was a really nice surprise. You know, obviously sponsored by Santo Tequila and Sammy's Beach Bar Rum and Golden Road Fruit Cart Hard Seltzer. And boy, were they promoting these things. They had the banners everywhere. The Sammy's wearing the shirt. They're drinking the seltzer on the stage. They made a whole big production out of that. So right. I, well, I thought it was interesting that two out of the three sponsors were Sammy's company. Yeah, and I was wondering if Sammy owned the hard seltzer one, too. I was wondering. I was wondering about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah it's interesting. So his special guests were Kevin Cronin of Ariel Speedwagon and also Rick Springfield. By the way, Dave, Rick Springfield, are you ready for this? I want to I want to shock you. How old do you think Rick Springfield is and how old do you think Kevin Cronin is? This Pride, everyone's coming through for the Trevor Project on YouTube Shorts. Join us! Create a short showing how you're stepping up for Pride using the hashtag YouTube Pride Challenge. Come through for Pride on YouTube Shorts. Visit YouTube.com backslash Pride. There's something scary hiding in the back of your closet. Your bathing suits and summer clothes thing you're pretty sure don't fit anymore. What if there was a way to get into summer shape in one visit? Here's Dr. Brian Strand for Sonabello to explain. It really is quite remarkable. Sonabello doctors use a technology called microlaser fat removal, and the results are amazing. We customize your procedure to accomplish your goals. Just share with us the problem areas where you'd like the fat in inches removed. And in one visit, they're gone, permanently. I can't tell you how often I hear clients say how many years they've been trying to diet and exercise those inches away. And we did it in one comfortable visit. It's time to get your summer on. Visit any of our Sonabella locations across the U.S. And right now you can save $250. Visit sonobello.com slash save. sonobello.com slash save. That's sonobello.com slash save. Okay, I looked up Rick Springfield because when I saw him, I was like, Holy cow! Yeah, that guy looks fantastic. Unbelievable! How old is he? He's seventy-one. That guy. It, it, he looks. He looks like he's forty-seven years old. He does. He does. He looks like we always say Sam looks good, but Sam's got nothing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> On Rick Springfield, that guy. I don't know what his secret is. Yeah. But man, but so obviously 
You know, he looked good. He sounded good. Yeah, you know, fantastic. He played well. He's amazing. I yeah. thought, although I, w- I was, like, he got a whole song to himself. He got Jesse's Girl, of course, right? Yep. But I was kind of like, well, I don't know. I, I mean, it was nice to see Rick up there singing and all that. But I was right. like, I, like, I thought it was a Sammy show. Like, Sammy just disappeared. And I'm like, <laughs> you're, not, like yeah. you're not going to do the song with him? I know. I, and I, then I, they, like, uh, and then they did, um, I've done everything for you. Which is Sammy's song done by Rick Springfield covered it, yeah. Right, right, because Rick had a, Rick had a hit with it. Mm-hmm. But Sam almost, like, but Rick still did a lot of the main singing on that song. He did. Like, well, he, was no Sam, one. Sam really let the, let go of the rope. He did. Yeah. He did. Which is, okay, that's what you want to do, that's fine, but, like, for me, I would have been like, well, if they had exchanged verses, I think it would have been a cool duet. But still... It was obviously very loose. Right, yeah. But, you know, still, it was still well done, well played, and Kevin Cronin came out, and he's no slouch of a singer, and they were all doing background vocals. Yep. And, you know, then they did changes. Roll with the changes. Roll with the changes. Mario Speedwagon Uh song, uh and... Kevin did well. I don't know how old Kevin Cronin is. Are you how ready for Kevin? this? If I told you he's younger than Rick Springfield, would you believe me? Yeah, I would actually, yeah. <laughs> uh, he's 69, your favorite number. And, okay. um, and, All right. and, and believe it or not, he's two years younger than Rick Springfield. He looks like he could be Rick Springfield's grandfather. <laughs> well, I don't know if I'd go that far, but, but or at Rick least his dad. At least look, his dad. Look, Rick does look really good. So yeah, I don't know like what vitamins insane. he's taking, or what plastic surgeon he's seeing, yeah. or like what he's doing. But whatever he's doing, he's he's <laughs> a perfect it, example it, of good genes. I, I yeah, yeah, I guess, and, and, and the guy's definitely working out. I mean, but anyway, I'm not I'm not going to keep fawning over yeah. over Rick's. It was so. unbelievable. So, if, but yeah, but yeah. no, they. I mean, both those guys sounded decent, yeah. and, and they were just both ecstatic to play live. Yeah, and who could blame them? Right? Absolutely, I mean, they had a really nice setup. It was basically the stage was on the beach with like huts right. behind them, and there was a few people on the beach, but mainly, like Dave said, the audience was in the water on boats, and they were on all different kinds of boats. They were on like motorboats and kayaks and dinghies and and yachts, huge yachts and fishing boats and all kinds of boats. It was really really cool. It was picture perfect, gorgeous. Oh I mean, it was God, like could have asked it looked it weather. looked like utopia, gorgeous. I mean, it was like crazy. It was. It was. Yeah. It, it was. It was really nice. Sam sounded good. Yeah, he sounded great. He came out. Sam was wearing his. White pants and his, you know, his Sammy Beach Bar rum shirt, which he never seems to take off. He, right. he brought out his Red Shark guitar from the 5150 tour and played One Way to Rock. They opened up and they did like kind of the Van Halen version, I like to call, of One Way to Rock, which is, you know, Vic was ripping it up, sounded absolutely fantastic. It's incredible how much Vic adds to this Sammy show. This guy is unbelievable. He sounds like a great voice, unbelievable player, adds so much. And they really started things off with a bang, went right into I Can't Drive 55. Wow. They, all night long, Sammy is shouting out the wrong dates all night long. Well, actually, I was going to say he did get some dates right. At the end. He got a couple he at the did. end right. He did. But, but he, yeah, he, he was screwed always up. like a year or so. I know. He He's always like so a off. year off. So he shouts out for I Can't Drive 55, 1985, which was obviously 1984. 
And Michael Anthony came in and did the last verse. Sammy's called the concert a dream come true. I've been trying to do this for a long time. And then he goes back to 1992 when he played Pound Cake. And obviously Pound Cake's 1991. But that was beautifully filmed, nice and crisp. Sammy had his full beard, which was really cool. Notice, Dave, though, Sammy, uh, he passed a few high notes. He kind of let them go. And he, he sang a little lower on some stuff, which was sort of interesting. But he is in amazing shape. I love that he brought out two songs from his three lock box days he played your love is driving me crazy i love that song and he played that isn't that one of carrie's favorite songs yes it is she loves right, that his song. wife his mm-hmm. wife likes that song yeah, she right? likes it she loves it yeah and that was really kind of cool and three lock box as well which is another raise a toast he did that was really nice he they did a then they got into some of the more VH stuff. They did Finish What You Started, and Michael shouted out a shot of VH for you. He said it was just something strange, Dave, about a 73-year-old man screaming, I need some pussy. I mean, that was a little, what can I tell you? <laughs> I know. I don't know. Well, I was never really a fan of him doing that. Yeah, I know. VH I know. Anyway. It's a little bizarre. Like Dave mentioned earlier, good enough. Oh. This was a nice gem. I'm so glad that they added this to the set list. He says, we've never played this song before live, meaning the circle, of course. It's 5150 time. It's a tribute to Eddie tonight, he said. He he shared the mic with Michael Anthony while wearing a mask, which was kind of funny. He was fooling around with a watermelon tube in the front there. Then he started taking beer and rum and drinking them at the same time, which was kind of funny. He he also noted that the people in Catalina were a lot easier than the people in Mexico. Mexico, and he goes, and I own my place in Mexico, and he goes, I don't own anything here yet. So you can just see yeah, he's already thinking about think, I think he stumbled across something with Catalina Island, because, you know, he's been trying to do something yep, yep. in Cabo for years. And it was Kari who found it. She had said, right. let's take a trip to Catalina Island today. He said, okay, and then they ended up filming the whole show there, which was wild. Now, this move, I thought, was a very strange move of the night. Playing Little White Lie. Now, that was the song that he wrote. There's something scary hiding in the back of your closet. Your bathing suits and summer clothes, thing you're pretty sure don't fit anymore. What if there was a way to get into summer shape in one visit? Here's Dr. Brian Strand for Sonobello to explain. It really is quite remarkable. Sonobello doctors use a technology called microlaser fat removal, and the results are amazing. We customize your procedure to accomplish your goals. Just share with us the problem areas where you'd like the fat in inches removed. And in one visit, they're gone, permanently. I can't tell you how often I hear clients say how many years they've been trying to diet and exercise those inches away. And we did it in one comfortable visit. It's time to get your summer on. Visit any of our Sonobella locations across the U.S. And right now, you can save $250. Visit sonobello.com slash save. sonobello.com slash save. That's sonobello.com slash save. At Smoky Bones, meat is what we do, and we do it all while taking our inspiration from everywhere, from New York strips and buffalo wings to St. Louis ribs drenched in Kansas City sauce. Our meat mastery knows no bounds. We grill it, smoke it, pull it, carve it, you name it. So come try our new rib feast. That's a house rack of ribs, two sides, garlic bread, and a drink for just $19.99 when you dine in. At Smoky Bones, meat is what we do. Limited time only while supplies last were permitted by law. 
as sort of a nasty ribbing to Eddie when he got kicked out of the band. Why that song? That was an odd choice, didn't you think? Well, lyrically, I get where you're coming from, but, yeah. it, you know, if he wants a, a little of a slight bluesy turn. Yeah. No, no, I love the song. I love the song. That's the way to go. And and like Dave said, you know, Rick Sprinkle came out to Jesse's Girl. They did I've Done Everything For You. And I, I actually think Rick Springfield does a crazy good job with that song. And I thought this was kind of a funny moment. Sammy Hagar said, Rick's my new drinking partner. His manager doesn't like me, but he's going to get used to me. And I was like, oh, shit. I can't believe yeah, you like, said what that. Is, what is that what mean? What the hell? What does that mean? That was odd. And, <laughs> and then uh, they gave the mic to Kevin Cronin, did Roll With The Changes. I thought Mikey fit in really good on those Ario harms right back there. That yeah, was really nice. Yeah, yeah, and that was kind of yeah. cool. And Kevin uh, celebrating his recent birthday just a couple of days before the show. Then they showed some side stuff of the Sammy going through the Catalina Museum and the band going through the Avalon Casino room there and stuff like yeah, that. that. You know, on one hand, that stuff was interesting yeah. to learn about the island. Yeah. But on the other hand, it kind of disrupted the flow of the show. I totally agree with you. I totally agree. I think that's absolutely the truth. There was obviously a serious moment in the show when we mentioned earlier that, that he did a moment of silence for Eddie. He didn't even mention his name except Mike screamed out, Eddie, we love you. He says, uh, there's a moment of silence. You know why. That's what Sammy said. And then Mike said, we love you, Eddie. And then they went into right now. It was sort of interesting to have that moment of silence and then the keyboards to right now starting. It was a very sort of chilling moment. And right now, they, they said it's a celebration of reality. Right now, we're having a party in Catalina. And it says, this music will live forever. And then they shouted, double shot of VH. Let's go back to 1986. So he finally gets the date right. They go right, right. That, I was so happy when... Yeah. Right. That Incredible. <laughs> then they went into Why Can't This Be Love? And Mike took a verse on that. Then yes, they right, uh, right. went into heavy metal and they turned things up a bit. And Mike took a verse on that. And Vic took a third verse, which he has good voice, Vic. So that Vic was did a lot of singing yeah. on that. Song. Vic's, Vic's, Vic is the MVP of that band. He does a lot of stuff fill in and behind the scenes then they went off and did Mas Tequila and they didn't do call it Mesquila Dave. they actually did the original Mas Tequila version uh, Vic's got yes. a cra- crazy hot yes. solo you know there. what yeah. Mike had a crazy intro yep to that song yep but they really didn't have the camera on him when they were starting the song and I was kind of like, oh, come on, can't this guy get any respect for, like, <laughs> I know, I know. for, for like 10 seconds? Because you could right. hear the bass line. And I was like, wow, Mike is really bringing it on for this song. Right. But then him and Sam started messing with drinks and stuff like that. Then they got into the song. But that was like a Mike bass highlight for me was the intro to that song right absolutely so then you know they're obviously you know fighting the darkness because they they want to get everything in before it starts getting dark then they close the show with affirmation from the latest album a space between and i thought it was a really nice cap at the end even though it was like a new song to add at the end i thought this circle sounded fantastic sandy said we're going to come back and do four to five shows a year he wanted us to play that ballroom that he was talking about earlier on yeah well we'll we'll see we'll see if that happens we'll we'll see they brought out a red guitar cake and they sang happy birthday to sammy and they started tossing chunks of cake into the crowd which is weird oh yeah that was bizarre yeah it was that was that was absolutely yeah i know it's absolutely sammy says it's my birthday every day for the rest of my life and now this was funny so i'm watching the show and i'm seeing 
the credits go by, and they're just doing like a little noodling backstage, and I see that the set list runs, and it says Eagles Fly. And I said, oh, I, shit. I caught the, right, and I, I caught yeah, the same yeah, thing. Yeah, and then I said, they must have cut that. And so then, this is interesting. So as a note comes on the screen, a black screen with white writing says, this was from rehearsal, not intended to be in the actual show, but due to the unfortunate, untimely death of a loved one, I wanted to include it in the concert. R.I.P. Sammy. And then Sammy comes on. He says, I dedicate the song to Mr. Eddie Van Halen. I wrote the song when I first joined Van Halen. And he played Eagles Fly on the electric guitar. And then the band came in and, and really, you know, filled out the song. And I thought that was sort of a nice little tribute. They did a nice nice little tribute. Mike shouting out, Ed, doing the moment of silence into Right Now, the Eagles Fly thing. I think they tastefully handled it, don't you think? No, I, I they did. Yeah. They did. It didn't overwhelm the show. Right. But yeah, you could you could tell what he said when they were doing that moment of silence for right now. Like yeah. that's when it hit them. I had done Van Halen songs before that and after yeah. that. Yeah. But then it was more like a celebration. I mean, because Eddie just passed away. I think it was like two days before. Yeah. Exactly. So you can only imagine like what's going through their heads while while they're doing this. Yeah. But like I said, overall it was, it was a good show. They they did a great job. I know uh, Sam and Mike probably had a lot of on their minds while they were doing it but Absolutely. it was cool and like like we said it was it was just beautifully filmed just in, yeah. impeccably gorgeous now here's a question dave do you think he releases yeah. a dvd a live cd from this no no really well no because i don't think anybody's releasing live dvds anymore yeah i guess so but like i i don't right. no no you know why dave because isn't there like another show he did a few years ago Yes, he uh, did. That was like a one shot. Yes, it, it was. Well, no, he did Red Till I'm Dead, which is I'm still trying to find that goddamn thing. Well, wasn't that thing like you, you went to the theater for like a day or something yes. like that? You yes, yes. The theater, like same, and and like that hasn't come out. I know. Right? I think it's going to be the the same type of thing. I really think Sammy needs to do a birthday box set. I'm sure he's got through the years like some of the best of the birthday shows or something like that. But I, listen, I thought overall they had a nice, healthy portion of Van Halen. I'm so glad they didn't do When It's Love. You know what I mean? Obviously, you know, <laughs> I, I, but I, I appreciated the addition of good enough. And obviously you're going to get the why can't this be love and, and finish what you started. But Pound Cake right now were awesome. They sounded great. Good enough sounded great. It was all kind of nice. They, I thought they had a good amount of. And I love the Sammy choices, man. I loved hearing your love is driving me crazy and, and hearing no, Little it, White it was, Lie. Yeah, it was a decent set list. Decent set list. Decent performance. It was. It was very. It was good. It was well done. It was. Yeah. It was worth. It was worth. What, what, it was worth the twenty bucks or whatever yeah. we paid. Uh, so. and, and for for Dave to open up that wallet and get that twenty dollars out there. Wow, that was I a know. miracle in and of itself. It, it was. It was. True. And now, <laughs> David Lee Roth appeared on the CBS News Sunday morning. They did like a little segment on his sumia, I guess they call it, which is the Japanese freehand style of drawing with the special ink that they make in Japan. And they kind of focused on his new hobby. 
and said that he studied for two years in Tokyo. They went to his house and did this whole thing, and Dave was interesting. He was looking like he had like a shaggy mop top type of thing, and he was all in his overalls with all the paint swabs all over him. He says that he's always used his celebrity for travel. He says, let's go and get into it. You know, they said, well, are you retiring from the road? And he says, well, I'm in my 45th year now. And he says, you know, it's kind of great to see me, but not every year. Kind of like family. That was sort of interesting. And he talked about what his whole soggy bottoms that he does, all these drawings that he does to social media. He says, my visual art is complaining. It's graphic therapy. I say through my graphic art what every folk likes to say to their TV set when you actually don't think anybody's listening. You know, you're just sort of screaming at the TV. He also said that he always wanted to get a giant boat and, like, sail around the world. So he's sort of a, just an interesting, eclectic, crazy dude. I mean, it's like, I mean, you have to see him talk about that. I mean, he's so fucking funny. He, he talked about his years doing the EMS training. And he says, I wasn't somebody until I put on that uniform. And he goes, no one calls 911 to wish you happy Hanukkah. I mean, I just. Right, he's right. Just, I yeah, mean, he a, really has a high, a high level of respect for yeah. when he was doing that. He's quite a character. Now, SNL did a little small Eddie Van Halen tribute on the week Eddie passed. The host was comedian Bill Burr. During the goodnights, he wore a Van Halen t-shirt, and he said, Rest in peace, Eddie Van Halen. Jack White was the artist who played, and he played a Wolfgang guitar. And they also played a clip of Eddie on SNL playing a stompin' 8-H with G.E. Smith and Saturday Night Live Band from 1987 when Val hosted the show. So that was sort of interesting. We also had another Van Halen death, Dave. We shouldn't let this go by as if Mark Stone died. The original Van Halen bassist died on September 26th from cancer. Kind of bone-chilling just days from when Eddie passed. Mark was with Van Halen back in 1972 when he was playing with Ed and Al prior to David Lee Roth even getting into the band. They were in a trio called Genesis, if you can believe it or not. He was there through the incarnation of Mammoth and the backyard parties through the hundreds of cover tunes that they played the, that famous party that had to be broken up by the police helicopter. In 1974, he parted ways with the band and uh, they hired Michael Anthony. He said that he couldn't keep up with them. So what do you make of Mark Stone passing? Yeah, it was like a precursor to Ed passing. You can find some of like the early demos. He's on some of those. Right. And he had created the first Van Halen logo. Oh, right. The one that looks like a, like a roller skating version of it. Yeah. Kind, yeah, kind of sort of. I mean, not the one on Van Halen 1, but the one they had been using when they were a club band. It's like it was written in an ice cream shop or something. You know what I mean? It's like with those long, like, extended things. Yeah. Kind of funny. Yeah. yeah. And also, you could read about him in Greg's book, Van Halen Rising. So he's, Oh, yeah, for yeah, sure. For sure. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Now, Sammy and the Circle did another at-home sessions, number 10, with Sympathy for the Human. And here's a clip.
all playing remotely. Now, Dave, was it me or was this the studio version? Were they actually playing live? No, they were because I, <laughs> I'll tell you why, why I know that. Because I wasn't that familiar with the song, so I went back to listen to the studio version. Okay. Okay. So it, 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 it they're yeah. not, they're not air guitaring and lip syncing over the studio. Version. Okay. Okay. Well, this is from Sammy's 1999 Red Voodoo album, which is the second album after he left Van Halen. It was uh, very good, I thought. Underrated song. Not a lot of attention paid to that song, so they shine a light on that. You know, whenever they had each guy in a circle, whenever they started doing a solo or playing, they would highlight their name in red. So there's all kinds of cool effects happening with the at-home sessions. What do you think of this, Dave? Yeah, I don't know. That song doesn't really... The song is, like, okay. As a song selection, I thought they could have done better. I don't think it's one of Sammy's better songs. I mean, lyrically, it's perfect for the times. But musically, I was just like, meh, I don't know. It wasn't one of the, the better ones that they've done. Right. Speaking of meh, David Crosby got a shit ton poured on him. When he asked his opinion of Eddie Van Halen, David Crosby tweeted, meh. And this meh was the meh heard around the world because everybody dumped on him from Tracy Guns to D. Snyder. And I tell you, it was unbelievable. What David Crosby said, he says, Hendrix changed the world of guitar. Nobody else really. Look, I get it. Many of you loved Van Halen. And the one time I met him, he was nice. And he was talented. Meh to me means I don't care that much. And I don't. Doesn't mean he wasn't good, but he was not for me. So now fans wanted to rip this guy a new one, especially, you know, everybody loves Eddie and uh, David Crosby, man. I, I tell you, he would have, listen, he. Well, I he, think apparently he had issues like kind of like a. I know. Yeah, but then he, he said he, he, he I forgot Eddie died. Right. Come on. Right. Come on. Dude. Well. <laughs> he did a lot of drugs in his time, you know. So I mean, the other thing you got to realize is, you know, his own son passed away, or his own child passed away earlier this year. Yeah. So yeah, that's true. Well, listen, I have nothing against David Crosby, but I just, it just, if you're not a fan, I mean, but just, you know, to say man, I mean, my mom doesn't listen to Van Halen, but she's not going to say man. I mean, I you know, know. I mean, it's well, like, you know, it's like, you know, I, mean, I don't play golf. At Kroger, we believe it takes the right team to bring you the freshest produce. That's why we partner with farmers who grow only the best. And that level of teamwork means better, fresher options time and time again. Working with farmers is what it takes to be fresh for everyone. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the buy five or more, save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Kroger, fresh for everyone. From world conflicts to falling financial markets, natural disasters, and more. Wish the headlines would just stop? It's not a newsflash that life can feel like a pressure cooker. From managing work to building relationships, it's easy to feel overwhelmed. And for many of us, anxiety and stress are constant companions. But you are not alone. Support is out there, just waiting to meet you. And you can find it through friendly people at churchescare.com. At churchescare.com, we know that finding your community can feel intimidating. That's why we do the heavy lifting for you. Churchescare.com helps connect people like you to churches that can support and serve you. 
In your new community, you'll find a group of people ready to talk, listen, and help you navigate life through its twists and turns. All you have to do is come as you are. If you're ready to find your community, visit churchescare.com today. That's C-H-U-R-C-H-E-S care.com. We look forward to serving you. I don't watch golf, but Tiger Woods was unbelievable. So, I mean, like, what? Like I would never say, meh. I mean, if you want to say meh to golf, like you're not into golf, that's fine. I, I think he got caught. In yeah, he got caught in the web. And, yeah, yeah and, and everyone just dumped on him, so. All right, well, what are you going to do? Now, Guitar World, surprisingly, and actually timing was unbelievable, they're celebrating their 40th anniversary, and they put Eddie on the cover. 40 guitarists that changed the world since 1980. So this was kind of coincidental because Eddie Van Halen was on the cover with this killer picture from 1979 when Eddie was like early 20s and he's got the Bumblebee guitar. And they said the eruption changed everything in less than two minutes and set new standards and new foundation for Shred. And, of course, the other guitarists on the list were Tom Morello and Stevie Ray Vaughan and Slash and Izzy Stradlin and Steve Vai and The Edge. Alex Lifeson from Rush, Kurt Cobain from Nirvana, Zach Wilde, Nuno Betancourt, Randy Rhodes, Kurt Hammett, Brian Setzer, Joe Bonamassa, Jason Becker, Malcolm and Angus Young, Joe Satriani, Joan Jett, Billy Gibbons, Derek Trucks, Ingve Malmsteen, and more and more and more. So obviously Eddie's in really good company there, and I can only imagine the tributes that Guitar World is going to come out with. So oh, yeah. I'm, I'm going to tell everybody. I'm going to him. tell everybody. Listen, they love him. Do yourself a favor and keep an eye out because they're probably going to do some special edition issues coming up because they have some great – they should put out a book. They should even not even do a special issue. They should put out a book with what they have on Eddie. And I know they That's did true. one That's many, true. many, many years ago, a small version of one. But I would like to personally – buy David Crosby a subscription to Guitar World magazine. <laughs> maybe maybe it would change that math to a huh? So uh we'll see uh, what happens. Funny. And the last item of this incredibly long and epic Van Halen news. I think it might be November already. Is Ray Luzier, Dave. You remember Ray? He was David Lee Ross, former drummer. Right. He is currently in the band Corn. He was in the DLR band that he played with Roth during many different periods of his solo career. And he announced that he's writing a book. And he put it right up front that 50% of the book will be about his eight years with David Lee Roth. And his quote is, I love him to death, meaning Roth. He is the most amazing and one of the best entertainers ever. There's a lot there. There's a lot of content. This was in his recent interview on WMMR from Philadelphia. And what do you make of that? Huh? Wow. So Ray's writing a book? Ray is writing a book. A young man to write a book. But I love that he said 50% of the book is going to be on David Lee Roth. I'm I'm looking forward to that for sure. Looking forward to that. And so we are looking forward to the rest of this episode. And that wraps up Van Halen News. And that's the way it is. Good night. And my God, this is going to be a feast for thine ears. Dave and I are going to rate our top ten Eddie Van Halen moments. 
And that is going to be all listed going back and forth between the two of us, what we think are Eddie's most shining moments. And we have not revealed these to each other. We do it right on the air so you guys can enjoy that. And that is going to be followed by our interview with Jake C. Miller of Completely Unchained, the Van Halen tribute band. And Jake is the closest tribute guy to Eddie. And he is speaking about his love and a dedication to Edward Van Halen. And we have an interview with Derek Sherinian, the keyboardist for Sons of Apollo and Black Country Communion. He is a hardcore Eddie fan. He absolutely adores Eddie, plays Eruption on the keyboards, plays Spanish Fly on the keyboards, played And the Cradle Will Rock with Sons of Apollo in his band. He played with Eddie at that crazy party at his house in, what was it, like 2006 or something like that, Dave? Right, right. Really Really right, yeah, wild yeah, yeah. stuff from him. We spoke to him on the day Eddie died. He has a new solo album called The Phoenix Out. Really fantastic record. And before that, Dave, oh my God, we got a massive mailbag. I don't think Dave's going to make it. It's going to be tough. But wow, this is this is a whopper of an episode. We are going. Well, yeah, yeah. This for is sure. this, this is for beyond sure. uh, all measures here. But right. it's all coming up next. Take a listen. What I'm doing on stage is is me. That's the only thing I can do. I put everything I got into what I do on record or live, and I'm glad people like it. If you need a dose of VH, get a taste of the closest thing. Romeo Delight, the ultimate Van Halen tribute band, playing all the hits from the David Lee Roth era, first classic six albums plus deep cuts, some of which have never been played live before by the band. They even throw in popular tracks from the Sammy Hagar era and solo hits. The most viewed Van Halen tribute band on YouTube, Romeo Delight, doing customized recreations of staging instruments and costumes from the classic Van Halen era. They even perform entire Van Halen albums in sequence. Romeo Delight plays theaters, casinos, summer indoor and outdoor festivals, and special events. They're also available for private parties. To contact them, call Bud Blanche at 215-704-5144. That's 215-704-5144. Or via email at sonicparade1 at yahoo.com. Romeo Delight, the ultimate Van Halen tribute band. Hey, folks, this is Steve I. You're listening to Dave and Dave Unchained, so turn it up. Are you a guitar enthusiast? Want to learn all the tricks and licks of the trade? Searching for that Eddie Van Halen sound and speed? Want to play in the style of Alex Lifeson of Rush, Mick Mars of Motley Crue, or Brian May of Queen? Then sign up for Zoom lessons from the best. Lance Turner, the guitarist for the number one Van Halen tribute band, the Atomic Punks. Lance will take you on as his personal student in the comfort of your own home on Zoom. To sign up, contact Lance via email at lancetlessons at gmail.com. Lessons are at an affordable rate of $40 an hour. Email Lance today at lancetlessons at gmail.com. That's L-A-N-C-E-T-L-E-S-S-O-N-S at gmail.com. And learn how to jam like a star. I start playing guitar till I have something on my own that I like to do and people will look at me and go hey he's good at something I never bargained for all of this I 
don't think I'm any different than anyone who comes to see us play. It really isn't an inferiority thing. It's just the way I feel. All right, Dave, you know what time it is. Well, my buddy Dave, you don't want me around. He says he's tired of watching me let him down. He just wants a good mailbag. He wants only the best. But he hates disappointment better than all the rest. And he says that he thinks that I'm headed for a whole lot of trouble. Well, he thinks that I'm headed for a whole lot of trouble. Well, he thinks that I'm headed for a whole lot of trouble. If I don't nail the mailbag in trolls. That's right, it's mailbag time again. And oh my god. Alright, so just to let everybody know, we have to do this on a separate night. That's how big the mailbag is. And we have made it an hour earlier and we filled Dave full of Starbucks so he could stay awake. Because we all know... He gets sleepy. That's right. There he is. And while we certainly appreciate everybody who wrote in, and somebody had some very long and nice tributes to Ed, thank mm-hmm. you so much for taking the time for that. Yep. We just couldn't possibly read everything that everybody wrote. Oh, yeah, so much, yeah. So sorry if we didn't read it all, but right. like Dave said, we just had so much mail. Yeah, it's, it's like, it's like but, letters to the North Pole over here. But thank you very much. For everybody who wrote in and took the time to do so, we really do appreciate it. Of Thank course. you. Absolutely, absolutely. Obviously, continually mourning Ed and, and everything that goes on with his family, and obviously, it's a week that it's been since he's gone, and it's hard to believe, but as we all moving forward. So, all right, so letter number one comes from Greg Chaffee from, I think, Orange County. He says OC. I'm assuming that's Orange County. Okay. He says, just wondering, do you guys follow Jack Black on Instagram? He does these small video clips where he's simply in front of the camera, plays different songs, and reacts to them in only the way he can. He has done Hot for Teacher and Eruption, and they are awesome. I have listened to all your shows, and I really appreciate the time and effort you put into each of them. Greg Chaffee. Well, Greg, I do. I follow Jack Black on Instagram, and he is continually entertaining, that's for sure. And he's a total rock guy, and he's he doesn't put it on. He doesn't put it on. He really is a fan of whatever he is singing or joking around about, and he's a hardcore Van Halen fan, so he loves VH. And he totally captures the spirit of the music that we love, and that's obviously was encapsulized in his role in School of Rock, which is why that movie was so great. It's all because of Jack. Any comment, Dave? No, I, I actually haven't heard Jack Black do that, so. Yeah, okay. I can't speak to that. Okay, no problem. Dave's not a big social media guy, so he doesn't really, uh, you know, remember. Dave's a lot older than me, so he doesn't really know about social media. He's a full, yeah, he's those, a full those, three those, days. Those, those, <laughs> I was going to say, those three days put me over the edge. It puts you right over the edge. Okay, letter number two comes from Ken Whaler, and he says, Hey, guys, listening to your podcast, episode 54, and you talk about Little Dreamer Ale. Have you ever seen Everybody Wants Some Double IPA made by the Hoof-Hearted Brewing Company out of Ohio? I just got a four-pack this week, and as a Van Halen fan, you know I had to have it. 
Love the podcast, and it keeps me company on my long runs. Ken Whaler. Okay, Ken. Well, listen, everybody wants some double IPA. I have not tried that yet. I'd love to try some. If the company would like to send us some, uh, Dave and I would happily accept some samples from the Hoof-Hearted Brewing Company. But uh, I have to tell you, I look forward to sipping a cold Panama Pilsner, if that's going to be coming out soon. So we shall see. Dave? Always looking forward to a, a Van Halen beer. I haven't had any, but I did see pictures of that one, and I do love the artwork that yeah. they put on there. Very nice. The artwork is very, very cool. It's exciting to see that there's that much enthusiasm for a band that's as old as Van Halen to be putting out beers, which is kind of cool. Letter number three comes from... Devon Miller. Devon makes cartoon balloons in town. All right, here we go. Listened to the August podcast and wanted to make a comment about Wolfgang's reference to the song Me Wise Magic and how they couldn't do that song because his dad needed a special guitar. This song was recorded using the Steinberger Trans Trem guitar. This is the same guitar Eddie used for the Summer Nights and Get Up recordings. At one point, he also had a PV Wolfgang guitar retrofitted with a Steinberger Trans Trem bridge. I do remember pictures of this on the internet of the Steinberger guitar being sent for repair a while back. Perhaps that was because Wolf wanted to do the song live. Talking about when we reviewed the Balance album, he had sent in a letter about how he liked Eddie's guitar tone. He said, your speculation on the cause was around the time Eddie switched over to PV Wolfgang guitars. And I decided to do a little digging. While it was true that the PV and Fender Wolfgang guitars are a bit darker sounding when compared to the Frankenstrack, Kramer, and Music Man guitars, I did find out that Eddie was also making modifications to his amplifiers at that time. PV started making the smaller combo amps of the original 5150 with an extra tube to the amps to keep the sound big, and Eddie liked that extra tube to the PV5152, and he carried that idea over to the Fender 5153 amps. Extra tube adds extra compression and distortion to the tone, making the guitar sound more squishy and the notes less distinct. In my opinion, it's too much distortion and the notes are not allowed to breathe, as much as they did on earlier albums. Devon Miller, he's also said he's in a band called Standing Hampton. I wonder if that's a Sammy Hagar tribute band. Interesting. What do you think, Dan? Mm. He's not the first person who's talked about Ed's more modern tone and compared it to his older one and has made that statement that the notes were clearer in the old days. I've heard that before. I'm not a tone chaser, so I, I don't hear that stuff as much as other people. Right. I was usually a fan of Ed's tone. I, I liked it for a, a different kind of truth and all the tours we saw. Mm -hmm. But hats off to people... Who can tell the difference? And they're mainly musicians. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. well, certainly, I mean, my ears are shot, so yeah, no. certainly, certainly not me. Right. Well, we bowed to uh, Eric on that from the EVH podcast. He, he's the man to ask those kinds of questions with for sure. I appreciate you doing the research, Devon. Ed was always searching for the best sound, and he would stop at nothing to make that happen, which was what made Eddie so interesting in addition to his playing, people rarely know that, yes, of course, Eddie had a unique sound and tone, but and that came from his talent and his feel, but he also was a master crafter at, like, tinkering and, and playing with knobs and, and all kinds of tubes, and he would do anything and everything to get the sound. 
Letter number four comes from Eric Frazier. And Eric says, hey guys, one amazing interview to get would be Ed's guitar tech from the early years, Rudy Lurin. He is a bit of a recluse, but would have so much insight, especially during the club days and the first couple of tours. Eric Frazier. Well, Eric, I'd love to talk to Rudy, that's for sure. But I reached out, but I haven't heard back. However, he would make a killer interview for sure, but it's also if he's willing to come on and be forthcoming about talking about the old days and stuff like that. But I am trying to actively get him on the podcast, so keep that in mind. What about you, Dave? Oh, that guy's got to have killer stories for sure. So if anybody knows Rudy and can convince him to come on the podcast, we'd <laughs> love to hear his stories. Exactly. Half the battle is finding them. The other half is convincing them to come on. And that right. is, a, that is right. a battle that I deal with all the time. Letter number five from Steve Ustick from Grand Rapids, Michigan. I've noticed that on nearly every Dave era Van Halen live concert bootleg, the guy who introduces Van Halen always delivers the most perfect and amazing intro imaginable for that band and the way he bellowed, I give you the mighty Van Halen. I don't think I've ever heard a better intro for any band since. Who is that guy? And did he continue when Sammy joined the band in 1986? Or was he gone when Dave left? Great podcast. Thank you. Steve Ustick and Grand Rapids, Michigan. Well, it's interesting you should ask because that man is Rudy Lurin. <laughs> <laughs> he's Ed's, is that right? Yeah, he's Ed's guitar tech. He was the guy who used to do that. I believe so. As far as I remember and have researched, it is Rudy who used to do that. Yes, he did an excellent job. I would say another guy who is similar to that guy in terms of hyping the crowd up is the guy who does it for Kiss. Who goes, ladies and gentlemen, the hottest band in the world, Kiss! They never carried through with the mighty Van Halen thing with Sam. It wasn't even happening back then. So No, and a lot of people equate the mighty Van Halen yes. with David with, Lee. Yeah, with David Lee. That's like a whole day of everything, for sure. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Letter number six comes from JSK. Love the interview with the Atomic Punks. I saw them in 2014 at the Riviera Theater in North Tonawanda, New York. It was an amazing show, and my favorite song that night was Mean Street. All right. Well, yes, awesome. That's for sure. The Atomic Punks are legit. They are great guys to begin with. I also want to let you know, Lance Turner is giving guitar lessons. If you guys are interested in getting the Eddie tone and the feel, Lance is the guy. And we have a, an ad actually this month from Lance. So for those of you who want to get lessons from Lance Turner, he is available to do them via Zoom. All you have to do is email him at lancetlessons at gmail.com. That's lancetlessons lessons at gmail.com there's also an ad in our podcast this month for Lance so you can uh, check it out there as well okay letter number seven comes from Barcelona Spain Dave you can believe that and Kevin is writing us he says given how much crap the entire band gave Michael Anthony in 1984 especially in light of the information that came out on Noel Monk's book why did they continue with Michael Anthony as the bass player from 1986 and onwards. If having him on the songwriting credits was such a bone of contention, why is he listed as a co-writer on all the songs on those huge albums post-1986? 
Maybe there was pressure from the record label to have some sort of continuity. Losing Roth and Anthony in one go would have been too much. I also think he was closer with Alex than people realized. Maybe there's no animosity at all, and everything was blown out of proportion. What do you think? Kevin Lowe from Barcelona, Spain. That might have been some sort of financial arrangement that was separate from what was listed on the album. It sounds like there's some sort of contractual thing there, don't you think, Dave? Yeah, I mean, the only thing I could think of is that they listed him as a songwriter because maybe they still had to, but maybe he had a smaller piece of the pie now or something like that. Yeah. It had I mean, who, who knows what happens behind the scenes on these things? Letter number eight comes from Dave Ivey, and he is from Brazil. All, all over the map this time, Dave. And awesome. Yeah, it's incredible. And he says, My hero Eddie Van Halen has passed. His music inspired me more than any other artist. And although I knew it hurt when he passed, I never imagined it would hurt this much. I met him once at an Atlanta airport. Both he and Alex were so nice. And when I told him I saw them in Santo Paulo, Brazil, they were the ones asking me questions about Brazil and why I lived there and what it was like. And I left them and I turned to Eddie and said, I just want to thank you for creating such fantastic music. And it had and continues to have a tremendous impact on me. I caught him off guard and he was genuinely appreciative. I'm so happy and glad that that happened. And he says he's been listening to Van Halen catalog nonstop since Eddie passed and that his nickname in high school was Mr. Van Halen. And he said, I admit now that I understand better some of the things that have happened over the past few months. He said, number one, David Lee Roth was definitely in the inner circle and had a very good idea of what was happening because he stated that Van Halen, as we know it, would never tour again or be the same. Number two, Eddie and the Van Halen camp did not feel the same about Sammy, who was totally in the dark. Number three, this explains why Wolfie's album has been slow to be released and his head was elsewhere. Considerations for the future. Will Wolfie take the lead and focus on releasing old material from the vault? And then he says, also, will there be any kind of tribute show? Would Dave and Sammy participate together? Thinking of the entire Van Halen family, we are all suffering. God bless Eddie. Stay frosty. Dave Ivey from Brazil, a.k.a. Mr. Van Halen. Okay, great. Well, Dave, thank you so much all the way from Brazil. That's really exciting that we've reached people that far. We welcome uh, you guys writing letters from all over the world, which is absolutely fantastic. In terms of the archival situation with Wolf, you know, it really all depends on Ed's wishes. You know, when people pass or people make wills, sometimes especially if they're sick, you know, they know ahead of time or maybe they make some plans. You just don't know you know, what they've decided, or maybe they've left it in the hands of Al, or, you know, whoever has made that kinds of decision. We don't really know what the situation is there. However, it could be that they're going to release stuff, but I get the feeling that if anything gets released, it's going to be over a period of time. There's also a financial situation that gets involved, and money, and it gets tricky, but who really knows? As far as a tribute concert, I tell you, there could be a great tribute concert and i was thinking about this that you could really you know if you put al on drums mike on bass dave and sam on vocals and even if you wanted to throw gary in there if you wanted to it depends you could rotate guitarists 
doing different songs. You know what I mean? Yes. You could have like Steve Vai on a song, Dweezil Zappa on a song, Joe Satriani on a song, Slash on a song, Vito Brada on a song, all the Nuno on a song, you know, all the people that were, uh, Steve Lukather, all the people that were close to Eddie along those lines, you know, and that would be interesting. And, and paying tribute. And then the last one could be Wolf. That would be wonderful. And I remember the Freddie Mercury tribute was fantastic, and I really enjoyed that. Obviously, you know, Gary was a big part of that one. I don't know if that will happen. Unfortunately, it's coming at a very odd time because from everybody that I speak to, Dave, the new thing is everybody's booking tours for 2022. Ozzy just announced a tour for 2022. I mean, you got to be kidding me. It's like laughable. Yeah, it's tough. We may have to wait a couple of years for a tribute concert. Yeah, yeah, I have a unless, feeling. Unless they figure out how to do one remote or something like that. Yeah, but I don't, even I don't I know. Mean, if you do something of that magnitude, do you really want to do it remotely? You know what I mean? It's like. No, I hear you. Well, the flip side of that is how long do you want to wait? You know who could hook it up is Steve I. Because Steve's a technical genius, and he put that whole generation acts thing together with nuno those guys have done it before so they kind of know what it takes to to pull it off you probably could do a few tracks or something i mean you can't i don't know about a whole concert but you could do something that pays tribute i would imagine remotely if you wanted to get it together zach wilde would be another guy huge huge eddie fan another incredible guitarist but the question is dave do you see al doing it do you see Wolfie doing it? Do you see Sammy and Dave doing it? I don't know. They're not exactly easy. You know what I mean? Like, I don't see Dave right. and Al doing it. I think Wolf is going to take some time and then do his solo album. If anything, you know what I think? I really think that guitarists might do it on their own. Like, forget Al, forget Sam, forget Mike, forget Dave, forget Gary, forget Wolf. Like, you could almost do an Eddie Van Halen tribute concert if you got a house band and you did exactly what we said, which was rotate the guitarist. John Five, another guitarist, tremendously influenced by Eddie, that was also worked with Dave and loves Ed. All of those guys, they'd all show up and play. Dweezil and Slash and John Five, Steve Vai, Satriani, all of them. They'd all do it. So, my guess is... You'll get something, but I think it's going to come from the guitar community. I don't think it's going to come from Van Halen. Sammy and Mike are too busy doing the circle. Wolf is going to be focused on his solo album. Dave's going to be doing his solo thing. Gary's going to be busy with Extreme. They have a new album coming out, and Al is not going to be up for it. I, I really don't think so. So what do you think? I think you hit the nail on the head. I think you're right. But let's see. It's still early. It is. You never know. It you is. never know. The other thing I'll add is we're talking about the archives. Yeah. I think it would serve Al and Wolf well if they do what you've been telling them to do all along, Dave. Oh, yeah. Which is get an archivist. Because yeah. now it's going to be very emotional for them to go through all that. Yeah. So you need somebody who doesn't have any emotional attachments to help them out with that. Right. And just uh, Otherwise, yeah. it'll just take way too long to get done. And the other thing that was said was that Sammy was out of the loop. It it turns out that Sammy was very much in the loop. Yes, yes. Because they had reconciled and were texting each other regularly. So Sam knew what was going on. 
He just mm-hmm. impressively and shockingly kept his mouth shut about it. Uh, unbelievable. And you know what, though? Mikey wasn't in the loop. So Yeah, I haven't seen anything where Ed was talking to Mike. That's true. No, no. I mean, I'm sure Sammy probably filled him in, but I don't okay. know if that fence was bended. I don't know. Yeah. I haven't seen yeah, anything about that. We don't know about now. That. Yeah, that's the truth. Letter number nine comes from Lane Spencer. He says, I love the podcast and appreciate all the work you invest in it. I am an investigator in Southern California, and I came across the attached court summary from the L.A. County Superior Court, which is publicly made available. From the years 1999 to 2003, maybe the low point in Van Halen's history, but I am fascinated by the timeline of events. In 2000, Roth attempts to reconcile with Van Halen after Gary Sharon's time with the band, but is a non-starter. 2001, Roth plays a few dates supporting bands like Fuel and the Hooters. 2002, Summer, Roth and Hagar tour together with mixed results. 2002, December, Roth files for suit against Van Halen, Anthony, and Warner Brothers, claiming they owe him royalties for the sale of the debut album. 2003, September, Roth files for a dismissal of the lawsuit, which indicates the defendants have settled with him. 2004, June, Van Halen releases the Best of Worlds, the greatest hits package featuring Roth and Hagar. Van Halen goes back on tour with Hagar and Anthony. 2007, September, Roth is back on tour with Van Halen four years after the dismissed lawsuit. I am just intrigued to see how David Lee Roth wanted back in the band and how he toured with his nemesis, Hagar, and then drags Van Halen into court. Then four years later, he's back in the band. Was he hard up for cash in the early 2000s? Do you think the release of Best of Both Worlds was part of Van Halen's settlement with Roth? I even remember seeing a tour poster promoting the 2007 tour where they didn't show his face. Lane Spencer. Okay, well, just to let you know, Lane, that poster was from the 2012 tour, number one. And that was not on purpose. I'm going to tell you that much. That was just sort of a scene type of poster. I think David Lee Roth has been trying for years to get back in Van Halen. And I don't know if you guys remember, we talked about at one point, he even had his dad call Ed, which I thought was weird. I think the breakdown in 1996 haunted him. And I think the tour with Sam was it was purely a business move. But I think it was more of a whatever it takes type of situation. Perhaps the best of both worlds. I don't know if it was a settlement or not. But if I remember correctly, they didn't have enough time to finish a new album with Sam. They only had a few tracks and they decided to do a greatest hits package this time with double disc, including both Roth and Hagar. And that's what they did, which is odd because they did like back to back greatest hits, which is crazy, but unbelievable. What do you think, Dave? David Lee Roth opened for the Hooters? That's exactly what I wanted to know. Wow. I don't remember that at all. I don't remember that. But I know that was like, you know, the low point and why he decided to tour with Sammy the next year because he was not selling out arenas for sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's all without question. He was not doing well there. Letter number 10 comes from EVH. Rest in peace, Eddie Van Halen. The king of ten fingers and six strings will live on forever in our hearts and memories. Very sad day, EVH. I'm also going to read number 11 because it's also a similar type of... Letter, letter number 11, Dave and Dave, just wanted to pass on my sympathies to you and the entire Van Halen family. Thank you again for reigniting the passion for VH and me two years ago. I really fell in love with the music all over again. You guys are the best. Sincerely, Paul Davis. So, yes, to both EVH and Paul, we are all sad and grateful for the music you left us, and we are happy to reboot your Van Halen fandom, Paul, and this is uh, kind of what we do here, so... 
appreciate the, the comments. Dave, do you have anything to say? Nope. Just everybody feels the same way. So certainly miss the guy and long live the king. Long live the king. Okay, letter number 12 comes from Shannon the Dude. He says here, I can't remember. Maybe you guys talked about this years back. And you for sure won't have time for it this month, but put it away for a rainy day. Ranking, why can't this be loved? Last immediately destroys the list on Vulture's 131 Van Halen songs. Immediately destroys the list credibility. Shannon the Dude. Okay, so this has become a conversation between Dave and I. So uh, Vulture came out with... A story two years ago with the 131 songs by Van Halen listed 1 through 131. And it's done by Chuck Klosterman, who actually did that interview with Ed from 2015, where he was calling Dave out. Dave doesn't want to be my friend, this and that, that whole thing. That became a very hot issue back then. So he did this whole listing. So now I had this discussion with Dave. I say we never discussed this list. Dave says we did. You want to take it from here, Dave? <laughs> yeah, because, in fact, I think we discussed the very item that Shannon the Dude brought up. Really? Because I, I, I swear. Now, maybe we talked about this on the phone, and we didn't talk about this on the podcast. I can't believe we would not have spoken about this on the podcast, and I just haven't gone back to the 2018 recordings and listen to them. Well, but I swear we went over this list. Well, I tell you, I was going by the podcast. I don't remember ever discussing this list, and I'll tell you why, because there's stuff on here that I cannot believe. It's the first time I've seen this. Like, for example, it lists 131 Van Halen songs. So, like, every song from every album, this including cover songs, which I don't even count as Van Halen songs. They're cover songs, but it doesn't matter. This is how the list was made. The 131st is Why Can't This Be Love, which is ridiculous. Okay, and, and like Shannon Which said, is what you said two years ago. Okay, well, the thing was, is <laughs> that Dave and I, Dave wanted to have a bet about this. We decided that the listeners would make up the terms. However, I really don't think this is on the podcast. Now, you're you're skirting things out a little bit here. You're saying, oh, it was a private conversation. I don't know about it. I will still say we spoke about it on the podcast. Okay. Just okay. to keep the original intent. You know who's going to go digging for it. <laughs> Midwest fucking Ron. Just to give you a quick couple of highlights of this list, number 130 is Tattoo, okay? From 121 to 127 are songs from Van Halen 3. That's to be expected. You got Can't Get This Stuff No More at 120. Strung Out makes it to 110. That's insane. Doing Time, 116. Me Wise Magic, 104. Secrets, Dave. Your favorite, number 72. Sinner Swing, number 70. She's the Woman makes it to 63. Number 58, Right Now. How is Right Now at 58? You got to be kidding me. Come on. And above that is Big Bad Bill is above Right Now. I mean, come on. They didn't write that song. Number 49, Finish What You Started. And ahead of that is Ballot or the Bullet from Van Halen 3. Then you got something incredible like Cathedral only makes it to 45. Pound Cake, 35. Everybody Wants Some is 36. But Love Walks In is 32? I mean, come on. And then you're below Love Walks In. Ready for this? Atomic Punk and On Fire. I'm on fire just sitting here reading this. Dave, 
this really unlegitimizes it. Number 25. Number 25. Ain't talking about love. I mean, you kidding me? Get the fuck out of here. I'm the one, number 24. Yet they'll put Where Are All the Good Times Gone at number 17. And then right above yeah, that, that, that Jump. Jump only makes it to 16. But Humans Being at 15 ahead of Jump. I mean, what the hell? Cabo Wabo is No, bigger? I'm fine with that. I'm I'm fine with Humans, be- with humans Being oh, being yeah? ahead of Jump. Are you fine with Cabo Wabo being ahead of both of them? Come on. Eh, probably not. Yeah, look at you. And I'm just going to read quickly. Look at me. Look at Deja Vu. Isn't this the podcast I told you? You get out of here. About a year or two. And if you're going to sing Deja Vu. You don't remember me, but I remember you. This guy's been Complaining back then, Deja Vu. Oh, listen to you. You you should sing. (laughs) Take me back. You're going to sing. Oh, yes, he's got the Van Halen version instead of the Dionne Warwick one. Want to be there with you. All right, so listen. Now I'm going to read the top 10. And I just want your comments on that. Number 10, okay. 5150. Number 9, Romeo Delight. Romeo Delight. Number 8, Running with the Devil. Number 7, You Really Got Me. Number 6, Hot for Teacher. Number 5, DOA. Number 4, Panama. Number 3, Dance the Night Away. Number 2, Unchained. And number 1, Eruption. So what do you make of that top 10, Dave? Well, all debatable, but really all solid choices. Yeah, but come on. I mean, you don't have Ain't Talking About Love up there? I mean, are you kidding me? Well, you know, I am not as big a fan of that song as others, so I don't have a problem with that song not being in the top ten. Oh, this guy. He's always got an answer. This guy. And you know what? You know what? Uh, Chuck is off by one. You know what song is missing from that list? What's that? Crossing Over. Yes, but I guess he doesn't look at it as an official release. I thought about that, too. Come on now. Well, Come on now. Come on now. It was a B-side. It was, it was B-side. still a B-side. He probably didn't have, you know. He, he, he probably doesn't know what exists. How do you like that? Well, I'll get Well, I tell you what. Him. I've been trying to get him on the podcast. I would love to talk to I him. I would love He'd to talk to him. He'd probably be a hoot to talk to. I'm, I'm sure he would. So we'll see if he comes on. Well, we're going to try, Shannon. We're going to just for you. Want to make sure you feel comfortable and nice and cozy. All right. Well, so. I hope they put this list out in another two years so we can talk about it. Exactly. Letter number 13 comes from Alan Cullen. And he's calling all the way from jolly old England, Dave. And he tells me not to put on a Dick Van Dyke accent, but that he's more of a middle-aged Irishman. So he's more of a Colin Farrell accent, Dave. Ah, oh, right there. Nice to see you not disappoint. Mr. Alan Cullen, he says, I've been a fan of the podcast since 2017, and I look forward to it. Dropping at the end of each month, I recently bought the fuck album on vinyl on eBay, and I've been trying to buy Balance for years, and it's been going for huge money. Seeing how popular the vinyl has become, I don't understand how the band hasn't reissued its records, which are extremely rare on vinyl. Will we ever get Balance? Or Van Halen 3 on vinyl. We might get some on Record Store Day. Some special editions. And I've seen Dave Solo. And I've seen Chickenfoot live. But I've never seen Van Halen. I want you to tell you to keep up the excellent quality of the pods. And keep safe, guys. Alan Cullen. 
There you go, Alan. That's as best as I can do in terms of the... That was uh, pretty good. Like that was that. pretty impressive, actually. Yeah, well, it's you know, you're always turned on by Irishmen, so I know how excited you probably are right now. Which is no, great. that's Scottish. Oh, Stop Scot- getting it wrong. <laughs> All right, right. You know both of them hate to be compared to each other. You're right. Come on, Oh, right. But seriously, those later era Van Halen albums are tough to find on vinyl. Because it's incredible. That was at the end of vinyl, you know, the vinyl run. Yeah. I think some of those albums, like For Unlawful Carnal Knowledge and Balance, one of them I think was only available in vinyl in Germany or something like that. Yeah. Like, I tell you, I sent really, him, really tough to find. I actually sent Alan a photo of Van Halen 3 on vinyl. I actually found it. Like an actual, like, out of the sleeve, the whole deal. But they go for like $400. I mean, like, you know, he's like, my wife will kill me. That's what he said back to me. So I have to be honest with you. I have a feeling that Eddie's passing, though, might make some of these more available sooner than later. I think you'll see vinyl come out before you'll see any rarities come out. Because that's easy to do. Yeah, and, um, I wouldn't bet against you. Yeah, yeah. I have a feeling that's what's going to happen. But on to letter number 14, and that letter comes from Stephen Halmarek from Sydney, Australia. Dave. My God, they're all over the globe. And he says that Van Halen and Eddie were a huge part of his life since he first heard 1984, back when he was 20 years old. And he says for his 50th birthday party a few years back, he had a hard rock 80s, 70s theme, and he had a live band. And he says dressed up as David Lee Roth and sang Jump, which was fun. And he said he had the privilege of seeing Van Halen in concert four times, twice in Australia, twice in Dallas in September of 2015, which was an absolute highlight for him. As it turns out, it was one of the last shows they ever played. I will treasure that show in my memory forever and be grateful that Eddie and his music were in my world. Eddie's legacy will live on forever. That was from Stephen Halmerk. I, you know, I tell you, Van Halen did not get to Australia much, did they? Glad you came to the U.S. to see him for the last tour, Stephen, because that was a smart move, for sure. You have anything to say, Dave, to Stephen? Insight's always twenty twenty, but yeah, good move. And wow, that's quite a trip to make too. You you got to be a dedicated fan to do that. Oh, for so, sure, for sure. My hats off to you, sir. Hats off to you. Hats off to you. Number fifteen comes from Dave Moses, the fourth Dave. He says the saddest possible news. Ed was my entire inspiration for playing guitar, and I can't believe the world is without him. No more new ideas from his genius mind. And I receive many texts all day with heartfelt wishes, and I thank you, Ed, for so much joy and inspiration. And that comes from Dave Moses. Dave is a regular writer into the show. We, we certainly share those uh, sentiments for sure. And he also gave us a photo of a Van Halen Viewmaster. You remember Viewmasters, Dave? Back when we were little, you could put the little disc in and watch all the little pictures go by. I do, I do. Yeah. Yeah, Dave, when he was a kid, he got, had the X-rated Viewmaster. He used to watch all the Playboy girls on there, if I remember correctly. You remember that? Oh, did it, didn't you want to buy that off of me for like $10,000? I didn't say to bring that up on the air, did I? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, did yeah. I conveniently forget about exactly. that? Exactly. I think you did. I think you did. I think you did. Letter number 16 comes from Jason Marsh. And he says, hey, guys, Jason Marsh from Spokane Valley, Washington. Just wanted to say thank you for putting out the Eddie Van Halen tribute episode. It was much needed. I tried listening to Van Halen a couple hours after I heard the news. I got through Running With The Devil and when the second song, Little Guitar started, tears came down my face. 
turned it off. I just wanted to say thank you to all you guys. R.I.P. Eddie Van Halen. You will never be forgotten, Jason Marsh. That's for sure. Listening to the music does help, I think. You know, it helps heal. It encourages that Eddie's legacy lives on through the music. So we encourage everybody to listen. That, I think, is, is key. Don't you think, Dave? I do. I find some people find it therapeutic and other people have trouble listening to it because it reminds mm. them of that. I've, I've read about it going both ways for people. Well, you know a lot about going both ways. Whatever works for you, you know? That's right. All right, all right. Enough. <laughs> Enough. Enough. Can, can, can you go maybe five minutes without yes. a reference like yes, that? Yes, sir. Please? I will go Thank right you. on to letter number 17. Comes from Cactus Pete Martins from Gilbert, Arizona. And he says, wow, absolutely floored. It's weird in a way to feel such legit sorrow and sadness for a person I've never met yet spent so much time with. I listened to Van Halen through some tough years during my dad's cancer treatments, and you really tend to lose yourself in the music. It doesn't matter which era of Van Halen you prefer. The power of Eddie and the band had to bring people together for different ethnicities, age groups, political beliefs, and the music always proved to be stronger and blend our differences to bring all of them together for the common good. Such a legend, he will be missed by millions, but will be with us when we play his music. Keep the show going, and I look forward to it every month. Rest in harmony, Ed Cactus Pete Mar. Well, Pete, that's for sure. You know, the love for Ed just keeps pouring out, and we appreciate hearing from everybody. That also uh, goes on to our next letter from Air Force J in Half Moon Bay, Dave. And he had a little poem here I wanted to read, sort of. I'll read it right now. He says, right now, the world is suffering because 2020 won't cut us a break. Right now, MTV is, or respectfully should be, remembering one of the two most critical, important music entities that propelled the station to success in the 80s. MJ is the other. Right now, fans are remembering the first and last times they heard and saw Van Halen. Right now, Eruption and or Jump just might be receiving more airplay on classic rock radio than Stairway to Heaven. Right now, I am hating the fact that Eddie never performed again with Sam and Mike. Right now, truly, the dream is over. No great reunion for all versions of Van Halen. Right now, I'm recalling the question I asked Dave and Dave last year concerning the music after Ed is unfortunately gone. Right now, there isn't a single Van Halen fan who ain't talking about love. Right now, I really hate this reality that one of my musical heroes is gone. And I understand that Dave and Dave mailbag is full, so right now, I'm done. Whoops, sorry, one more. I'm not one to curse, but the title of the band's third album with Sam seems to be the most appropriate word right now. Air Force J and Half Moon Bay. What do you say to that, Dave? Thank you, Air Force J. Very well written. Appreciate you putting in the time for that. Yeah, and I'll add one more. Right now, the world is realizing just how important and innovative Eddie Van Halen was. I don't know about you, Dave, but I've been seeing an unbelievable outpour of love and support toward Ed in so many areas that I didn't expect it from. You know what I mean? It's funny, you know, that it, it came from all different areas. It wasn't just like, you know, the guitar magazines, the fan websites, and it's coming from even broader spectrums. You know what I mean? So that's for sure. Letter number 19 comes from James Harris of Clay, Alabama. And he says, this is a day for all Van Halen fans would hope would never come. 
countless King Edward fanatics have to say goodbye to our hero. Eddie is my all-time favorite musician, and his passing has left a deep hole in my heart. I was going through my Van Halen CDs and found a tribute album that I nearly forgot about, titled Everybody Wants Them. It came out in 1997. It is by mostly unknown musicians. The standout track is a version of Eruption by Reverend Ed Brahms, and it is played on a church pipe organ. It could be a nice bookend to the monk-esque version of Cathedral you guys played a few podcasts ago. And my love and sympathies goes out to the Van Halen family and friends. Eddie will be loved and remembered forever and all who appreciate his music. And he says that he's happy that we are continuing the podcast and he thanks us so much for our impromptu tribute that came out. And that comes from James Harris from Clay, Alabama. Well, it is our pleasure to honor Ed. We're not happy to have to do it, but we felt it was important to pay the proper respects to him in a timely fashion. Right, Dave? Absolutely. I mean, that's the least we could do. Yeah, least we could do. Letter number 20 comes from Andy Haberman when he said, when I heard the news, I immediately thought of you both. What a fucking fucked up year. No, we all wanted deep in our heart of hearts to hear the maestro create a symphony once more. David Lee Roth invoked the Grateful Dead tonight with his caption, What a long, great trip it's been. I'm a bit rusty in my prayers, but I want to believe Eddie is up there laying down a heavenly solo with Mr. Peart, kicking the double bass drum hard. God bless you both for doing this labor of love that you have. I don't know where it's going to go, but I'll ride the podcast train until the wheels fall off the track with you. Much love, Eddie Haberman. And then he also attached a tribute done by Bob Lessetz, who has his own, uh, the Bob Lessetz podcast, and the cradle will no longer rock. So if you guys want to check out the Bob Lessetz podcast, his last name is L-E-F-S-E-T-Z. He is a big Van Halen fan, and he has talked about Van Halen, and he does a really nice soliloquy, which is way too long for Dave and I to get into right now. But if you want to check out that podcast, please check it out, because he did a really nice job as an incredible tribute to Ed. That is in the Bob Lessetz podcast. And Andy, I just wanted to say, I think Eddie is playing more with Bonham than he is with Neil Peart because he's way closer to Alex's style. Alex always modeled himself after Bonham, so I could see Eddie playing with John Bonham for sure. What about you, Dave? That's an interesting observation. You <laughs> might, uh, yeah, you might be right about that. But man, we lost those two big legends alone this oh, year. Oh, it's incredible! It's incredible. Really, really hard. Really hard. Okay, so letter number 21 comes from Darren Leach, as known as Daz from Down Under, because he's from Australia. So sad to hear about Eddie's passing. I'm still in shock. At least we have the amazing songs he left behind. I met him on the 1998 tour when he came to Australia with Gary Sharon. Eddie was smiling, and the rest of the band was happy to sign autographs. What do you think the first things will be released from the 5150 vaults once they eventually get opened? What would you like to see released? Or do you think there was a lot lost in that hard drive malfunction from a few years ago? Darren Leach. Okay. Well, the problem with the whole vaults is there's a lot of stuff on there that is like jams, that is like riffs, that is like ideas. That's the way Ed worked. Van Halen wasn't an over-recorder. Like, for example, Prince or Bruce Springsteen, those guys... Holy shit, over-recorded. What does that mean? So if Bruce does an album, say he's got like 12 songs on the album, he might have recorded 40 songs for that album and then chose that 12. Van Halen didn't work that way. So a lot of those tapes that Ed has, a lot of that is jamming, riffs, ideas. And don't get me wrong, that doesn't mean it's not good. It's just if you're going to do that, 
that takes a real long time to put together. And that's also, you don't want to just put out like raw tape of that. You know what I mean? Even though we think it would be great. It just, I don't know if a commercial release, if they would a lot for that. So what I would suggest, if you're going to release stuff, is release what is done and available. I think you could put together maybe a compilation of maybe some of the leftover Sammy tracks, leftover Dave tracks, and leftover Gary tracks. And I think there would be a nice package there with some full songs. You know what I mean? And right. don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. Some of them are going to be demo stage. Like we all know, you know, like for example, like the second Gary album is probably going to be a demo stage, but it would be enough to at least enjoy. You know what I mean? Like not just half-baked stuff. Like it would actually be a song. You know what I mean? Like beginning to end song with lyrics and vocals and, you know, the whole thing. You probably have to clean these things up for sure. Although there is some stuff that is done. For example, that Sammy song, Between Us Two, that is definitely a finished song that's sitting in there. We always talked about the cover of In the Midnight Hour with Dave. That, that's from the 1984 sessions. Definitely finished. Also, they had the bunch of tracks from the 2000 reunion. So there is stuff there. Well, plus there is that box set that Warner Brothers has sitting on the shelf from the first album. That would probably be the first thing that they should put out. But I don't know, like, who has to sign off on that. Wolfgang, I think it was on our last episode, he talked about an extra track from Different Kind of Truth. There's that, you know what I mean? Like, little things like that. So if you put together, like, a, a cool compilation, that would be interesting. I would suggest something like that and also maybe something like the first album, you know what I mean, which, which was that box set that they have ready to go but you could probably do that on almost every van halen album at least during the dave era that they probably or to do that kind of a like special release like metallica does those guys do incredible releases what do you think dave the only other thing i would add is a live album oh right from the prime era of the band oh right right of course that's for sure they've got to have one lying around somewhere i know they do yeah, they've got to. I know they do. They've got to. So that, that's the only other thing I would add. But yeah, you said the first album, you know, the demos from the first album. I think there were a lot of demos done for a different kind of truth. Yeah. I don't know if any of them have vocals or anything, right, but right. still you could throw some of those. All sorts of stuff, all sorts of songs. I forget what it was. I think they did Big Trouble for the Diver Down sessions. Right. But it, they never released it. So yeah, like you said, you know, all the, the demos and the songs that never made it onto the album they could totally make a box set on that alone yeah i would imagine letter number 22 comes from chris rooks and he says hey guys i think it's safe to say that we are all shocked and stunned by the news of eddie i never met the man but i feel as many probably do like i have lost a family member this can't be happening right i mean he was going to beat this and keep blazing on right i'm just crushed my heart my thoughts and prayers go out to him and his family we all mourn in different ways and watching classic van halen concerts on youtube helps me I stumbled on a video that I have not seen before and I wanted to share with both of you. It's a video from MTV News touring 5150 Studios with Ed as a tour guide. It's just awesome to see and it's from 1998. You may have seen this already, but if you haven't, here it is. Thank you both for the podcast and for waving the VH banner. God bless Van Halen forever, Chris Rooks. Well, there is this new video. It's not new, but it just got released of MTV and it's like Eight minutes in change of Chris Connolly from MTV News going through 5150 with Eddie. Dave, you saw this, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. So cool. Wow. So cool. That really was incredible. 
I don't know why it was shelved. But I'm wondering if it was shelved because, I don't know, they felt like it showed too much. or I mean, it was the most in-depth I think we've ever seen at 5150. And the one taste that you walk away with is, this was no high, glossy studio. This was like a workshop. For example, if, if he was like a craftsman, if he was like a, a woodworking guy, he, he's like, it, it's like a shop with all kinds of pieces and of equipment and wires and everything everywhere. I mean, he it was really like a laboratory of a mad scientist for sure. I don't know why it was held back. I don't know if Van Halen held it back, but it was really cool. And he talked about Wolfie on there and, and they, they showed the wall of tapes. And, and then the interesting part is there's one part when Chris Connolly points to all these tapes and he says, wow, you know, someone could take a year or two just going through all these tapes. And then Eddie says, no, it has to be me. Here's the clip. See, all, all those tapes, especially the number, numbered ones, um, those are all music that I've written since I built the studio. And what we, with Don Landy, who we did eight records with, right. we had a Radio Shack computer. And we ended up numbering everything, punch it up on the computer, and telling me what, what was on it. Well, the computer took a dump on us. Uh, we even took it to used laboratories to see if, research laboratories, see if they get any, anything off the hard drive. And nothing. So all this stuff is waiting to be archived by somebody. Yeah, and the only person that can do that is me. Because nobody knows what I like. But it's some dream job for somebody to sit in a room and spend the next year and a half listening to your music. I mean, there's so much stuff there. One day I just uh, grabbed the ladder and went up there and uh, put it on. It was uh, uh, right now. And it was labeled 1983. Which is when you wrote it. The music. Yeah, yeah, actually before John. Wow. That's an interesting Well, because he part. had a hard drive crash and the and the... And the list of what they had right. was lost. Right. It was like some sort of like Radio Shack computer or something like that? Yes. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, was, like what, it was interesting. It was very interesting to hear. But let me tell you, if anybody has not seen this, you have to see this. This is a piece of gold for sure. I tell you, in terms of the archives, I think this is what we're going to get, is we're going to get pieces coming from fans that are going to release. I mean, even Dave sent me some uh, links to stuff that came out this week that wasn't available before. I don't know why they're releasing them now that Ed is, is gone, but I don't know what that changes anything. Why wouldn't it be released before? What would stop that? It doesn't make any sense. But I think people are, you know, I guess memorializing Ed that way by releasing stuff. I don't know. What do you think, Dave? I, I think you're right. There's like there's like a line in the sand where people go, okay, I can release stuff now. Yeah, I guess and so. It's it's yeah, it's it's interesting because it's just like way better quality stuff has come out in the past few days. And, and if, if you're looking to see what any of that is, you can go to vhtrading.com and you can get a good flavor for the kind of things that are coming out. That's for sure. I mean, it's great. It's coming out. But it's, it's, you know, it's sad the reason why. Right, obviously. One thing he noted in the video interview with Chris Connolly is that that is how Right Now was written. He pulled out that riff, that idea from that wall of tapes. And the riff was created in 1983 or the melody, whatever you want to call it. And he wrote Right Now from that. And that just goes to show you how Eddie works. So that's a perfect example. But there's, a, like I said, licks, jams, riffs. 
are what's on those tapes, I guess. I don't know, obviously. And I'm sure there are full songs too, but I would imagine that a lot of it is ideas, you know. All right, so letter number 23 comes from You Know Him, You Love Him, Dave. And here he is. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's Midwest fucking Ron. Midwest Ron. And he is coming in and he's kind of putting a pin in the Eddie situation for now. And he says, I'm currently dealing with this week's news by trying to keep things as normal as possible. So he's just handing in a letter on something that Halen related, of course, but separate. So he says, as you have probably learned already since the last mailbag, Keith Kessinger did not play Waldo in the original Hot for Teacher video. He was only playing that character in his parody video. He says, without confirmation, the actor that probably played Waldo is David Von Gorder. So Midwest Ron always coming in and making the correction, Dave. So I looked it up on IMDb, and David Van Gorder was the guy who played Waldo. So we make that correction. Of course, it's Midwest Ron who's correcting us there. He's always uh, slapping us on the wrist. And there you go. So anything to say to Midwest? Thank goodness for Midwest Ron. That's right. That's right. Fact checker extraordinaire. Letter number 24 comes from Sean Franklin. He says, I can't believe he's gone, meaning Eddie, and he's got a sad face. He says, and Mark Stone. And, of course, Mark Stone, the former bassist of Van Halen, that was prior to the official lineup of Van Halen, prior to Michael Anthony, uh, obviously, we, as we noted in the news, has uh, passed away as well, which is eerily just days before Ed passing away, which I thought was really strange. Now, letter number 25 this comes from Kurt Snyder, and he says, I'm sure you've heard all this and have heard all this before, but Ed's health took a turn when they were planning the tour. We were all thinking about with the five members playing together with Wolf and the band as the opening act. I have my opinion as to why Michael was replaced by Wolf, and I think it would have been a mutual thing so Ed could tour and record with his son when he got cancer originally 19 years ago. Well, I don't know about that, Kurt. I don't know if it was the cancer. I think it was definitely more about playing with Wolf and whatever his issues are with Mike. You know, that one thing that was strange, Dave, about that tour, like, I always thought it was strange Michael Anthony was going to come on as a guest star or something. Like, I always found that part of the package, like, really? I mean, that doesn't make any sense. You're going to bring him on for a few songs or something? And I don't know if um, they fully said that Wolf was going to open. That was never really confirmed, right? I, I mean, don't think they ever really confirmed the details no, of the tour. No. And to be honest with you, if you listen to the details of the tour, it was not as close as you think it was because they had a plan to do it. And, you know, what happens is when people do tours, they set it up way in advance. Like someone will take, well, it's hard to say now because of COVID, but say it is normal times and it is October. Someone might book like the garden for August right now. But whether that's going to happen, I is not exactly sure. But they book dates way, way ahead of time because that's the way it works. But then, you know, if something happens and the date gets released, then that's how that works. But anyway, letter number 26 comes from Southeast Nice Guy Kurt Lancios. And he says, Cribble with a Z, Marconi with an E. Hello once again, my fellow Van Halen crazy friends. I enjoyed your tribute to Edward, and it was really hard to believe he's gone. And I put together my own Retros as podcast in honor of Eddie, and I wanted to share it with you. You guys can check that out at retrozest.com slash EPO 
I give your podcast a shout-out at the end in my retro podcast recommendation section. Hopefully, I'll get you a few more listeners. Thanks so much for all you do. We love you and keep up the awesome work. Nice guy, Kurt Lancios. From a southeast Kurt Lancios, I should say. Well, it's always nice to be shouted out, and I want to thank you for that. And everybody check out the Retro Zest for sure. And we move on to letter number 27, which comes from Jason Campbell. And he says, once the pandemic is in the rearview mirror, there needs to be an Edward Van Halen tribute concert, much in the vein of the Freddie Mercury tribute concert done in London after Freddie's death. The backing band could be Alex on drums, Mike on bass, and Wolf on guitar, perhaps playing his dad's Frankie, with Sam, Dave, and Gary sharing vocals. Guest musicians could be everyone from Nuno Betancourt to Steve Vai, Steve Lukather, Joe Satriani, John Five, Eric Clapton, Billy Sheehan, Tom Morello, Metallica, and so on. The list of musicians would be endless. Just imagine a three to four hour celebration of the band's music with each guest covering a different song or two. I think people would travel from all over the world to see this, and I know I would. It would be probably held in Los Angeles in his hometown of Pasadena at the Rose Bowl or maybe SoFi Stadium where they did a nice tribute of lighting up the LED ring scoreboard in red, white, black stripes after his death. Perhaps it could be at the original site of the Us Festival, which is now Apple Theater. What do you guys think? Jason Campbell from Nashville. Well, we talked about this earlier. I think that's a great idea. Although, I don't know if all the guys in Van Halen are going to join on for that. But I really think that the guitar community will do something. Do you have anything else to say, Dave? No, I think we talked about this before, but yeah. I think Jason hit the nail on the head. I think that's the way to do a tribute show, for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, and this is letter number 28, coming from... Matt Krill. Can I ask a favor? Yeah. I know this is very unusual. Okay. But I'm actually going to ask if I can read the whole thing. Oh, my God. Go ahead. Okay. Now, this is a long letter. Yes, and, it is. Uh, Dave, as you know, I like to edit down the long letter. I know. <laughs> but this individual, Matt Krill, really took the time. When you hear the letter, you'll understand why. Okay. So I'm going to actually break my rule, and I'm going to read the whole thing. This is a miracle, folks. You're witnessing a miracle. The only thing more miracle would watch him pick up a check. Go ahead. All right. <laughs> well, I'll remember that the next time we have dinner together. is a letter to Eddie Van Halen. When your parents took a risk and moved from Amsterdam to the USA, I'm sure they never imagined the impact you would have on our world. At the time, you were just a little dreamer, and it would take some time before the world was ready for you to jump onto the music scene. I will never forget the day you really got me. I first heard Eruption as a middle schooler. From that point on, I was standing on top of the world every time I heard Van Halen. It was clear the brown sound you invented would never give my ears the runaround. And no matter how crazy your solos got, you were always able to finish what you started. While I always had to observe your musical genius from afar, I know that without you, the soundtrack of my life would be much quieter. I was never blessed enough to be inside the 5150 studios. But please know your music was part of my summer nights, my dreams, and you helped me get up on mornings 
when I felt a little black and blue. You inspired my love for music, and while I will never be good enough to be even close to your talent every time I pick up the guitar, love walks in, and I aspire to capture a little bit of the me-wise magic. Your playing was so epic that I had to constantly stop saying you're no good and keep practicing. Based on all the social media posts I have seen this week from other musical geniuses, I know that I am not the only man on a mission to try and master your unique tone and playing ability. I'm the one that will freely admit there will never be anyone like you. So where do we go from here? Do we admit that the dream is over? And like Neil Peart's passing earlier this year, say that we are out of love again? I don't think so. I think we take your approach and celebrate life with reckless abandon. We will play it loud, shout bottoms up, eat some pound cake, light up the sky with fireworks, dance the night away, get a tattoo, set the town on fire, and party in towns and mean streets all over the world, including Cabo Wabo, Chinatown, and Panama. Hopefully, we will stop just before someone says, somebody get me a doctor. Family. It looks a little different for everyone. For some, it's mom and dad. For others, roommates who feel like family. And for others, it's your significant other, their golfing buddies, your children, a high school soccer team starting lineup, and oh look, they're all taking you up on the offer to stay for dinner, really testing the limits of that phrase, the more the merrier. But no matter where you call home, GEICO makes it easy to bundle and save on home and car insurance. Easier than making three frozen pizzas and assorted frozen veggies into a cohesive meal. Family. It looks a little different for everyone. For some, it's mom and dad. For others, roommates who feel like family. And for others, it's your significant other, their golfing buddies, your children, a high school soccer team starting lineup, and oh look, they're all taking you up on the offer to stay for dinner, really testing the limits of that phrase, the more the merrier. But no matter where you call home, GEICO makes it easy to bundle and save on home and car insurance. Easier than making three frozen pizzas and assorted frozen veggies into a cohesive meal. While we celebrate your life in epic fashion, I know for sure we can't get this stuff no more. I promise we will do our best to be humans being in a world without you, and our hearts are heavy, because we know the Frankenstrat you wielded is unchained from the hero who created it. Family. It looks a little different for everyone. For some, it's mom and dad. For others, roommates who feel like family. And for others, it's your significant other, their golfing buddies, your children, a high school soccer team starting lineup, and oh look, they're all taking you up on the offer to stay for dinner, really testing the limits of that phrase, the more the merrier. But no matter where you call home, GEICO makes it easy to bundle and save on home and car insurance. Easier than making three frozen pizzas and assorted frozen veggies into a cohesive meal. Drew and Jonathan Scott here to tell you that with the American Family Insurance Home Quote Tool, you can easily design a customized policy for your dream home right from the comfort of your couch. And fun paint fact, there are over 150 shades of white, like Hello White, Fluffy Bunny, Eggshell. They get it. Explore the AmFam Home Quote Tool at amfam.com slash home to learn more about your policy coverage options. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. American Family Mutual Insurance Company has its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Products not available in every state. Right now, we will share stories, music, and laughter in hopes of catching a glimpse of that impish grin that is now part of the best of both worlds. I live in hope that we will get to jam in the great beyond, because the trouble with never is a little too hard to contemplate right now. Please know that Jamie's crying, 
and the whole world is crying since you left us this week. We are feeling the absence of your spirit, and it's not enough to be left in a world that lacks your musical genius. Your legacy lives on as we play your music on a Sunday afternoon in the park. Family. It looks a little different for everyone. For some, it's mom and dad. For others, roommates who feel like family. And for others, it's your significant other, their golfing buddies, your children, a high school soccer team starting lineup, and oh look, they're all taking you up on the offer to stay for dinner, really testing the limits of that phrase, the more the merrier. But no matter where you call home, GEICO makes it easy to bundle and save on home and car insurance. Easier than making three frozen pizzas and assorted frozen veggies into a cohesive meal. Sometimes life can feel like a pressure cooker. From our work life to our personal lives and relationships, there's so much to balance. It's easy to feel weighed down when you're experiencing anxiety, stress, or sadness. Guess what? You are not alone. Support is all around you. No matter where you are, all you need to do is ask. Let us help you find a community at churchescare.com. Churches are communities of care. Go to c-h-u-r-c-h-e-s-care.com to explore the possibilities. Churchescare.com. And every time we do, it feels so good. Some of us might not see you until Judgment Day. And I know that everyone from the sucker in a three-piece to the humblest soul wanted to know you or be like you. For now, I know that you'd want us to check in with the ice cream man and stay frosty in a world without end thanks to your musical contributions. We will do that and know that sharing your music with friends beats working Every day of the week. Happy trails, Matt Krill. From world conflicts to falling financial markets, natural disasters, and more, wish the headlines would just stop. It's not a newsflash that life can feel like a pressure cooker. From managing work to building relationships, it's easy to feel overwhelmed. And for many of us, anxiety and stress are constant companions. But you're not alone. You may not know it, but support is out there just waiting to meet you and you can find it through the friendly people at church's care at church's care we know that finding your community can feel intimidating that's why we do the heavy lifting for you church's care helps connect people like you to churches that can support and serve you in your new community you'll find a group of people ready to talk listen and help you navigate life through its twists and turns all you have to do is come as you are If you're ready to find your community, visit churchescare.com today. That's churchescare.com. C-H-U-R-C-H-E-S care.com. We look forward to serving you. From world conflicts to falling financial markets, natural disasters, and more, wish the headlines would just stop. It's not a newsflash that life can feel like a pressure cooker. From managing work to building relationships, it's easy to feel overwhelmed. And for many of us, anxiety and stress are constant companions. But you are not alone. Support is out there, just waiting to meet you. And you can find it through friendly people at churchescare.com. At churchescare.com, we know that finding your community can feel intimidating. That's why we do the heavy lifting for you. Churchescare.com helps connect people like you to churches that can support and serve you. In your new community, you'll find a group of people ready to talk, listen, and help you navigate life through its twists and turns. All you have to do is come as you are. If you're ready to find your community, visit churchescare.com today. That's C-H-U-R-C-H-E-S care.com. We look forward to serving you. Wow. That was like... That 
was fucking awesome. It man. really was. It was a beautiful, beautiful tribute. Well written, well done, well read by Dave. And let me tell you, not only was it well written and well done, but for Dave to pause me from an edited version and read the entire thing at the end of the podcast segment is unbelievable, folks. You have I like to keep you on your toes. I, I just thought he had put so so evident. He oh, had yeah. put so much time yep, yep. into that. Oh man, that it had. To be her. Wow, Matt, look at that. You just won an Oscar, my friend. That's incredible. Wow, that's, <laughs> that is top-notch honors. That was an excellent, excellent, well-written tribute that should be posted somewhere. And maybe I'll I'll post it up on our Facebook site. When, when oh, we I put, like that idea. Yeah, yeah let's yeah, do yeah, that yeah. as a tribute because I think everybody will get a kick out of it. I will post that up there. Matt, and, and congratulations on that. And Dave, uh, congratulations on an incredible reading. I felt like I was listening to the Twas the Night Before Christmas from Jimmy Stewart over here. It was incredible. It was well read. Uh, well am, read. Am, I, am I getting mailbag duty now? Is that what's uh, going to happen? Well, we all know that you're not. Behavior? No, we all know that you rise to the occasion when you are inspired. And this happened to be an inspiring moment. And I'm going to savor that all night to and into uh, the next podcast. Uh, episode because we all know that that was what you call a harvest moon it only comes once in a while so uh, we just had one too yeah, actually we did we did that's right that's right and we are at letter number 29 and is our last letter of the night because dave's exhausted from that long reading this comes from ben levy ben poses a very interesting question here he says listening to your podcast you're talking about not doing videos in 1986 i really think that even though they pulled it off maybe 5150 could have been a diamond record, which means sales over 10 million, if you think about it, if they did videos. Now, what do you think, Dave? Do you think had they done videos and gone the proper channels, could 5150 been a diamond record? Mm -hmm. Wow, that is an interesting It really is an interesting theory. question, isn't it? It is, because... Well, I mean, they had, I mean, why can't this be love? That went to number three, so you're really not going to get too much better than that. But they really didn't have any other, I don't think they had any of their top ten singles off that well, album. Well, here's they the thing. Done. I want to note something here. I felt there was some single potential that they left on the table with the album. I thought Summer Nights could have been a single. I thought that was prime for a single. I don't know why yeah, that maybe. opportunity was missed. Maybe, although, you know, I don't think the band did a video for I'll Wait, and that song was a hit. It was, but, you know... That, so, uh, I, I think it would have helped. I, if they had done videos, would it have helped? For sure. Mm -hmm. For sure. Diamond Status? Maybe, because I think... Well, how was that album certified? It, that it's, like, it's, it's over six mil. It is six. Yeah. Maybe. It, it, maybe it's close. Maybe. You know, and, and here's the, you know I'm going to say, had they done videos... And maybe pushed it to like the fifth single. Here's the thing. If you look at the diamonds, okay, you look at something like Hysteria by Def Leppard. You look at something like Thriller, Michael Jackson. You look at some of the real key diamond albums. It is a lot of hit singles that push them because the more the singles, the more videos, the more of the life 
of the album. The other part of it is the legacy of the record. So it's the other thing that kind of pushes it to diamond status. Is you know you don't necessarily get that diamond status like right when it comes out. Sometimes it comes later. Like for example, like oh his, yeah. yeah, yeah, like his, yeah, like right. Hysteria by Def Leppard. It came within its time, like within the '80s. They they got that 10 million sales. That was like seven singles and seven videos. That's a lot. That is a lot. That really is pushing it now. Interesting enough is Def Leppard said to themselves, "Let's make the hard rock version of Thriller." That was actually their goal with Hysteria. And they wanted to have seven singles like Thriller did. And they wanted to have seven videos. Now, Thriller didn't have seven videos. But the videos they had were so goddamn big that it kind of pulled them over. Same thing with Van Halen 1984. Three videos, but the videos were so gargantuan and so legendary that it pulled them into the 10 million uh, status. So, you know what? You got a good point, Ben. I would love to know what that is. That's for sure. And you think about it, you know, Love Walks In could have been a bigger single, too, had you done a video, some sort of sentimental video. But I really feel that extra single with Summer Nights really could have been something, especially the timing of it. I would have released Summer Nights in that summer of 1986. I think that is a commercial pop rock song that really would have hooked everybody. And I think that had unbelievable potential. And I think they just left that on the table. You know what I mean? 5150 could have been a single. It's long. They kind of had to edit it. But that could have been a single too. There's another one. You could have gone five, six singles for sure. I don't think Get Up, Good Enough, Inside... I don't see those as being singles. However, they're great. I love them. And I also think, you know, in terms of the, the durability over the course of time, the legacy, I know it's going to sound petty, but I really think you needed an album that didn't have those electric drums. And maybe, I don't know if that's going to push it over to the diamond status, but I just think that that album definitely sounds dated. When you hear it, like you hear the fuck album, it doesn't sound dated like that album. Even though it's not that far away, it doesn't have that, oh wow, this is 1986 sound. Because of those drums. It's not the guitar, it's not the keyboard, it's not the vocals, it's the drums that make it feel like that. But I don't know if that's diamond stats, that's just my own stupid nerdy shit that I'm talking about. But I really do feel, had you added another single or two, and like I said, 5150 and... Definitely Summer Nights. Summer Nights, in my opinion, is an absolute missed opportunity. I don't get it. I don't, I don't get that at all. I mean, Why Can't This Be Love, I believe, came out maybe late February, early March. Maybe early March. But I would have had that single, Summer Nights, hit right around late June. And that would have been, I think, a huge song. What can you say? I mean, look, the album is a success, and it's it's a huge hit anyway, and everybody still loves the album. So, But, yeah, you got a good point there, Ben. That is a very interesting question for sure, and we're going to end it on that, and that wraps up the mailbag segment. And, wow, we have some episode for you guys. So after all of this mailbag and all of this news, we still have more to come. And Dave and I are going to be talking about Edward Van Halen's top ten moments of all time. And it's going to be followed by 
our interview with Jake C. Miller from Completely Unchained. He's the guy who is probably the closest to Eddie Van Halen clone as there is out there. He looks and sounds and plays just like Eddie. We get his reaction to Eddie's passing as well as an incredible exclusive interview with keyboardist Derek Sherinian, hugely influenced by Eddie. And he is in the band Sons of Apollo. He's also in Black Country Communion. He also played with Kiss. He also played with Billy Idol and Alice Cooper. And he's played with Eddie. And he is highly influenced by Eddie. The guy played Eruption on the keyboards. He's a huge Eddie fanatic. We talked to him on the day Eddie died. So that is a very highly emotional interview. Very interesting very, very talented man who has his own solo album called The Phoenix. Check it out. The Phoenix. What an incredible feat he has there. And it is all coming up next. Take a listen. Van Hill never goes, you know, people don't like us anymore. Um, I'm not going to go get a day job or I'm going to continue playing guitar. That's what I love to do. Pick up the new coffee table size book, The Decade That Rocked by legendary rock photographer Mark Weissguy Weiss. This 376-page book has hundreds and hundreds of full-color photos that Weiss shot through the 80s for magazines like Circus, Faces, and Hit Parader featuring bands like Van Halen, Motley Crue, Twisted Sister, Bon Jovi, Skid Row, Guns N' Roses, Ozzy Osbourne, and more. There's even behind-the-scenes stories to go with these colorful, eye-popping pictures. The Decade That Rocked, a new book by rock photographer Mark Weiss, is available for purchase now. Go to thedecadethatrocked.com, where there are exclusive bundles available with extra prints, t-shirts, and even patches. Inquire about the Van Halen bundle, especially made for Dave and Dave Unchained listeners. Order today. The decade that rocked. It'll rock your world. All right, everybody, this is Brian Geller from the world-famous Atomic Punks, and you're listening to Dave and Dave Unseen, the world's greatest rock and roll podcast. And when it comes down to it, these cats know everything, absolutely everything, about classic Van Halen. If you would like to send us a letter asking a question or making a statement or whatever you'd like to say, you can send it to ddunchainedpodcast at gmail.com. When I think rock star, I think of a person posing, wearing skin-tight satin pants or spandex. I'm not like that. I, I wear the clothes I do on stage because they'll beat me up if I don't. <laughs> Well, here we are, Dave. We're back in October, still in October, doing an extra podcast. So because this month is all dedicated to Eddie, and we all know it's Dave's birthday and it was Sam's birthday, but this month is dedicated to Eddie because of his passing, we thought it would make sense to focus on our personal top ten Eddie Van Halen moments. And Dave and I have our own top ten. We have not seen each other's top ten. We have not discussed this at all. So we're going to go back and forth. What do you think, Dave? How do you uh, feel about this? Bittersweet mm-hmm. that uh, we're talking about Ed and his passing. But right. But certainly glad to celebrate his music 
and his legacy. Of course, as always. Yes, of course. So we're going to start off going from 10 to 1, and we're going to start by doing one from each guy. So 10 for me, 10 for him, and then all the way up to number 1. So, Dave, would you like to start off the honors, kick off with... Oh, well, thank you, sir. Go ahead. <laughs> You're number 10. So my number 10 is off the A Different Kind of Truth album. Oh, nice. Yes, which is Beats Working, and specifically the intro Oh, okay. It's working. Okay. I think that is one of the best, if not the best, intro to a Van Halen song that Ed ever did. Mm. Ed and and the rest of the band were really good at intros to songs. Yep. And I forget who it was. I think it was Patty Smythe who who said something like he was the intro guy. Mm. He Ed knew how to do an intro to a song. Right. And and beats work and it, it just has those chords. And then Al comes in with the drums and just like a great rock anthem intro to a song. And there are certainly other examples of that in the canon. But I think that one just encapsulates everything that was good about a Van Halen intro. Ed just took everything he knew and captured it in that intro. Sure. Okay. Excellent. Good choice. I like that. My number 10 is 316 or 316. My God, uh, Midwest Ron's going to kill me. Uh, here we go. <laughs> here we go again. Well, three, 316, 316. And the reason why I say 316 is because really it is a date. Okay, it's March 16th because it's referring to Wolf's birthday. So that's why yeah. I say 316. Anyway, 316. I will never correct you on that, by the way, because I always called it that, too. Okay. So All right, cool. What do, what do I know? And what can you say? <laughs> you know, just trying to keep our listeners happy here. So 316, but the intro live version from Live Without a Net. tell you why because when eddie van halen played his coveted solo spot on the 5150 tour he made a really bold move he sat at the edge of the stage and started with this bluesy jam something he's never done before he also played a piece of music 
that no one ever heard before. Now, let's remember, 316, 316, whatever you want to call it, came out in 1991 on the Fuck album. We're going back to the summer of 1986. So when I went to see him for the first time in concert, and I was getting ready for him to play his solo, this is what he did. And I thought it was really surprising and showed a lot of depth. And when his son was in Valerie's belly, he used to play this instrumental acoustically to stop him from kicking, which I thought was sweet. So then in 1991, he finally recorded it and put it on the album, the Fuck album, and the piece kind of shows that Ed can just be as effective acoustically and slowly uh, as he is uh, electrically. But here, the one I'm pointing out is the electric version that he did. It was very Clapton-esque, if you think about it. And I really enjoyed that moment. I thought it was interesting the way he sat at the edge of the stage and started off his solo before he gets off into the, the fireworks. That's my number 10. I like your uh, live choice of that. Yeah. Because I think in 86, they were almost doing it as, it wasn't just Ed, it almost was like a song. Wasn't Al playing drums in the Al came in very slightly towards the end. But it wasn't like a song, so Mike wasn't on it, and Sam was definitely off the stage, and it was definitely a moment. Okay. So, you're number nine. Number nine? (laughs) Number nine? Sorry, couldn't resist. Mm. Wrong band. I love that song. <laughs> My number nine. Yes. Also another intro. Okay. It was the king of intros. Was the intro to Atomic Punk. <laughs> First of all, that is a great song Uh to begin with. But just the way Ed, didn't he take a beer bottle or something like that? And that's how he did the intro to that song. Rubbing like a a beer can or a beer bottle against the It was something unconventional like that. Yeah, I remember. Right. And Mm -hmm. that was just, Ed, it was something so simple, but nobody had ever done. And just create something new. It was just amazing. I remember the first time I heard that, I was like, what the heck is that? Right. Just crazy. So, again, I know, I know I'm know i harping in intros on the early part of this list. That's but okay. Ed really was the master of that. And, oh, by the way, I'm yeah. just going to warn everybody now. Mm. My list is very Dave-era-centric. Okay. Okay. That's Send fine. in your hate mail now. <laughs> but I make no apologies for that. Oh, my because God. Because when I think of Ed, I really think of his contributions as a guitar player. Right. I know he was a well-rounded musician. Right. And a songwriter mm-hmm. and all mm-hmm. those things. Right. But when I think about one of the things he did that really knocked it out of the park was his guitar playing. And I think he really made his mark during the Dave era of the band. I'm not saying he didn't have anything good when he was with Sam, and maybe he eked out something decent with Gary here and there. <laughs> right. But really, he said all he had to say during the initial Dave era of the band, and that's why my selections are what they are. Absolutely. Okay. All right. That's that's great. That's awesome. My number nine is Out of Love Again. Now, 
here's the deal. Perhaps this might be the greatest back-and-forth exchange between the Van Halen brothers. Both of them are throwing it all down on the table. They're recorded live off the floor. There's an incredible urgency to this recording and heat that is really unmatched on a lot of the Van Halen albums. It's always fun to hear. I get the biggest kick out of it. It has almost a boogie feel to it, and it proves that the first album was no fluke, for sure. Out of Love Again, uh, later in Van Halen 2, but an absolute gem, for sure. Good choice. Okay. Your number eight. My number eight? Yes, sir. Is In a Simple Rhyme off the Women and Children First album, last right. song on that album. I think there's a lot going on in that song. He's got a little bit of an acoustic intro, and then they just start wailing into it. And then there's the beautiful background vocals, of which Ed was a part. We all know that Mike was the master of the background vocals, but Ed was part of that. I think this song just is a testament to Ed as a songwriter, in addition to as a guitarist, because the lead on this is also very excellent. But there's like different segments of the song. It's almost, you know, Paul McCartney-like, Beatlesque in the way, you know, Paul McCartney would have different sections of songs. That's, right. that's what this song reminds me of. And this song is, it's almost epic in a way. Like Van Halen didn't have a lot of what I would call epic songs. Van Halen had a lot of great songs. But, like, when I think of epic songs, I think of Led Zeppelin, for example. Sure, Led Zeppelin sure. had a lot of epic songs. Like, they went out of their way to do epic. Van Halen didn't really go out of their way to do epic. They did fun. They did rockin'. Mm-hmm. But not, not always epic, which isn't, which isn't a slide on them. But this song, I feel, is kind of like up to the bar with things like Stairway to Heaven and things like that. Sure, sure. All right, well, if you have a drink close to you, I need you to throw it down the hatch, Dave, because you're going to swallow a big one here. So this is... <laughs> okay, I'm ready, I'm ready. <laughs> okay. We all know Dave's not a fan of Van Halen 3. Oh, However, I knew that that's where this was going. I knew it. <laughs> but I want everyone to take another look at Year to the Day. an incredible feat for Edward Van Halen. This is an eight-minute opus, okay? And a lot of people have dismissed this song because they listen to Van Halen 3, and by the time they hit this track, and then it's like eight minutes long, and then they're just, they're lost in the sauce. 
So I really need everybody to do me a favor. Just listen to that one track by itself when you have an open mind. Because I really believe his guitar playing on this track has some absolute genius to it. It's incredible. He kind of broke the Van Halen mold here, and his guitar work has a bluesy feel to it that's kind of blended with intensity. It's not just your typical Eddie style. It builds up to a bonfire of passionate playing that really makes this thing a gem. If you can't appreciate this, I can't imagine that you're an Eddie Van Halen fan. I really believe that if you think about where he was, this was Eddie completely unchained, if you want to use a, a pun there. Not to use a pun, but he was. He was really spreading his wings, really trying something, going for his artistic achievement here. And I really think that there's some incredible stuff on this track. I know everybody's kind of down on the album. It's not Sam. It's not Dave. Just take that one song and just listen to it a couple of times and listen to it in the earphones. There's some unbelievable work on there that really was looked over. Bold move. Bold move. Bold move. Balls I, I on table. Credit. I think he has a phenomenal solo on that song mm -hmm. that isn't a typical Eddie solo. That's true. Very true. Okay, ball's in your court. Okay, we're on number seven, right? Yes, sir. All right, my number seven is Drop Dead Legs. Oh, boy. 1984. <laughs> amazing and it actually layers the solo there's actually he's got a riff going and then he's got another solo on that and then i feel like there's another guitar line on top of that which is really interesting because originally ed was not a fan of overdubbing anything no but once he got 5150 studios yep yep and he was able to start doing things he really shines through mm-hmm on this song it's not the soul keeps going on to the outro of the song it fades out which is brilliant and frustrating at the same time because you want more but again i think van halen was really good at knowing when to cut it off and not going too long that's true at least when they were with dave i think yeah you know like with, that's true with the last song you talked about mm -hmm. like i hear what you're saying about year to the day yeah 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 i know I, it's long, I know. I, it is long, and I, I think, like, that song could have been edited down, and I think more people would have appreciated it. But I think that's part of the brilliance that works with Drop Dead Legs. And there's more of a bluesy feel in it than in some other songs. Mm -hmm. And I love it. It's not one of the more common, popular songs from 1984, but I think it's one of the best songs on the album. Interesting. Well, it's interesting that you should pick that. Because I am right in that area. So this is where I pick. Number seven for me is House of Pain. Yeah. 
Now listen, to be able to dust off this old track, this goes back to the Gene Simmons demos, okay? Right. Okay. Right. So they dug deep for this, and the reason this song is on the album is because of Al. Al pushed for this. Okay. Well, I thought that they polished this up beautifully to a level that is to marvel at. And I also want to say that this is the last track of classic Van Halen. And they left us with a song from their past that they created into this incredible song. Now, here's the thing about this. Dave takes a back seat on this song. Okay, but Dave's in the background at this point. Ed totally upstages Dave here. The track also proves that Van Halen still had major fucking balls. Now look at this. This is the end of the album. Go to the beginning of the album with Jump. Listen to Jump, then listen to House of Pain. It's hard to believe it's the same band. I mean, it really is unbelievable. This has a Black Sabbath quality to this song. It really is all guts. It's a solid rock song. Edges on metal for sure. It proves that Van Halen still had their edge. This song actually could be on fair warning. I, I really believe it has that kind of a, uh, an edge to it. And listen, the last minute and 47 seconds is just bliss. Ed and Al just go off. I think Dave fell asleep in the vocal booth, and they just went bonkers. So I, I think Well, that Dave is, does wake up towards the end with his uh-uh. Yeah, I think uh, that's why I think it was right? him snoring. I think it was him snoring. I don't know. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was doing a little Robert Plant thing there, I think. He was doing like oh, a little... You know what? Yeah. I never thought about it yeah, that way, yeah, but almost. Little, little yeah, Robert right? Plant thing. But I, I really think it was such a statement because, you know, Eddie Trunk, he always calls the first... Four classic Van Halen albums. He never says the six-pack because he doesn't right. believe that the first six are classic. He only believes that the first four are classic. I tend to disagree with that. He has his right to his opinion. He, you know, his attitude is, oh, I, I put on 1984. I'm hearing this, uh, you know, right there, the, the old computerizer, and then jump. Oh my God, the ruin, the band's ruined. My band is ruined. I listen to Girl Gone Bad. Listen to House of Pain. L listen to Drop Dead Legs. Listen to Top Jimmy. Listen to Hoffa Teacher. They, that band is slamming on that album. It just leaves a really firm period at the end of classic Van Halen. So that's why it's number seven for me. All right, sir, number six for you. Number six, that's no right. surprise if you've listened to the podcast before, is Secrets. Oh, boy. write a really good song and it doesn't have to rock rock out it doesn't have to be house of pain it doesn't have to be drop dead legs it doesn't have to be unchained he could take a step back and still write a really good song and play it really well he doesn't have to have all the amps cranked up to 11 to get a great tone which he does on this song dave is able to write some interesting lyrics which you know, I think he allegedly got from greeting cards or something like that. But the music is all Ed, and it's just a really great arrangement. 
Ed does a great solo over it. But this song is just one great example of what a great rhythm guitarist Ed was. Ed gets a lot of accolades for a lead guitar, which he should. Right. But people sometimes forget that when he wasn't playing lead, he was playing rhythm guitar because there was nobody else in the band doing, you know, anything. I mean, Michael Anthony's playing bass, okay, and Al's playing drums, but, you know, Ed's playing the rhythm line, doing a a phenomenal job. And when they would do this live, Ed would break out the, the double neck guitar, do the rhythm parts on one part, and then do the lead on the other. So just a really great song. I think an underrated song from an underrated album, Diver Down. Right. And that's why it's my number six. All right. Can't deny that. That's for sure. Number six for me, the title track of this podcast, Unchained. <laughs> This song defines Ed's solo sound. It's got that groovy crunch to it. The solo is smoking and colorful. It's short, but it's memorable. There's a gritty attitude to this track that leaves a really strong impression. But the key is the attack and the punch and what makes this such a memorable moment and so precious. And then that noodling right to the end for the last 36 seconds really just leaves you wanting more. You know what I mean? It has that incredible feel to it. The video is probably one of my all-time favorite videos because it captures the band's energy. And you can see whenever they played Unchained, they really were... Just all systems go, and and I think the sound, it's really the sound that Ed gets on this particular song that I think is really so signature of his sound, and that's why I chose it as my number six. Excellent choice. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You were halfway through, Dave. We're halfway through. All right. My number five is... I'm going to need you to help me with this one, Dave. Okay. It's Romeo Delight. <laughs> Romeo <laughs> Delight, number five. There you go. All number right. Hats off to Buddy and the crew. Buddy. Oh, yeah. Buddy, I, I saw your interview you did with some guy on a, on a, a local Philly TV station. So mm-hmm. a really nice thing you had to say to Ed, by the way. Of course. But getting back, about Ed, rather. But getting back to the song, Romeo Delight is one of those Van Halen songs that is Van Halen. Similar to what you were saying about Unchained. Right. Romeo Delight. But Romeo Delight comes out of the gate screaming and just keeps going great live set opener which which they they did open up with this song at one point and then ed slows it down in the middle a little bit for that and you're like wow and it just works and it it's beautiful and then they kick it back into high gear again and ed just makes it so easy or rather he makes it look and sound so easy that a song like this just is so good and so accessible to those who like 
this kind of music. It, it doesn't have the, the notoriety that other songs do, like Panama or Ain't Talk About Love or anything like that, but just as good as anything that the band put out. Sure. Which is why it's my number five. All right. Well, that sounds fantastic. My number five, Feel Your Love Tonight. This is what I'm talking about. So I want you to put on your earphones and listen from 2 minutes and 37 seconds to 3 minutes and 5 seconds. If you listen in your earphones, you will hear Ed playing guitar two different ways, one in, in one ear and one in the other. He's playing this incredible rhythm playing along with this beautiful soloing simultaneously on the track. And I, I really... In addition to Ed, I credit Ted and Don Landy on this. This is such perfection. It's unbelievable because it captures the mastery and wizardry of Ed's guitar, but also the incredible rhythm sense that he has. There's a, such a groove to this song. It's incredible that this song isn't more celebrated because of this feeling that you get. It has a real feel-good track. It could have been a huge single. I'm surprised it wasn't a single. Again, the sweet spot, 2 minutes and 37 seconds to 3.05. Just absolute brilliance. A must to hear in headphones. Number four, sir. Go ahead. Oh, go right Number ahead. Number four is Beat It by Michael Jackson. Mm, okay. Obviously, it's Ed soloing on this. Right. A great Ed solo, but really, you cannot underestimate his input and his effect into this song and how it helped Michael Jackson's album become the monster it was. Right. That's true. That's the truth. And, of course, there's always the crazy part that Ed did it for free. Yep. That's true. But that's a testament to the kind of guy he was. Right. Quincy Jones asked him to come on down, do it, did it for a favor. Ed came down, did the solo, made a suggestion about rearranging the song a little bit for the solo. Mm -hmm. And that was it. I think he, you know, he was done in like half an hour or something like that. Unbelievable. Right. But you cannot take away, like, it really helped set Van Halen up for 1984. Right. Because by the time that album came out, not that. Nobody knew who Van Halen was. Right, right. But it was a whole new level that, yeah. okay, here's the band that has the guy who played the lead on Beat It. It's right. like a whole new level for people sure. who would have never listened to Van Halen. That's the truth. And great minds think alike, because my number four is the Beat It solo. Oh, my, is that right? Yeah, that's the truth. <laughs> that's the truth. Everything Dave said was like literally right out of my own thoughts. This solo was so identifiable 
It was incredible. It completely elevated the song and elevated Ed as a signature player and, like Dave said, the band's status. So it brought the band to a whole new audience. And it also brought Michaels to a whole new audience. So, like, kind of both sides. Van Halen got more open to the pop side and Michael Jackson got more exposed to the rock side. This is as key as sort of like the Run DMC, Aerosmith, Walk This Way combination Mm. because it really has that duality to it. You know what I mean? Run DMC had a huge hit with Walk This Way, breaking, mixing rap and rock. And then you also brought Aerosmith back from the dead. And there was a lot going on there. This is unbelievable because it elevated Eddie to such a degree. Everybody knew. I mean, the solo is almost like a hook. It's unbelievable. It's You could almost sing it. It's so well known. Every note is so well known. And it was such an incredible part. I'm actually surprised he wasn't in the video. You know what I mean? It, but it really is. That's It's the part of the video where they're doing the actual gang fighting, which is kind of cool. But the innovation here was such a huge help. And like Dave said, it really set the stage for 1984 because Thriller was released, I believe, at the very, very tail end of 82. So it's almost basically 83. And then it kind of rode that whole wave and MTV blowing up. And oh, my God. So it really just exploded everything. Now, Michael Jackson tried to recreate this with Steve Stevens, with Dirty Diana in 1986. And he had a hit song with it, but it wasn't beat it. And he did the same thing with Slash with Give In To Me, late 91, I think, when it came out. You know, that was fantastic, too, but it wasn't Beat It. Beat It stands on its own, not only as a song, but that solo was just incredible and inspired so many people to pick up the guitar and opened the, the rock guitar to so many different elements. And so many people knew Van Halen more than they ever did before that. So, yeah, great minds, Dave. Number four, linked up there for a minute. Look at that. Look at that. There you go. All right, your number three. My number three is Mean Street. Ooh. Off the Fair Warning. Oh, boy. Still remember the first time I heard that song. I believe you were actually the one who played that song for me the first time. Oh, uh, Villanova okay. Apartment. Oh, I thought you were going to tell us about the first time you got deflowered to that song. Man, that's, <laughs> that, that, that's a rough song. It would be. I don't think you, you could keep up that pace. I, well, I don't think I could today. Oh, <laughs> well, that's for sure. Oh, my God, please. You're lucky if you can make it through Bullock Ethereum. I, I, I'm lucky if I could make it through secrets. Oh, okay. There you go. That's right. That's right. But anyway, mm-hmm. but Mean Streets, man, that intro, the fading with that intro, and then that riff, and then they just go into it, and then they have the, the break in between, and then the outro where Ed, again, some overdubbing going on there, but man, just wailing away mm-hmm. at that song. Again, he just makes it sound so easy. Yeah, he does. But this is just another one of those kick-ass Van Halen songs. Ed 
you know, he, he's riffing away at one point. Again, rhythm guitarist. And again, just like a great kick-ass rock song. The guy could write great rock songs. Yep, that, that's for sure. You know, Dave could throw lyrics and a, and a vocal melody over. Yeah. And Ed was the real deal, man. He made it look easy. He could write them. He could play them. You know, ah. Oh. Just so good. Just one of those songs. You want to know what Van Halen's about? Like, this is one of those songs. Well, that's fantastic. Now, we're going to break a little ground here because we are going to venture into the Van Hagar era with my number three, which is Right Now. Before anybody says anything, you got to hear me out. I realize this is a really big hit song, but I have my reasons, so listen to me. What is so incredible about this song is multiple things. It is the perfect marriage of his guitar mastery and his incredible sense of piano soulfulness. The song has become a Van Halen anthem for sure and has really stood the test of time. He wrote this melody in 1983 and pulled it out of the tapes from 5150, the lick, the hook, and used it for, for unlawful carnal knowledge in 1991. The proof is that the man is sitting on a gold mine of God knows what kind of genius is in the walls of 5150. It also goes to show you that an old idea is not old. There's no such thing as old. It, it, that's why I always defend a different kind of truth, because an idea is an idea. It has no age. And right now, as time goes on, and if you listen to that song, you know, when it came out, you had a lot of popularity with the video, which was great. It was innovative, and it was cool, and it was fun. Then you had the whole Crystal Pepsi thing, you know, the whole Samir. But now that time has gone on, and you really listen to that song, in addition to, you know, Sammy's lyrics, which are great, and the melody and the hook, but the piano playing mixed with the guitar, it really is like a moment of perfection, in my opinion, of the two sides of Eddie, which is the piano melodic side and the, the hard rock guitar side. I think it's a beautiful blend, and especially that end part where the guitar is soloing over the piano playing i think it's an absolute masterpiece and as time goes on you know you tend to have more perspective on some of these tracks and that one i think is even better than we think it is you have any comments interesting young man i i interesting and it has had its effect over time it's arguably the Van Hagar era's best known and I, I think longest lasting, most important. Yeah. The song that has resonated mm -hmm. the most. Oh, yeah. It really has stood the test of time in the sense that, you know, it's so funny how time goes on and you get perspective on things. It happens with films and television shows and you start to realize the bones of the actual song. Like, you know, like, why can't this be love is great, but it's like kind of a fluffy, you know, 80s pop hit song everybody likes it to sing along it's kind of fun but right now it's beautifully made 
I mean, if you listen to the even the the production on it and the layering and the lyrics mixed with the piano and the, the strong background vocals, I mean, it just has everybody playing at their best. Al sounds unbelievable on it. L- take a listen to right now. Again, I say this before in the headphones, good set of headphones really gives you a full experience as to what the hell is going on sometimes. And like I said. You know, we get distracted sometimes when a song is such a hit or there's a video. Like, you get distracted by the visual, and you're thinking, oh, yeah, right now, that's that Crystal Pepsi song. Or, oh, yeah, I remember the video with the signs and blah, blah, blah. And, like, but now that we're away from all of that and we can kind of look at it more as the song that it is, it's a brilliant, brilliant song. So that's why I said that. But you're number two, young man. You're up. Okay, thank you. So, Dave, what you're saying about right now is only time will tell if it stands the test of time. No, I think has time has tell that it stands the test of time. <laughs> it took you a second. It took oh, you a second. Oh, no. How dare you. How dare it took you a second. I got you. Mm. Oh, I got you good. <laughs> I know you were going. I know where you were going. I know you were dirty mind. <laughs> All right. What number are we on? Number two. two? You're number two. You're the accountant. Number two. Number two, which you've already selected, is Unchained. Okay. I'm not going to add too much because you really hit the nail right on the head with everything you said. But I will say it is the Van Halen song. Yep. Great opening riff. It's got like a flanger going on or something like that. I'm not a guitarist, but he's got a great effect. Obviously, we named the podcast after it and just another great rockin' Van Halen song. Sure, sure. That just encapsulates everything that Ed was good at. Songwriting, playing, lead, rhythm, background vocals. I'm sure he helped arrange the song. Just everything other bands would kill to have a song like that. And then Halen, again, they made it look easy. Yep, that's true. Now, number two for me, and I want everybody to sit down on this one. Again? Yes, you got to really hear me out on this. I have a whole explanation here. All right, here so. We go. All right, here we go. Number two is Jump. Tell you why. Wait a second. Before everybody jumps down my throat, just hear me out for a minute. The reason the reason why I say jump is many, many reasons. Let me point them out. First of all, this song was a stigma. It was a stigma for Ed. It was a creative moment that made him break through the whole new section of his career 
and into starting his own studio, taking more control of the band, and opening the band up to a wide demographic. And like Dave said earlier in the conversation, setting the stage with Beat It, Jump was the perfect next step to that because he basically created a bridge all the way from the rock community into a whole wider musical palette. Now I know everybody says, "Oh, it's just, it's wimpy. It's a, you know, it's a pop song. It's this and that." And I understand all that. It gave their band their first number one song. It took them to a whole new audience. It became a song of the decade. It's become an anthem that has become a calling card for Van Halen that has opened up the fan base even bigger and allowed them to have more hits and more albums and more tours. It started his studio. It was an incredible moment of growth. He also, with that song, went against Ted, went against Dave, Warner Brothers. He proved to everybody that he had the goods. And that he was right. And by pushing forward with this idea that he had another one. Another one with a little idea he's been tinkering with from the tapes. And he kept pushing for it, kept pushing for it, kept pushing for it. And it was this song that broke down the wall and created the overflow of creativity for Ed for decades. So, And also, in the process, earned him respect created a song that defined the decade of the 80s. It's a song today that's still played on the radio daily that everybody knows. My mother knows that song. It becomes a calling card, and yes, it's overplayed. And yes, it's a massive hit, and it's their biggest hit, and it's, oh, why do I need to hear Jump Again? Eddie Trunk says it all the time. It's not, it's not about that. It's about what that song did. And it created so much of Eddie's world that we would not have had he not done that. So that's why that's my number two. I agree with everything you said. All right. Look at that. Look at that. In fact, I had it on an early draft of my list. Okay. So for a lot of the reasons you said. Okay. It's effect and influence on music and on the band. You, you know, you just can't disagree with it. So kudos to you. Okay. Thank you, sir. You're number one. You're welcome. My number one, predictably, eruption. <laughs> <laughs> What is it like? Two minutes, if that. It's, like it's a, two minutes yeah, yeah, of guitar, like that. right? That changed the world, right? That everybody else who was playing guitar professionally at the time was like, uh oh. <laughs> and other people who were learning guitar, you did two things. You were like, man, I gotta step up my game, right? Or, or you put the guitar down and were like, I'm done. I can't be as good as this guy. <laughs> and this was just a warm-up. These were warm-up right, exercises right. when he played live. I mean, right. that's the crazy part. 
And Ed always said he messed it up when he recorded it. And Ted Temple was like, I don't care. Sounds good to me. But man, you just can't take that away. And the fact that it eases right until you really got me. And I think really helps bring out the solo in you really got me, especially when you hear eruption first, because Ed does some of the, the same things in there. But man, the way he plays and what he brought to the lead guitar in 1978 Everything's there in that song. Absolutely. And that's why it's my number one. Absolutely. And my number one, how many, how many say I? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, my I... God. I was like, I was like, I was like, oh, my, I'm sitting down again. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, too, have Eruption as number one, Great Minds again. This finger exercise turned into a legendary track that is the only guitar solo that is a hit track. And it is not even a song, really. It's not even a song. It's just a track. There's a reason it's the first song on their Greatest Hits album. Radio stations play it. And when Ed plays it live, no one goes to the bathroom or gets a beer and everyone pays attention. In fact, the man could not leave the stage without playing it. So that's a rarity in and of itself. He basically inspired generations of guitarists, and it really is sort of like his Beethoven's Fifth in a way, you know what I mean? Like Beethoven has the Fifth Symphony, which is such a signature piece. This is that level of mastery in the rock era and Really, there is nothing that you can point to. And this is also why I still say that Ed is the greatest guitarist of all time, because there's no other track like Eruption, okay, that is just guitar that has that level of inspiration that I think could compete with it. I mean, there's songs and stuff, that it's solos and songs and, you know, great moments and stuff, but I don't think anything has spawned more guitarists than Eruption. 42 years later, it is still mind-blowing. There is children out there trying to play this song. There are people that have played it on keyboards, on other instruments. It is that level of insane and the funny thing was like dave said it wasn't even done on purpose it was an exercise that ted masterfully taped and put together and you know maybe one day we'll hear the outtakes of it or the extended version of it the way even ted captured it on the album if you think about it, you could hear every nuance, and it's unbelievable. I've heard it 6,000 times, and I never, ever get bored of it. It's always so amazing. Everybody points to it, and it is certainly just a piece of masterful playing on Ed's part. It's it's beyond. It's like his signature, you know? I mean, there's so many things that he's done, and my God, it, he did it so early. I mean, he was literally a kid when he did it, so... Yeah, he was like, what, 21 or something? Something yeah. like that, well, let's see. And I figure he, he was in 77 when he did it, when he recorded it. In 77, I was seven years old. He's 15 years older than me. So he was like 22. Unbelievable. The man will live on through his music. It's not going anywhere. It's not going anywhere. So that you'll be hearing eruptions of the end of time. In fact, you'll hear it even more now. That kind of wraps us up here. What can we say? You know, I mean, Ed is 
going to be missed, but we have all his music, and we might be hearing more. And it would be, yeah. it would be incredible yeah. if we did, and we'll see what happens. I look forward to what Wolf brings. I really do. I really look forward to what Wolf brings. I want to see what that guy has in store, because, you know, Wolf might have his own eruption, and it, you know, may not be... A guitar solo. Maybe it's something else. It could be any form. I mean, Wolf plays a lot of different instruments, but I think, you know, good genes are good genes. So we'll see how far the apple falls from the tree. Hey, can I throw in an honorary mention? Oh, honorary mention. I have an honorary mention. I have an honorary mention. Okay. For crossing over. Oh, yeah. Heartbreak which is was, not on which, the album. Yeah, well, and that's the last song yeah. anybody heard from the first time of the Hagar era. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And I just think that's an epic song. And yeah. it's very much an Ed song because he, he wrote it for a friend. Mm-hmm. But it's even more bittersweet now because yeah. you, you, you think about Ed of crossing course. over. Of course. I just think that was one of the best things. Mm. I, I've said this before. One of the best things the band put out with, with any lead singer Certainly one of the, the better ones with Sammy. Like, how many say I is associated with Ed? Yeah. For different reasons. But this song is also associated with Ed. And I just thought it was yeah. a really, yeah. really great song that deserves people's attention. So if you haven't heard it, go out there and find it. It's definitely worth your Without time. question. I'm going to put it out there that I hope, just dealing with the typical things that happen when people pass, you know, they tend to republish stuff or put stuff out. If they do put out balance again, I would suggest them considering putting crossing over on that release because it is totally. too good a, a piece of work to leave off. And I also want to step in here and say if we're going to indulge in uh, honorable mentions, you know, tit for tat over here. So I'm going to throw my <laughs> Go uh, Go I'm going to throw my little hat in the ring, and it happens to come from the same album. So I am going to the track that was left off my top ten as an honorable mention was Beluga Ethereum, the Van Halen Brothers' unbelievable romp. We all know there was some issues with Sam during the recording there. And, you know, obviously maybe he didn't want to write another song or whatever. And the boys just ended up going into this jam. Eddie is spreading his wings here. And he's really proving that him and Alex know how to groove on this song. There's so many layers to it. 
I know I've said this over and over and over again during this segment of the podcast, but it's a must listen to in earphones to properly catch all the nuances. Eddie has so many layers here. Bruce Fairburn, who was the producer on the album, really, really captured Ed's sound and all of his animal tricks and little nuances. It shows all different sides of his crazy personality, and I understand it was kind of done at the last minute, and I'm glad that it was because I think it's one of the best parts of the album and it's another one that over the course of time has really stood up beautifully and I'm so excited that you mentioned your honorable mention because it was killing me to leave this off so I wanted to, to mention that one as my honorable mention. Excellent. I like that choice. Yeah. I like that yeah. choice. Very awesome. Good. Well, that wraps this up. And we are moving on to our interview with Jake C. Miller from Completely Unchained, Van Halen Tribute Band. Jake is literally the premier Eddie Van Halen tribute guy or clone or however you'd like to call him. And I spoke to Jake to get his feelings. He's so close to to Eddie. You know, he lives and breathes Eddie Van Halen. And I spoke to Jake about his experience. He's been out playing some live shows. And we talked about what the vibe has been like out there now that he's playing and what how's it been for him. I discussed that with him. We also have an interview with... Derek Sherinian, the keyboard player from Sons of Apollo, Black Country Communion. He's a solo artist. He played with Billy Idol. He played with Alice Cooper. He played with Kiss. But most importantly, he's incredibly inspired by Ed. And that is all coming up on this incredible Rocktober edition of Dave and Dave Unchained. Take a listen. What I dreamt was that we'd be famous, but not famous in the way the word means not to like walk down the street and everyone would go hey that's him not like that but famous in a way that people like the music we make i would love to be the invisible man just play author greg Renoff is back with a new book ted templeman a platinum producer's life and music the new biography of the record producer Ted Templeman, who went on to produce Van Halen, the Doobie Brothers, Van Morrison, Aerosmith, Sammy Hagar, and more. The book, which runs 1995, and it's currently available at Amazon.com. From the man who brought you Van Halen Rising comes Ted Templeman, a platinum producer's life and music, written by Templeman as told to Greg Renoff. Available for only $19.95 at Amazon.com. Order it today. This is Rackham Sackham Diamond, David Lee Roth. You're live in front of your naked steaming ears, and you're listening to Dave and Dave Unchained, baby. Check out the new podcast, The Rock Quarry, your place to hear in-depth interviews with some of Rock's most colorful characters, with your host, entertainment journalist, David J. Criblay. The Rock Quarry is available for free on Spreaker and iTunes. You can check us out on Facebook at The Rock Quarry Podcast, on Twitter at Rock Quarry Pod, on Instagram at The Rock Quarry Podcast, or email us at Podcast at gmail.com. My brother used to throw drumsticks at me. Move, move, jump around. I mean, I, I, I don't jump up and down, slide on my knees in the studio. I play. All right, ladies and gentlemen, here's my interview with Jake C. Miller from Completely Unchained. He's the best Eddie Van Halen tribute guy there is. 
He looks like Eddie. He dresses like Eddie. He moves like Eddie. And most importantly, he sounds like Eddie. Here's Jake. How did you first find out about Ed and what was your initial reaction? Well, I received a phone call from Gene and he said, I have something to tell you. And he uh, told me Eddie Van Halen had passed away and I had to have him say it again. And I said, what? And he said, you, you know, Eddie died, right? And I pretty much just got collapsed to the floor. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was horrible. Yeah. It was the worst news I think I ever received in my entire life. Yeah, I know, man, I know. It's just the worst. Now, what kind of impact do you think this will have on you guys in the sense that do you feel like this will increase more interest in Van Halen music? I mean, it seems like people are really, you know, starting to even appreciate Ed even more. Right. Uh, and I think we would have continued to do well had he still been alive. Do I think it's it's going to escalate it? Yeah, it probably will because now you don't have a chance to see Van Halen at all. So Right, uh, right, right. I'm not saying I'm the next best thing to Van Halen, but if you want to see Van Halen music perform live, right. you know, your choices are going to have to be to, uh, to see a tribute band. Right, yeah, absolutely. You guys do such an incredible job. So now, have you been touring across the country now? Certain states are opening, okay. and we're targeting those states so that we can get out there and, and start playing because it, it is our livelihood. And right. I think the fans are dying to get out and see live music. Right. And we played last night in Florida, and it was a sold-out show, uh -huh. and it was the first show for most of the people there since March. So Wow. Um, and was that your yeah. first show since Eddie passed? That was the second one. We played Friday night. Where'd you play Friday night? In Florida. Okay. What was that experience yeah, we, like after he passed to play the first show after he passed? The first show was really, really, really hard for me. I didn't go out into the crowd until we came out to play. I was in the green room. I came out and said a little something prior to the show that we were all here to celebrate the life and the legacy of Betty Van Halen. And then I went back to the green room, and I was sort of okay. I mean, it was a smaller venue, and it was everybody was, like, right in your face. So I right. was trying not to make eye contact with too many people because there were a lot of people there to support not just the band but me and, and my love for Ed. Sure, um, sure. And share their love and their thoughts and their, sure. you know, concerns. And, right. and it was a sad, sad show and I was okay until I started playing here about it later and I just happened to have the exact tone that Eddie did uh, when it comes to that particular song right and I started playing it man and I just about broke down to tears it was really really hard what number song was that in the set it was far into the set okay okay right now I'm doing uh you know my solo a little differently and um we're dedicating a lot of things to Eddie and uh how did you alter your show well, one way, instead of going right into eruption like I normally would on Friday night, I started out with, like, the beginning, like, uh, Live Without a Net guitar solo. He plays 316. Yep, yep. So I did that, and then I played some of Eruption, then I went into Spanish Fly, and then I finished out Eruption. Okay. Last night, I just eliminated Spanish Fly because it was really hot. Right. I was wearing down, you know, and my fingers, I, I didn't think my fingers were going to make it through it, so I just did 316 and went into Eruption. Okay. You know, we're doing a lot of dedications and a lot of, you know, shout-outs to Eddie. Sure, of course. Of course, yeah. I would imagine. I would imagine. Obviously, Eddie meant so much to you, of course, but when did you, when did you first start listening to him? At what age? How did you hear him? What was the circumstance? I had a best friend that lived around 
house and we'd hang out. His brother was a guitar player and I always heard him noodling, you know, and this one particular day he was learning Eruption. Uh-huh. And I had never heard it before and, you know, I heard all those crazy sounds coming out of the guy's room and I go to knock on the door and my friend says, no, 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 don't, don't bother my brother, he's just going to get mad. And I popped in and I'm like, what are you doing in here? And all those crazy noises. I'm learning this song from this guy, Van Halen. Right. Uh, new, new innovative guitar thing, and I'm like, you know, I'm a young kid, and I'm like, wow, that's, that's amazing. So not too long after that, I bought a guitar and started taking lessons, and probably about a year later, I was playing Van Halen licks. So. so that's great. So now, when did you first see Eddie live? I saw Eddie live at the Monsters of Rock concert at the Meadowlands with Sammy Hagar. Oh, in 88, summer of 88. Okay. Correct. Yeah, that's awesome. And did that blow your mind? Blew my mind, because I was in the same place as Eddie Van Halen. Wow. It was packed. Hot day. I was all the way across. It was really hot. Yeah. All the way across from the stage, so I was on the far end. I remember the guy next to me had binoculars, so I tapped him on the shoulder. I said, hey, man, can I, can I borrow your binoculars? I held on to those binoculars for about a half an hour, and I <laughs> wanted them back. He kept right. tapping me on the shoulder. I'm like, leave me alone, man. I'm watching Eddie play. <laughs> it was my first experience right. seeing the, the master perform live. Right. I'll never forget it. That's amazing. That's amazing. Did you Have you ever met Ed? I never got to meet Eddie. Oh, man. That's too bad. That's too bad. We know how much Eddie means to you. What would you say he means to just rock guitarists in general? Well, from what I've been hearing from everyone in my travels, it, we've all suffered a great loss. I sure. Mean, I think Eddie Van Halen not only influenced guitar players, but he influenced musicians. He influenced music listeners. He influenced so many people and touched so many lives. It's hard to not say the name Edward Van Halen and someone not know who that is. Right, exactly. You know, for me, it wasn't just his influence on my guitar playing. He influenced my life. Sure, um, sure. I, I lived my life through Eddie Van Halen. I, I, I learned from him. I tried to be as humble as he could be. Right. And, I wanted to share my knowledge and my gift with as many people as I could. And I think that that's the way Ed handled himself as well. Right. Absolutely. It's totally, totally true. Now, obviously, everybody has pointed out how close you play to Ed. But not only that, but your whole look, your body movements on stage, like everything, the whole package. I would imagine that must be a huge compliment to you. Oh, it is. And I spent a good part of my life working on that. Yeah. You know, when I was younger, we had VCR tapes right. to watch all this stuff. So I had concerts and stuff on VCR tapes, and I would play them and rewind and play them and rewind. And right. And I would watch from his fingers to his movements and his gestures to the smirk to the smile to every little thing to just try to get it as close as I could. And I wasn't even in the tribute band at this point. That's how much I, I loved Eddie Van Halen. And when I got asked by my friend Pete to do a Van Halen tribute band, I really honestly didn't think I would ever be able to. Wow. Because I never really learned the songs completely. I never really learned all the licks completely. I right. just took what I liked out of his style right. and applied it to my own techniques and my own styles. 
so when it came to joining the band or forming the band, I had to go back and re-listen to everything and relearn everything and take what I knew and my knowledge of it and learn the playing and get the styles down and then the whole thing just kind of fell into place. Do you feel more pressure when you play now because he's gone? This weekend I did. Yeah. Because I really hadn't gotten over the shock. Sure. Mentally, I wasn't really quite prepared to be on a stage. And, yeah. And accepting this new responsibility, so to speak. Yeah. Because a lot of people have said that, you know, there's going to be pressure on me or, um, you know, I have to carry a torch or any of this. And, then, you know, there's only one Eddie Van Halen. Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just a guy that happens to like him and sort of look like him and play right. similarly. Right, right. If I can share that experience with everyone and put a smile on somebody's face, then, you know, I'm going to do it as long as I can. I know some people who love that spotlight, that being in the middle and causing the hysteria, whatever. Alex pointed this out to me. He said, next time you do your guitar solo, look. And he said, you can slide on your knees, kick your abs, do whatever you want. But the people cheer loudest when you stand still and play. And that makes me very happy that they appreciate what I do on the guitar, not on my knees. Need a laugh? Check out the Funny How Comedy Podcast, which focuses on upbeat conversations with legendary comedians. It's free on Spreaker and iTunes. Check us out on Facebook at Funny How Comedy Podcast, on Twitter at Funny How Podcast, on Instagram at Funny How Comedy Podcast, or email us at Funny How Comedy Podcast at gmail.com. Hey everybody, it's Lance Turner from the Atomic Punch, and you're listening to Dave and Dave Unchained. Hey folks, I'd like to introduce you to the Classic Rock Album by Album Podcast. Welcome to the Classic Rock Album by Album Podcast where no stone is left unturned in the show's epic quest to review and dissect every single rock album ever made. Join self-proclaimed rock authorities Chris Carson and Lee Bowie on their epic journey to uncover the true classics. You can find the Classic Rock Album by Album podcast wherever podcasts can be found, including Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Our website address is classicrockalbumbyalbum.libsyn.com. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com. And we can be reached on Facebook at FB dot me slash Classic Rock Album by Album. See you soon from the Classic Rock Album by Album podcast. From world conflicts to falling financial markets, natural disasters, and more, wish the headlines would just stop. It's not a newsflash that life can feel like a pressure cooker. From managing work to building relationships, it's easy to feel overwhelmed. And for many of us, anxiety and stress are constant companions. But you are not alone. Support is out there, just waiting to meet you. And you can find it through friendly people at churchescare.com. At churchescare.com, we know that finding your community can feel intimidating. That's why we do the heavy lifting for you. Churchescare.com helps connect people like you to churches that can support and serve you. 
In your new community, you'll find a group of people ready to talk, listen, and help you navigate life through its twists and turns. All you have to do is come as you are. If you're ready to find your community, visit churchescare.com today. That's C-H-U-R-C-H-E-S care.com. We look forward to serving you. White Castle presents CEO Lisa Ingram. My great-grandfather opened White Castle in 1921, which is why I'm excited to announce the new 1921 slider. Inspired by how we made them 100 years ago with a 100% beef patty topped with cheddar cheese, caramelized onions, tomato, lettuce, and pickles. Come see why originality never goes out of style. I'm Lisa, but you can call me the Slider Queen. White Castle. Long live sliders. Pasteurized processed cheese at participating castles. Alex and I and my mom and dad were very close family. And I almost play to please them, to give their seal of approval. And go, yeah, I like that. That means more to me than 20,000 people in an arena cheering. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we have an incredible guest this evening. He is the keyboard player for not only Sons of Apollo and Black Country Communion, but he is an incredible solo artist, Derek Sherinian. Thank you so much, Derek, for coming on. Oh, thank you for having me, guys. How are you? I appreciate it. To start off the top, that we have just found out, obviously, at this point, that Ed Van Halen passed away. And this is hours before our doing this interview. Derek, we wanted to thank you for continuing coming on tonight. Derek oh. is an incredible artist in and of himself, but he was also heavily inspired by Ed. Just to start off, Derek, I wanted to ask, how did you find out about the news and what was your instant reaction? Oh, I got a call right away from Zach Wilde. He uh, texted me and then called right away, and it was just uh, this horrible horrible news and as i'm talking with him we were on for like an hour or so and my phone was just blowing up right uh right like popcorn right right it's really sad i mean come on i mean we knew he wasn't in the best of health but i knew it was going to be a really tough day and so um yeah it hit it hit really hard and i have to admit earlier on in the day i go fuck there's no way i'm going to be able to do this podcast tonight yeah. But then I thought, you know what, maybe think of it more as a celebration of his life and, sure. and as a healing process. So that's why I'm here and I didn't want to, to cancel. And it's just a real sad day, but I guess it makes me feel closer being able to talk about him. So yeah. I'm glad to be here with you guys. Well, we appreciate so thank you being you. on. Yeah, no, we really do appreciate We do. That. And it, I think it's uh, fitting. Derek is not a guitarist. He's a keyboard player. But let me tell you, this guy plays the keyboards like a guitarist. It's incredible. And I wanted to ask you, it is so clear that Ed is a very strong inspiration, although you have your own style, of course. But tell us about how you discovered Ed as a young man and when did that happen and what kind of impact did that have on you as a musician? In my neighborhood, there was a bunch of older kids and they were listening to different music. And I remember one kid was more into rock and roll and we were listening to like Aerosmith, Queen, UFO. Michael Shanker, then all of a sudden this first Van Halen record came out. And I remember hearing Running with the Devil and just, it just popped out and sounded different than anything else. Like it was brand new. And then when it went into eruption, it just blew my mind at 12, 13 years old. And I just remember thinking to myself, wow, this guy is just the best guitarist I've ever heard. And you can totally tell it's 
he has his own style. You can totally identify him because no one else plays like that. And just the impact of that really shaped my whole trajectory for life. I wanted to be a master musician like Edward Van Halen, even though it's a different instrument. Right. I wanted to have that mastery and to be able to have that kind of signature sound. I just have loved those first six albums. I'm just a huge disciple and I love it. I just love it. I went to Van Halen. My very first concert was 1980 women and children first, wow. which ironically the bass player was Talis uh, for Talis and Billy Sheehan. <laughs> oh Nana man, you with. saw that double bill. You have no idea how jealous Dave and I are. Yeah. Oh, that was 40 years ago at Oakland Coliseum. That was wow. my first rock concert. Unbelievable. And a, very, a great backstory to that. So I was about 13 in 1980 about the time maybe i just turned 14 and the concerts in oakland i lived in santa cruz which is about 70 minutes away so that's a long way for me to go at 14 years old and it was a school night so all my friends like i had older friends that were going to go in the car and i asked my parents if i could go and they said no there's no way you have school whatever and so i ended up getting a ticket and i wrote my parents a note i snuck out and i said to them i said Guys, I know I'm going to get in a lot of trouble. I'm at the Van Halen concert, but I assure you that all I want to do is just see my heroes play tonight. I will be home, and I'm willing to accept the consequences or whatever. So I go, I go see Van Halen and see them. Wow. Fucking amazing. And I remember getting home like around one in the morning and my parents are waiting up and they go, you're grounded for the summer. I go, I understand, blah, 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 blah. But finally they, they realized, you know what? We liked that the kid was responsible enough to write the letter and he didn't get into trouble and he came home and it was just music. So I got on parole, I think after like a week or whatever. Wow. It was worth it though, man. (laughs) And then I saw fair warning afterwards and then I saw the last of that lineup I saw was Diver Down. Wow. And it kind of fell off a little bit for me. It jumped the shark a little bit because that's when it came out with Pretty Woman and mm-hmm. things got a little goofy, a little bit goofy. You could see that the end was near. But then they picked it back up with 1984. I didn't see that tour. Just out of curiosity, with 1984, the introduction of keyboards, how did you feel about that being a keyboardist yourself? I didn't like it. I did not like it at all. Wow. I didn't want to hear him. I didn't want to hear him play keyboards and it just all of a sudden shifted things. I like that album now much later. I mean, after the fact, but at the time I did not dig all those keyboards. Incredible. And how did you feel about 5150? I didn't like it. Wow. <laughs> That's interesting. I don't like, I, I don't like the post. And listen, I'm a a fan of Sammy Hagar. I love him. I think he's very good. But to me, Van Halen is with David Lee Roth and Michael Anthony. Right. Now, obviously, when Sam was in the band, there were a lot more keyboard songs during that era. As a keyboard player yourself, what's your take on those songs? Well, I think it's, it's great that Edward found inspiration and was writing those hit songs. I mean, shit. He wrote, I mean, Jump. I'll wait and all of those songs with Hagar that are keyboard driven. I mean, that's amazing. I mean, I've never written a song that huge and I'm a keyboard player my whole life. And so I've right. never, you know, he's covered a lot of ground as mm-hmm. a keyboard player besides the guitar. So I mean, you got to look at that too. It's pretty right. amazing. 
Right. Absolutely. That's the truth. But as a fan, though, that wasn't the, what I wanted to hear from Edward. Now, in terms of your approach to the keyboards, how did you approach the keyboards? You play it so differently than any other keyboard player. I've seen you in concert. I mean, you play it almost the way Eddie does a solo with the same kind of zest and attack. Did you kind of pick that up from him? It's a fire. Yeah, it's in my DNA. It's it's Edward Van Halen. Randy Rhodes, Ingve. It's just a certain spirit of the way that those guys attack their instruments. And I played a lot with Ingve. I didn't get to play with Randy. I was too young. But just listening to all those Van Halen records, there's a certain command of the instrument that you're able to just channel the fire gods. Absolutely. And you also masterfully performed Eruption on the keyboards, which was an incredible feat. How did you learn how to do that piece like that? I mean, it's really unbelievable. And were you nervous about trying it? No, uh, not really. But the first piece I learned was Spanish Fly, actually, on piano. That, to me, is more difficult to play than Eruption from a technical standpoint. What was the reaction from the crowd? Oh, it's great. They, I mean, it's really cool And because I do my own thing. I start off with it, but then I climax the end of my synth solo, which is very guitar-based with my whole the whole Spanish fly routine. And then I also did parts of Eruption as well. Absolutely. Now, did you know Ed? No, I've only had the opportunity to meet and play with him one time, and it was at the party at his house in 2006, the backyard party. How did that come about? Oh, for the movie? Yes, and so what happened happened was they were having that big party for the movie at the house, and they hired a friend's band, the Star Effers, who used to play on Sunset Strip. We also had John Karabi, Brian Tishy on on drums, and my friend is Stefan Adika on the bass, and so he knew how big of a fan I was of Ed, and so he got me on the gig, which I was totally excited about, and so we went up to Ed's house, and we did one day of full rehearsal, and then... The next day was the uh, the party and the show. And it was just a, one of the surreal times of my life. I just did a post on Twitter of, of from that party. And it was just like, it was surreal playing with him. It was one of the dreams, you know, of the bucket list was to play with Edward Van Halen. And it actually happened that night. And he took me up to the studio at 5150. And it was just amazing. It was a great, great experience. I'm so glad I had the uh, chance to play with him. What was the rehearsal like? I mean, you show up at the house, and what happens? It's just insane. There was just all these people, like, setting up the stage, and Ed was uh, was really nice, and, and he goes, oh, let's jam, man. And, and uh, it's really, it's a trip, even just thinking back of it. I remember after it happened, Brian Tishy was the drummer, and I remember calling him the next day, and I go, all right. Let's do a debriefing. Let's see if, like, all of this really happened. And we were just going through all the different scenes of, of the party. And it, it was just an amazing, it was an amazing experience. And, and who got you the gig? Which guy? Stefan Adika, the bass player. Wow. And the band was the Star Effers. What was the set list like and how long was it? It was only, like, four songs. It was Jump, You Really Got Me, Ain't Talking About Love, and then he did Eruption. Okay. So now you got to play Jump with Eddie. Oh yeah, it's on YouTube if you look it up. That's in, yeah, I've seen I've seen it. It's incredible. So now, what was the party itself like? Well, it was crazy, and I think what it was was there was it was a soundtrack for some porn movie or whatever. Some this director sacred sin, like yeah. A, mm-hmm. It was called the Sacred Sin Party, right? 
It was the, the movie, and Edward did the score. Somehow, the, the release party was at his house. Right. And so they, the band that was hired was the Star Effers. Wow. So that was my end. That's incredible. And, and it was just crazy. Yeah, it was like a Mardi Gras. It was That was my memory of it. It was like Mardi Gras up in the Hollywood Hills. And what, so what, you were hanging out with yeah. Eddie Van Halen and porn stars. It was, it was amazing. It was crazy. Dave watches that movie all the time, but just for the music. It was, and what was really amazing, guys, was that in that week, just four days earlier or five days earlier, my daughter was born, my first kid. Oh, my God. So, so it's like it's very dramatic events. Wow. That's insane. in my life. That's wow. really, wow, 2006 is a big year for you. Now, that was just before he reunited with Roth. Did you see that on the horizon? Yes, because he played the videos of him and Wolf and Alex. It was just the three of them jamming, and he told us all about it. Really? <laughs> it like, oh, yeah. And, and he says, I'm getting back, and Roth's coming back in, but this is what's, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it was just like, wow. Wow. You must felt like you were like, 16 again hearing that oh just amazing yeah now was wolf at the party no (laughs) okay i don't think he was legal (laughs) yeah i don't think so well i figured if you're old enough to be in van halen well that's 14 years ago how old is he he's like 29 29. right yeah 29, yeah, yeah, so he was 15, no, he, he, he'd be too young to be at that point. Yeah, but you know, when you're in Van Halen at 15 years old, it's like, what's Well, I don't think he was officially in yet at that okay, point. Okay, gotcha. That was pre, gotcha. pre-announcement. Okay, okay. And now, have you ever met Dave? I have not met him. Okay. And what about Sam? But no. you probably heard a lot of stories about him from Billy, well, right? Yes. Consid- considering that I played with Billy, Greg Bissonette, and Steve Vai on all different occasions, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I've heard a lot of Roth stories. I can imagine. Now, do all their do all their stories jive? Do, do you get the do you get the same sense about David Lee Roth when you talk to all three of those guys? Absolutely. And what's that vibe you get? What do they say about Roth? Yeah, he's large. He's larger than life, and he he uh, likes to run the show, and he's he's just a great entertainer. And all of them, everybody says great things about him. That's cool. That he was a good boss. Do you have any opinion about Roth's solo output? Did you ever follow that? Well, I love the Eat Him and Smile record uh, when it came out. I thought that that was great. When you go see Sons of Apollo, it's obviously clear that you guys are all Van Halen fans. I mean, you you guys have done uh, like a cover of In the Cradle of Rock, and you've done Eruption, and, and obviously Billy's in the band. So tell me, is that something you guys collectively share? Do you got to jam on Van Halen tunes during soundcheck or anything? No, not really. I mean, if we... Or for playing it in the set, then, you know, like we did Cradle Will Rock, but then the rest is just, I do it in my solo spot. I'll put in parts of Eruption and Spanish Fly and sometimes Mean Street or, or whatever. Sure, sure. Yeah, that's excellent. Now, you have a brand new solo album, The Phoenix. What served as your main inspiration for this album and what direction did you head in? The main inspiration was just working with Simon Phillips mainly on drums. He and I have done five records together and he's been a huge drum hero of mine for uh 40 years wow, a long yeah. time and so 
our formula is we just write, we cover a lot of ground from metal to fusion to progressive rock and everything in between. And we usually will compose the record and then we have the guest stars to come in, the bass players and the guitar players. And we usually cast the songs according to styles or if I'm writing with one of the guitar players like I did with Kiko from Megadeth, we wrote a song and that ended up being on the record. So it's just a lot of it depends on who I'm working with at the time. You've also had the incredible good fortune to play with some really unbelievable guitar players. So I can Sons of Apollo, you have uh, Bumblefoot. When you were in Dream Theater, you played with Johnny Petrucci. And in Black Country Communion, uh, you're playing with Joe Bonamassa. I mean, it's like unbelievable. Uh, you play with Steve Stevens when you play with Billy Idol. I mean, it's unbelievable. So Tony McAlpine. Yeah, Tony McAlpine. Yeah. Oh my, it's just never ending. So what, what's it been like playing with these unbelievable gunslingers? It's amazing. And I just recently did, I had to do a top 10 list of my top 10 favorite. And it was so difficult because from world conflicts to falling financial markets, natural disasters, and more, wish the headlines would just stop. It's not a newsflash that life can feel like a pressure cooker. From managing work to building relationships, it's easy to feel overwhelmed. And for many of us, anxiety and stress are constant companions. But you are not alone. Support is out there, just waiting to meet you. And you can find it through friendly people at churchescare.com. At churchescare.com, we know that finding your community can feel intimidating. That's why we do the heavy lifting for you. Churchescare.com helps connect people like you to churches that can support and serve you. In your new community, you'll find a group of people ready to talk, listen, and help you navigate life through its twists and turns. All you have to do is come as you are. If you're ready to find your community, visit churchescare.com today. That's C-H-U-R-C-H-E-S-Care.com. We look forward to serving you. Sometimes life can feel like a pressure cooker. From our work life to our personal lives and relationships, there's so much to balance. It's easy to feel weighed down when you're experiencing anxiety, stress, or sadness. But guess what? You're not alone. You may not know it now, but support is all around you. No matter where you are, all you need to do is ask. Let us help find you a community at churchescare.com. Churches are communities of care. Go to churchescare.com to explore the possibilities. My list goes so deep that the names that are left off of it it's like, wow, it's hard to leave these people off and don't want to insult anyone. But if I can name you my top ten if you want to hear it. Yeah, definitely. Right off the list. Yeah. Oh, please. All right. Well, let's, in honor of Big Ed, we got to put him at the top. Right. Edward Van Halen. Uh-huh. Steve Vai, Yngwie Melstein, John Sykes, Michael Shanker, Alan Holdsworth, Al Miola, Steve Lukather, Joe Bonamassa. Wow. Those are some really killer players there. Are Did you, I say you... Zach Wilde? Oh, no, you, I don't think you said Zach. Zach's a monster. Oh, my yeah. God. Forget about it. Yeah, he's it's tremendous, tremendous list. That's that's fantastic. Now, how would you say your solo material has grown from Planet X to Inertia to Black Utopia to Mythology to Blood of the Snake to Wizardical Molecular Intensity? Hanosity. Hanosity, I'm sorry, and to yeah. Oceana. How would you say it's grown over that period of time? I just think the writing is stronger and my production and just my choice of sounds and notes and playing all together. I just think it's maturing like a wine mm. and it's just getting better and better. But I'm 
not losing the fire, and that's very important to me. It's important to mature, but you never want to lose that edge. Right. That, that fuck you-ness to the playing that we first heard on the first Van Halen record. Right. That always has right. to be coming through. Right. Exactly, exactly. And now, it's been nine years since your last solo album, so why such a long break? Well, it was very tough to make solo records with the, all the illegal downloading and it just wasn't making any money at, at my level, and so I just had to take a little break from it and focus on other things. But about 18 months ago, two years ago, I just felt an urge to make another record. So I got a new deal and called Simon up and just started writing. Now, Dave and I are both big fans of Black Country Communion. There's another great band. And I wanted to ask you, what did you learn from your time with that band? Well, it's still going. I think we're doing another record next year, but all of them are great players. Joe, he's so well-versed in the blues and such a strong player. I just really uh, learned a lot playing with him. Glenn Hughes, total rock and roll Hall of Famer, legend, great voice, great bass player. And Jason Bonham, amazing groove pocket, mm -hmm. great rock drummer. And together we have an undeniable chemistry when we play. Totally. And it's too bad that it's not a full-time band because I think it would be really successful. Yeah. And actually, I was going to ask you, COVID-19 notwithstanding, mm -hmm. it seems that one of the band's challenges was touring. Do you think you guys will ever go... From world conflicts to falling financial markets, natural disasters, and more, wish the headlines would just stop. It's not a newsflash that life can feel like a pressure cooker. From managing work to building relationships, it's easy to feel overwhelmed. And for many of us, anxiety and stress are constant companions. But you are not alone. Support is out there, just waiting to meet you. And you can find it through friendly people at churchescare.com. At churchescare.com, we know that finding your community can feel intimidating. That's why we do the heavy lifting for you. Churchescare.com helps connect people like you to churches that can support and serve you. In your new community, you'll find a group of people ready to talk, listen, and help you navigate life through its twists and turns. All you have to do is come as you are. If you're ready to find your community, visit churchescare.com today. That's C-H-U-R-C-H-E-S-Care.com. We look forward to serving you. Sometimes life can feel like a pressure cooker. From our work life to our personal lives and relationships, there's so much to balance. It's easy to feel weighed down when you're experiencing anxiety, stress, or sadness. Guess what? You are not alone. Support is all around you. No matter where you are, all you need to do is ask. Let us help you find a community at churchescare.com. Churches are communities of care. Go to churchescare.com to explore the possibilities. Churchescare.com. Com. On a full-fledged tour after well, doing an album? It's all up to Joe. You know, his solo career is so successful. God bless him. And, and whenever he feels like he wants to do BCC, I'm very happy because I have a great time doing it. And, you know, but it all comes down to Joe. Yeah, well, he's he is a monster player, but it that, that chemistry in that band is so unique. Yeah. And it really is. It, sure. it really is a, a special flavor now, how would you compare, again, Sons of Apollo, another, like, all-star team of players, same with Black Country Communion. I mean, it's amazing that you're doing both and squeezing in a solo career at the same time. So how would you compare the vibe in Sons of Apollo to the vibe in Black Country Communion? It's a totally different animal, a totally different kit. 
Uh, it's just like apples and oranges, really. Our Black Country Communion is more rock. Right. And Sons of Apollo is more progressive metal. Right. What's it like playing between Billy Sheehan and Mike Portnoy? It's a great rhythm section. I, I like it. It's very fiery, and both those players and, and Bumblefoot, too, they play with chops, but they have the fire, the rock and roll fire, too. So they're my kind of players. Absolutely. And, uh, and uh, yeah. It's amazing they can fit you on that stage with Mike Portnoy's kit. <laughs> Fuck, it's amazing they can fit their amps around my riser. Oh, that's true. That's true. <laughs> Actually, you know what? It's funny. I'm looking at the back cover of the Portnoy Sheehan McAlpine Sheridian Live in Tokyo album. <laughs> and you are totally correct because the two of you take up like you know, a large part of the stage and Tony <laughs> and Billy are like lucky well, if they have any room at all. It's the funny like thing is token amps and that's it. Well, Bumblefoot and, and Billy aren't even using apps on stage. They're using the processors, the Helix, whatever. I think they have heads on stage, but they're they're not even using it. On my first Sons of Apollo tour, I it was like Ingve. I had the wall of fucking <laughs> 412s and Amp and Marshalls, and <laughs> I use like three times the gear that they do. Unbelievable. Did they ever go to you? You know, Derek, maybe you want to just scale it back a little bit. Did they, did they ever say that to you when they see a whole... And that's when I turn into Ingve. More is more. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. So now, you also performed with Kiss. What was that experience like? That was pretty cool. It was right after um, Alice Cooper, and Eric Singer was the drummer for Alice Cooper at the time. Right. But he got hired to play with Kiss. Uh-huh. And so they needed an offstage keyboard player. Eric recommended me to Gene. And so I went down to audition, and he goes, play the intro to Love Gun. And I played it, and that was it. He shook my hand, and I was on the Kiss tour. And I was off stage, but for the whole first month or two or whatever in rehearsals and production rehearsals, we were all playing on the same stage. And I remember looking up and just thinking, wow, I'm playing with fucking Kiss. That's and there's Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley right there. Wow. wow. What's it like when you're playing off state? Is is it odd? Yeah, it's really odd. I mean, it's nothing I've like I've ever done before or probably ever will do. Right. But my head is like the level of the stage and the rest of me is submerged. And so I have the whole keyboard rig underneath and my vocal mic. And so I would just be reinforcing Paul Stanley's rhythm, like playing root fifth on the keyboards and then singing background vocals and then triggering sound effects. So so now, what, what's the point of hiding you? That doesn't make any sense. Well, it's just Kiss isn't known for having a keyboard player, and a lot of bands that did not have keyboards, but they would have like you know one or two songs on the record okay. or whatever, or if they were having them trigger background vocal samples or whatever, they'd have it off stage. And right. So that was common. Okay. But it wasn't something I would do, but it was for Kiss, and at the time Alice wasn't touring. Right. And it was just something I wanted to do. I wanted to experience you know, working with Gene and Paul. And what years were you working with them? 92. 92, so for the Revenge Tour. Correct. Nice. So, now, and so you, what kind of things were you triggering, like background vocals and what else were you, I was were you triggering, triggering? I was triggering sound effects like when the Statue of Liberty crumbled into a skeleton with the, the fuck you sign, the finger, the torch crumbled into the middle finger. And I, I would trigger that sound and then other like intros and stuff like that. Wow. And then I would sing. I would be singing, like, the gang vocals on every song. Nice. And were they good to you? Oh, absolutely. Uh, Gene and Paul have always been very nice. I've done work with them throughout the years. 
I played on the Ramones tribute record with them. Cool. And then I've done some other studio work for them recently. Yeah. Are you familiar with the keyboard player that played with Van Halen, Fitz, from Night Ranger? I know who he is. I don't know him personally, but I know that he was in Night Ranger. I'm very good friends with Brad Gillis. Okay. And so he was, I know that Fitz played in that band. Right. Right, gotcha, gotcha. And in terms of Billy Idol, when did you play with Billy, and what was your experience like with him? That was a great gig. I I played with Billy Idol for, I think, from 2002 until maybe 2013 or 14, so 12 wow. years. Wow, wow. Yeah. What was, what was, was he like to work gig. with? He was probably the best boss I had, I mean, out of all of them. And, and all of them have been really, really cool. Alice Cooper was really cool, but Billy was super nice. And, yeah, it was always kind of like a summertime touring right. with Billy. It was never a full-on, you know, nine-month schedule sure. or, or heavy. But it was always a fun hang. And it wasn't the most challenging thing musically right. for me. But I loved playing with uh, Steve Stevens. He's a great guitar player. Yeah, he's and insane. I had a lot of really good times playing with Billy. And so I was grateful for that opportunity all those years. Now, you also were in Dream Theater during a, a great period of time, and I was wondering, you, now, you left in 99. What made you leave that band? Well, they made a change. They ended up hiring another keyboard player, but I was in the band for four years, made uh, one studio record, one EP, and one live record DVD, and I'll mm-hmm. say that my playing really improved on a technical level immensely okay. in, in a four-year period wow. and coming out of that gig. I was able to, uh, you know, there wasn't going to be a musical situation technically that was going to ever be an issue. How did you reconnect with Mike, or did you always kind of remain connected with Mike? Well, we made, I mean, yeah, we remained connected, and then in 2014, I think there was a uh, a NAMM show thing where he wanted me and Billy and Tony McAlpine to play, and so then we did a couple shows after that, and then that was kind of the nucleus for Sons of Apollo, and then we regrouped about three years later. And what was your biggest takeaway from working with Alice Cooper? Just the whole experience of, it was the first time I was ever on a a very big rock show, just being on tour and on MTV and being on a salary and just hitting the big time, you know. When I got that gig, that was a huge change in my life. October 16, 1989, and everything just changed after that point. Wow. Was yeah. that your first big gig? Yeah, for sure. And how did you uh, hear about it and get that gig? I got the gig from um, my friend Al Petrelli, was the guitar player, and he was the musical director. And so when Alice was auditioning, he thought of me right away. And so I got a call for the audition and came down and, and got the gig. You draw a lot of attention as a keyboard player. Do you hope to bring more spotlight to the instrument? That's not my intention. I just hope to bring more spotlight to me and whatever bands I'm playing in. But if the (laughs) instrument benefits from it, then that's cool. (laughs) What is your impression of Eddie as a keyboard player? I think he had his own style. He's written a lot of hit songs on keyboards, and he has his own cool way of voicing chords and playing, and I think he's a great keyboard player. What made you choose the keyboards instead of the guitar? I think just because I think every musician has a natural instrument that they're meant to play, and I think I got a little bit messed up in my heart. I wanted to be a guitar player, but my hands were meant to play keyboards, so I made a decision early on to stick with the keyboards, but I can approach it like a guitar player, and that was what's, what would make me unique and separate me from all the other players. 
Eddie didn't change you at any point? And, and oh, did you ever have a, he absolutely well, no, but I meant did. in terms of, did you have the thought process, well, maybe I should give guitar a try? No, I mean, I didn't. I mean, as bitching as I thought it was to play the guitar, I just knew that if I would have stayed with the keyboards, I'd be one of the top guys. And with guitar, who knows what it would have been. Yeah. And so I just stuck to my guns and, and just stayed with the keyboards. Obviously, you made the right choice. Yeah. So what is the plan for 2021? What do you have? Are you going to do some solo dates? Are you going back out with Sons? Are you going to make an album with BCC? Well, there's talk definitely about a BCC record next year. We just don't know the time frame. We have dates for Sons of Apollo on the book's makeup shows for the uh, European shows that got postponed mm-hmm. or rescheduled. And so let's see if those happen. Let's fingers crossed. Mm-hmm. But that's it pretty much. You know, there's a lot of uncertainty touring wise for everybody. So yeah. I think some bands have stuff on hold. Others don't. And some people are just waiting it out until 2022. Whatever it is, I'm fine with. And I just want to go out when everything is safe. And I have lots of writing and studio stuff to do to keep me busy. So it's all good. So are you, what are you working on now? I'm working on another solo record. It's a follow-up for the Phoenix, and I'm just always writing new material and storing it up in my vault. It always finds a home eventually, <laughs> but the main thing is to always just stay productive. Speaking of vaults, Eddie has a massive vault at 5150 of a lot of keyboard music and piano music. Have, do you have any curiosity to hear that stuff? I would love to. I saw a, a vault in his studio with all uh, shelves of tape reels and all this stuff. So who knows what's on that stuff, man? Yeah, that's the truth. That's the truth. Whoa! How about that for rock video music fans? Live all day, all night. You know what you need. Only right here on Check us out on Facebook at Dave and Dave Unchained, a Van Halen podcast, on Twitter at DD Unchained, on Instagram at DD Unchained Podcast, and you can email us at DD Unchained Podcast at gmail.com. Hello. Hello, sir. How are you? Good. Hold on a second. All right. We're doing news tonight, right? No. Mailbag. We're doing mailbag tonight? Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Good. I'm glad I read the mail. <laughs> you got to read your schedule that I print out for you, you bastard. Yeah, for some reason I'm distracted. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, you're by your own penis. <laughs> no, that's not... <laughs> not enough to distract me. It's not enough. enough. <laughs> All right. You ready? Yeah. Okay. Eddie Van Halen here. telling you, keep playing, man. got to keep playing. It's the only thing there is. Music, man. Keep playing. All right? We'll come looking for you if you don't. Eddie Van Halen here. Telling you. Keep playing, man. Gotta keep playing. It's the only thing there is. Music, man. Keep playing. All right? We'll come looking for you if you don't. Eddie Van Halen here. Telling you. Keep playing, man. Gotta keep playing. It's the only thing there is. Music, man. Keep playing. All right? We'll come looking for you if you don't. Eddie Van Halen here. Telling you, keep playing, man. Gotta keep playing. It's the only thing there is. Music, man. Keep playing. Right? Only come looking for you if you don't.
privacy policy and terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting and rules for occurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. That's right. Millions of kids in kindergarten through third grade in the United States cannot read at grade level. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just one dollar text the word grade to 32 32 32 right now hooked on phonics is highly effective and incredibly fun and everything can be done right from home and in less than 20 minutes a day for more than 30 years hooked on phonics has been the proven learn to read program that kids love to use text grade to 32 32 32 and teach your child to read in just 30 days guaranteed text grade to 32 32 32 right now and get started for just one dollar text grade to 32 32 32 now text grade to 32 32 32 Texting privacy policy in terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting and rules for occurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. My first grader was behind in reading, and this program has made a huge difference. She's now reading above grade level. I use it for my kids nightly reading for school. We love it, and it's super easy and quick to do. My kid, who just turned four years old and has been using the program since January of this year, can now read. Thank you so much, Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just $1. Text the word KID to 323232 right now. It's fast and easy. Text KID to 323232 and teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. Text the word KID to 323232. Text KID to 323232.